Was Not Was from 1989, Walk the Dinosaur. This was actually my theme song on Absolute Poker in 2007. If you played Limit Hold'em at uh, the 2040 through 4080, actually we're above limits on Absolute Poker in 2007, before the unfortunate cheating incidents occurred, you would have seen that song quoted often. I had a great character running on Absolute Poker. It was called Electro. And Electro, it's not with an E, it was with an A. A-L-E-C-T-R-O. And I, I picked a, for my avatar, a dinosaur. And not just any dinosaur, there's actually a dinosaur called an Electrosaurus. So I used the picture of an Electrosaurus, and I used to always quote portions of that song when I would win a pot. And it tilted people to no end. And not only that, there were railbirds allowed there that could chat, and they loved it. They loved it. It was so when I win a pot, I say boom, boom, acolac, like a boom, or um, open the door, get on the floor. Everybody walk the dinosaur. Everybody got so tilted by this, and it actually made the game a lot looser because the fish actually, the fish were either irritated by it and wanted to beat me, or they thought it was amusing too, and so it loosened up the game. And there were some great games there, partially thanks to that song and. I even had fans there. I even had people who would root for me in the chat. I've talked about this before, that I'd throw like 10 bucks every so often. And I really mean like every so often, but I'd like, they'd root hours and hours and hours for me in the, in the chat and cheer when I'd win pots and talk trash to my opponents. And it was, it was effective. It actually demoralized my opponents. So it was worth it. So every once in a while, these people would say, hey, man, can you throw me 10 bucks? And I'd say, sure, it was totally worth it. So good times on Absolute Poker until the owners started to cheat everybody, including me. <laughs> so that, those were not such good times at that point. Welcome to Poker Prod Alert Radio. I am Todd dandruff Wittellis, and this show is being broadcast live and recorded. The time right now is 8.45 p.m. Pacific Time on March 29th, 2017. We do this show around once a week. Pretty much every week. Once in a while we miss a week, but uh, pretty much every week. Usually on Wednesday nights, usually around 7.30, 8.00, Not always. Check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for updates as to when the show will be in this particular week. I have people texting me all the time saying, is there a show tonight? Is there a show tomorrow? Just check the Twitter. Unless I haven't posted on the Twitter, then you can text me and ask me about it. But uh, we do this every week, and the show is usually several hours. So if you're... Someone who grinds a lot of poker online, or live for that matter, or you have a boring job where you can listen to something in the background, or if you take long drives, you need something to listen to, or if you're like my co-host who needs something to fall asleep, you can listen to this show. It'll go on for quite some time. Calawat, welcome. Very, very effective as a sleeping pill. It is, and I, w- I would have never guessed that. <laughs> I would have never guessed that, but for some people it is. It's not just you. And I, I said, okay, as long as people listen. I don't care why they listen. Just as long as they listen. Unless it's like, no, and, and long long before I even know, knew there was a poker fraud alert or a donk down, I've, I've just always listened to radio or something like that as I go to bed. Speaking of going to bed, since it is getting near midnight on the East Coast... I'm glad I caught you. I know we've just been getting under the wire before you fall asleep before the show starts. So I, I think you're just trying to see at what point that I just snap. Well, I might you know? I might have a, a, a camera 
hidden in your house because I always seem to get you just moments before you fall asleep. I, I always just... Of all the things, that, all the places that you could have a camera and all the things you could be looking at, why? <laughs> just, just because I, I can procrastinate to the very last minute. In this way, I always know exactly where I stand with calling you. So we, we get you on the show, but I get to wait as late as possible. So the best Fair of both enough. worlds. Best of both worlds. Anyway, people, uh, we have a number of things tonight to talk about. And I got a question for you, real quick. Yeah. Jeff, before you get into that, so it seems like you're real into the whole electricity thing. We got kil- kilowatt. We got electro. I mean, what's what's going on? Well, here? electro, as I was mentioning, it's actually with an A. A L E C T R O. It was in reference to an uh, electrosaurus. It just it sounded like it's electricity, but it's not. It was electro, and it it was a great character. I loved that character, and it was it taught me a lot about the effect that uh, personality can have in the game. The oh, Chico that, Loco would have tilted the crap out of people. Yeah, too. that would have been good too. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it taught me a lot about what works, what doesn't work, what uh, gets fish excited. There were fish on there that stayed and kept reloading just because they wanted to beat Electro, because they hated Electro so much and wanted to beat him. But they were, you could tell they were having fun with it. They weren't like angry. Even when they were losing, they were, they were just like, like he was like the rival. They wanted to beat this dinosaur who kept quoting this stuff. <laughs> so it, it was a lot more fun for them than just sitting there with everyone just you know quietly playing and slowly taking their money. So, yeah, for sure. That's not entertainment. Yeah, so I, I really did uh, get those games going and keep them going, and and it was funny. I, I learned about home field advantage in poker because with those railbirds that would chat and yep. they, it would demoralize the opponents. And I, I, I noticed the other end of this when occasionally I'd have haters there that would bash me and make fun of me when I'm losing. If I'm running bad and there's someone mocking me every time you lose, ah, ha, ha, you suck, man, ah, ha, ha, good, good. I'm like, damn it. I, it actually would piss me off. I would try to tune it out, but it pissed me off. And I one time paid one of my railbirds to flood the chat with periods so I wouldn't have to read it. I just said, uh, you, but you couldn't block the railbirds. There's no way to block them. So I just, uh, unless I wanted to block the whole chat. So I, I, I didn't want to do that either. So I paid one of the railbirds $10 to just flood the chat. And it was funny because I offered it in the open chat and the... The other railbird is like, come on, man, don't do it, don't do it. And he's like, sorry, I don't really want to, but I need the money. <laughs> and, then and then he started flooding it. So so what what you discovered with your poker personality there is the same reason why casinos have all those fancy blinking lights on the slot machines, you know? Yeah. It's to keep people entertained while they're pressing buttons. I mean, right. That's all it is. Right. You know? And that's why, like, even when I was on Poker Stars and I chatted, now, Poker Stars, because I was playing as Dan Druff, for the first two years, nobody knew who that was. But but after 2005, everyone knew who it was, and I had to uh, think about more what I was saying because I knew whoever I'd be talking trash to would you know would see me. And I, it's a little different than when it's anonymous. Uh, you have to think about what you're saying. Not not that like I'm scared of of people kicking my ass from the poker game, but just it's still you know I know them, they know who I am, and when, when you talk trash, it's a little bit different than when you're just some anonymous character talking to other anonymous characters on there. Yeah, when you're a known quantity like Dan Druff, you got to be careful. <laughs> okay, so my, my wife actually, she has no idea. Like, I mean, she knows that I do uh, a podcast every now and again, but she didn't even really know like what it's about. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, yeah, I got to do the go do that thing with Dan Druff. And she looked at me like, does he have a hair problem? Or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, some people don't. Don't get into it. Don't understand it. Um, 
my girlfriend listens to this show uh, not in its entirety, but she listens to some every week, just whatever she has time for. And uh, it's funny; she for a long time she stopped, and I thought she was never going to listen again. I, she used to, when it first started, she was listening every week religiously, and then at some point it just stopped. And I thought, okay, well that's done; she's lost interest, and that was fine. You know, I'm not doing this for her benefit. I'm, this is my own thing. So, but then one day a few months ago she started listening, and then every week just kept turning it back on. So I, I even asked her, I said, what do you think of this Calwatt guy who has uh, been the co-host here regularly for the few months you've been listening? She said, oh, I like him. I said, okay, good. Nice. So, Yeah, my wife couldn't care less. She she hears more than enough from me already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, does Which your is wife, probably for the best. Does your wife have any interest in gambling at all, just in general? Zero. Not? Yeah, same, same, same with my girlfriend. Zero interest in gambling. And, that, and that's fine. In, in some ways, it's better because I actually tried years and years ago, like to teach her how to play poker once, and she got really like protective of her chips. She didn't want anyone <laughs> taking her money, <laughs> and it was like I could I could just tell that this would be a bad thing to keep going down this road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, some people you can tell have the personality that they'd want to play poker, and some do not, and. Uh, I, I can tell that my girlfriend probably wouldn't enjoy it, even though she understands it, and she understands that like, when I explain to her, she understands some of the strategy, but uh, she's expressed no desire to play. I don't think she ever would want to play, and she has no desire to play in casinos either, but that, that's fine. And I, I think I don't have any problem with that. There, there are plenty of things that she's interested in that I just have zero interest, so I mean, I'm good with it, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, people... Uh, we have a free roll tonight in seven minutes. It's at 9 p.m. Pacific time. It's $100 plus five. Well, are you going to play tonight, Calwood? I am going to play. Okay, good. So it's 100 plus five. The reason I asked you that is because there's a Uh-oh. $5 bounty on you. God damn it. Put on by Snow Tracks. Uh-oh. So I must have put a terrible beat on Snow <laughs> Tracks at some point. Yeah, so I guess he won $5. <laughs> and uh, to, be, to be honest, I didn't even check if he really won the $5. He could be tricking me for all I know, but I'm sure he's telling the truth. But anyway, he's giving the $5 to a bounty on you. So anybody who knocks Calwatt out, you get a $5 prize in addition to whatever you win if you were to finish in the first five places. But you get the $5 no matter where you finish if you not Calwatt out. Now, That's really funny because before I even heard any of this, I was going to ask you if you were going to play and then put a bounty on you. <laughs> no, no, I never play. I just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm actually impressed with how much you pay attention to the show and, and participate and play the free roll. Because if I play the free roll, even if I'm not trying or paying attention very much, it's going to distract me. I just feel like I have too much to do here at once to where I don't want that distraction. And besides, I'm not you know, I'm not going to win any of the money. I don't want to keep any of the money on my own site. So. To, to make it worse, I'm usually doing something else, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I am. I know. I, I know. Sometimes I ask you, and you say, oh, I'm doing this, too. I'm working. I'm like, wow, I, this guy can do so many things at once. Now you know why I listen to the radio while I go to sleep. Yeah. So, uh, so Jay Stat, a regular listener who usually listens live. I've met him before. Nice guy. $100... Free roll, thanks to him this week. Thank he, you, Jay Stat. He, he gave the $100 that he won in the previous free roll two weeks ago. We didn't have one last week because the poker room was down. But two weeks ago, he won $100, and he just handed it right back to us 
to run a free roll. So some of you might be hey, wondering. Wait a minute, that was, that's my hundred bucks. <laughs> it, it, it actually it. it actually is. Yeah. So thank you, Calvin. <laughs> and C Money gave C Money gave uh, two hundred dollars a few weeks ago. They caused all the controversy. It wasn't his fault. It was that some users were uh, kind of flippant about it. But uh, we still haven't used it, which I'm sure will get those people even angrier. And the reason <laughs> I, I this night, I mean, we'll probably never use it at this rate. But the reason tonight we chose not to use it. Keep in mind, this was supposed to be used like three weeks ago, but uh, two weeks ago, we didn't use it. I forgot the reason why. Uh, last week, we uh, had no free roll. This week, we have a free roll, but I figured it, since it's starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, it's just kind of, uh, I guess it's only 20 minutes late. It's seen so much later, 9 p.m. versus 8.40. So I said, you know what, I'm going to wait one more week, and we have this 100 from JSTAT. So we're going to use the 100 from JSTAT this week, and... Next week, we really will use the C-Money $200 all at once. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> if Provided I don't need the money f- for my own purposes next week. So, JSTATS, $100 being used this week. First place is $50. Second place is $25. Third place is $12. Fourth place is $8. And fifth place is a whopping $5. And, of course, it's the $5 bounty on CalWatt. That starts at 9 p.m. on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need to qualify for the free money. To learn whether you do or not, and how to do so, go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll, all lowercase, PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll, exactly as it sounds, no dashes, no spaces, nothing like that. So, hasn't changed in a while, but you need to be familiar with the rules. JSTAT says, years of entertainment rewarded, Druff, thanks to the show. Or thanks, thanks, no tracks. It wasn't thanks to the show, it was thanking snow tracks, but... Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate all the people, especially who listen live and are in the chat room, because they give a lot of useful information. We have a good chat room. We have a chat room of informed people, of intelligent people, of ones who give us a lot of useful stuff. Even sometimes they say funny things, which I steal and say myself, and don't give them credit. So the chat room's great. Now, of course, if you listen in the archives, which is probably about 90% of you listening in the archives... In fact, I think it's more than 90%. But still, uh, if you're one of those people, then you are not able to chat. Because if you go in the chat room and the show's not live, then no one's going to be there. But uh, to chat in the chat room, by the way, you need a flash-enabled device. You need a Poker Fraud Alert form Wait, what, account. What, what year is it? Okay, I, Flash? I, I, what? I, but you've, you've bugged me about this before. But... Uh, <laughs> But yes, you need a flash-enabled device, meaning no iPhones or no iPad. I mean, this is Apple's fault. This is Steve Jobs' fault for... No, Flash was a piece of shit. But still, he refused to... He had this big pissing match with Adobe, and that's why they weren't supporting an iPhone. Otherwise, it would be supported. So anyway, no iPhones or iPads can get in there, but most other devices can. You need a Poker Fraud Alert account in good standing, on the forum, that is. And that's what you need to chat. If you want to call the show tonight, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain near Las Vegas, about 45 minutes away by car. Gets snow in the winter, stays nice and cool in the summer. When it's 110 in Vegas, just drive to Mount Charleston. It'll be like 75 there. Very nice place to visit during the summer to get away from the World Series heat. I try to do that at least once a year. And, of course, I have an old 70s rotary telephone sitting inside of a cabin in Mount Charleston. 
That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. If you've been following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Todd Wittellis, you will see, you, you will have seen that I visited the Mount Charleston cabin. I didn't post a picture, but I, I went there and I found an unpaid phone bill. And I found that I was days away from disconnection. The Mount Charleston line, an old 70s rotary phone, was about to be no longer. Mm. Fortunately, I got the money in in time, thanks to the wonder was of, it of $200? internet payment. And it wasn't $200. I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend that much on the Mount Charleston line, but I, I do keep it running. So it's, it's, it survived. There was no disconnect, but it was close. It was close. I just, it kind of slipped my mind. And I saw the pink notice. And I said, uh-oh. But it's, it's working, and it's a separate line into the show. So if the main number is busy or has some issue, you can call the Mount Charleston line. But if we don't answer, it just means we're busy and doing something. And just try again in 15 minutes. Always show your caller ID, no matter which number you call from. Otherwise, you won't get through. You will get that busy signal. We have the call to listen line. The call to listen line is located in a small shack in the town of Carroll, Iowa. And it is a way to listen to the show without a smartphone, without a computer, without the internet. All you need is any phone in the world that can dial. And you can listen to the show live, or if it's not live, you can listen to one of our over 220 episodes that pick randomly and stream as if they're live. And then when each episode is done, it picks another episode at random from our library, and it does this over and over and over again until we come back on live the following week. The call to listen line, which again cannot be used to call into the show. It's only used to listen to the show. 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. It's very useful if you're oh. in an area with oh p- bad reception. What, what's, what happened here? <laughs> Somebody just won with Quad Kings. That sounds familiar. Really? On, on the free roll already in the first minute? And the, the the free roll, free roll, yeah. Guy who's like a king eight six board, dude bets, dude raises, other guy shoves, and we got uh, trip kings versus six four. So I, I really thought that it was like Kate Hall and Dentale playing all over again. Maybe they're on the site playing right now. I, I, I mean, honestly, that is a hand that if that happened during the Dentale match, I wouldn't be shocked. You know. <laughs> Well, so somebody's out already after like one minute. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. Well, see, this is what's good about a free roll. It's it's it can be annoying when you bust from a poker tournament. You go, wait a minute, I I didn't risk any money. It's but it's the thing. exact. I mean, flopped a set of kings, rivered quads. It's the exact same thing <laughs> as as in the Kate Kate Hall match. Yeah. So here I, I see you posted something in chat here. What was this something? Uh, something? Yeah, I was just reading the agenda and you know, kind of related to. Uh, the I'm not going to give away your topics, but uh, related to one of the topics in terms of uh, people getting busted, uh, okay. poker players getting busted for dumping money. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, we will uh, we'll try to get that in too before you fall asleep. Uh, not necessary. Just thought it might be of interest. Okay. So anyway, here is the agenda tonight, and then we'll get going. The 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 city of Las Vegas or more specifically the Las Vegas Strip, had back-to-back days of 
serious crime. Now, there's a lot of crime in Las Vegas itself, in the city of Las Vegas and the surrounding areas. But there isn't that much crime on the Strip, other than petty crime, like pickpocketing and stuff like that. The the reason there isn't that much serious crime on the Strip is that it's so crowded, you're not going to get away with anything there. People, everyone's going to see. There's a lot of cops. You know, it's just not a good place to commit crime, or at least serious crime. So that's why there's not much. So when there is, it's kind of alarming, and it's especially alarming to people who spend time on the Strip, or people that visit Vegas and think, "Hey, this could have been me." So there were back-to-back days of serious crime. First, a Bellagio robbery, and then even worse, the next day, a murder on a bus right in front of the Cosmopolitan. We'll talk about those. Unrelated, by the way. Those two crimes which occurred right on the Strip. Phil Helmuth said to Doug Polk during some kind of little interview where Polk sat down with him that Tom Dwan and Paul Fua, the reputed uh, organized crime figure from China, quote, trade million-dollar debts all the time. And this was in reference to Tom Dwan and his financial status. Uh, well, I'm sure one of those debts is then Jungle Man's debt, right? The, the money that Dwan owes him? Yeah, well, that that's not being <laughs> traded. That's just being ignored. <laughs> so. well, I, I, well, that's what I'm saying. He traded it away. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll play that, and then I'll give you my opinion. And of course, Calawat can give his opinion as to what Helmuth really meant and what's really going on there with Tom Dwan and Paul Fua. They have some kind of relationship. They have some kind of close relationship, those two. Without even hearing it, Helmuth meant, I'm relevant, look at me. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> it, it is true that, that, that Helmuth, he always, he always wants everybody to think about him, to pay attention to him. He, he really is somebody who lives like in a bubble, that, like a bubble where he just, he only sees a very short distance in front of him as far as uh, what's going on in the world. If it doesn't directly apply to him in some way, he's not interested. So you're saying he has a nearsighted ego? Very much. Or that would, be, would that be a farsighted ego? Um, no, it's actually would be nearsighted. Okay, far, good, farsighted that sounds better. Yeah, farsighted <laughs> is where you can't see up close. He can definitely see up close. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Las Vegas Raiders are going to be a reality... Right now, they're the Oakland Raiders, and they're going to remain the Oakland Raiders for a few years, but they are definitely going to become the Las Vegas Raiders as perhaps as soon as 2019. And is it true that Negreanu is going to be a cheerleader? <laughs> he might be. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the Las Vegas Raiders, it's been approved by the NFL owners. We're going to talk about that, and I'll tell you some details about the stadium, including one detail that has surprised me when I looked at the plans of the stadium. Poker stars, speaking of athletics, they have changed their marketing strategy once again. They have fired Ronaldo and Neymar Jr., two big sports stars that uh, they were paying a lot of money to represent the brand. They fired them on April 1st, just two days or three days from now. They will no longer be representing poker stars. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about whether Amaya is making the right decision to pretty much do away with the sponsored pro for the most part. Tony G, former owner of Poker News and former owner of Never Win Poker. 
a predecessor to this site in a way. Tony G has been banned from Russia. Totally banned from the country of Russia. We'll talk about that. In New Jersey, the party poker site is affiliated with the Borgata Casino. In October, they ran the Garden State Super Series of tournaments, which were an epic failure and had overlays in just about every tournament. They lost many thousands of dollars on overlays. So they tried to restructure the whole thing. They tried to correct their mistakes. They had another Garden State Super Series. In fact, it's ongoing. And so far, it's a failure. (laughs) I'll tell you the details with that. Another poker room in Vegas is closing. The Monte Carlo Poker Room will be closing on April 25th. This is a weird story. Uh, Now, the, the very weird thing is that there's not that much detail as to which companies were involved or the people involved, but... It was reported on CNBC that an artificial intelligence program called Behavox caught three investment bankers using a phony poker game to cover up their insider trading. So I'll tell you that story, which is fascinating if it's true, but I have my doubts. The whole thing is a little bit weird, even though it was reported on CNBC. Wells Fargo... We've talked about them on this show and how they victimized people by setting them up with phony accounts that they did not want. My mom was a victim of this. They settled a class action lawsuit for $111 million. I will tell you how I feel about that one. Telemarketing scams are evolving. There's a new breed of scams that I'd like to tell you about and how to recognize them and how to handle them. And finally... Cal Watt will probably be sleeping by this point, but someone gave me a story request. A guy who goes by the name Vegetera. Uh, I think he's in Sweden. I know he's somewhere around there. I believe it's Sweden. If I got it wrong, I'm sorry, but I think he's in Sweden. Anyway. Veget- Some idiot from Northern Europe. Uh, he's, he's not an idiot, though. I like Vegetera. So I'm, veg- ma- I'm making fun of Helmuth. Oh, okay, oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, see, I, I already got Helmuth off my mind. I've got the bubble, too. So I, All right. Helmuth's out, out of my bubble right now. So... Vegetera was, uh, he's requested a story, which I may have told on the show before, but I don't remember if I told it on this show or previous show, but I'm going to tell it again, either way. It's the story about my confrontation in 1998 with an airline stewardess while flying, a pretty big confrontation, over the bathroom usage. <laughs> I, I really had a big battle with a stewardess during a flight about the bathroom. Now, Druff, if this does not involve you banging the stewardess in the bathroom, I really hope I'm asleep by that. I think you should go to sleep then. Not only does it not involve that, but it, it I wouldn't even want it to bang her. That's the uh, truth. I, I got it, a much better bathroom in-flight story than you then. okay well then maybe maybe <laughs> maybe we can get to that too if you're still around or maybe i can move it up on the agenda so i can hear no that. no it's all right now now i'm curious i i've never done that i've never had any kind of sexual relations of any kind in a bathroom in, in the airline no mile high club for you no it's it's not that i i wouldn't do it it's just uh it, those bathrooms are so small it just seems like so hard to do it's so hard and uncomfortable to do. I, I just didn't have the desire to try it. And you know, only certain women would want to do that in, in the airline bathroom. Like you had, some would, some wouldn't. 
but it's never like been a big thing to me. So it, it's, I, I guess that I, that says something about my taste in women. Yeah, I guess. But I, I never asked anybody. Yeah, you know, to, to in my defense, I've never asked anybody to, to do uh, that. It's just never been a, a thing that I've had a desire to do. Well, I know others uh, really have wanted to do that. So okay, let's get going with the topics here. We'll talk about first the crime that occurred in Las Vegas. First, we'll talk about the Bellagio. Now, I want to lay out the way the Bellagio is, uh, well, I guess, laid out, so you can understand, <laughs> in, in, in case you have not been there or you haven't been there enough or you don't remember it enough to understand what went on there. The Bellagio, towards the back, and when I say the back, I mean kind of by the valet area, uh, if, if you were to walk into the front of Bellagio, where the front desk is, and, and then you walk all the way through past the blackjack tables, and then you make a right past the cashier cage, and then continue walking, you'll get towards the back. And if you make a left from there, you get to the poker room. If you make a right, you walk by a nightclub, and then you get into the Bellagio shops. The Bellagio shops is a lot of different high-end shops. A lot of casinos have these where it's expected that if you want a lot of money that maybe you're going to go there and blow money in these shops. And, of course, stuff is very overpriced there. And if you're with a woman, a lot of these shops are also aimed at women. So, yeah, the women can expect that you're going to spend money on them if they've been sitting with you watching you gambling and you had a good session. So these have existed in casinos for a long time. But now, I'd say in the last 20 years, they've become much more prominent. So... I, I've walked by these shops, and it's funny because there's, they usually have very few people, if any, in them. Like, you'll walk by them, and they're usually just empty. You see the employees, and there's not a single person in these shops. But I guess they make enough of a profit on the sales they make to where long idle periods are fine. But I have wondered, walking by some of these high-end shops, which sell jewelry, expensive watches, expensive clothes... Stuff like that. The clothes, not so much, but the the jewelry and the watches. And I, I've always wondered, are these ever going to be a target of robbers? Because there's usually no security guard in there. These are not on the casino floor. In fact, they're not even that far from the door that leads out to the valet area. So I've always wondered, are these ever going to get robbed? What if someone just came in there and smashed a display and grabbed things and ran? They could probably do it and get away in time. I've thought about it before. You've thought about doing it? or uh, Only after some really bad losses at Bellagio. But uh, for the most part, no. For the most part, I've just thought about it happening. Wanted to run out of there with a couple of diamond watches and some Guido shirts and stuff? Yeah, it would take care of some of the, you know, take care of a bad session at like, 100, 200, 200, 400 there. Where do you, what, do you just go to like a pawn shop and then try to sell this shit? Uh, I guess. I, I never got that far with my plan. Yeah, okay. But these aren't that far from the poker room. So I have thought of when I've walked out of there, you know, walked out of the poker room and walked by these stores, I have thought of, hey, if a crime ever happens here, I'll probably hear it, I'll probably be close to it, I'll probably see, or at least hear the crime in progress. It's not one of these things where it happens all the way on the other side of the casino and you just hear about it eventually. Or maybe they lock down the casino at some point. But it's, a, it's much more real when it happens very close to where you are. So, this happened. And, let's see what day it was. It was 
this past week. Get to the story here. So this, of course, I lost. It. Here we are. I'm open to your. What, what is this? No, I-, I-, I love this when you mouse over. This is on the Las Vegas Review Journal. If you accidentally mouse over this video that's playing in the middle, it'll put the volume on. But if you don't mouse over it, it won't. So, or if you move the mouse off of it, it won't. So watch this. Here we go. I'm going to mouse over this video. How am I going to watch it? Sports. And... and what's really stupid is this is a funny or die video. So I don't know how that has a place in a story about a robbery in the Bellagio. Like it's just misplaced. I know it's an advertisement that doesn't know the content or it's probably a, a rolling advertisement of some type which is served by a third party but still it's weird anyway the las vegas review journal it's uh given a lot of details on this now whereas at first we didn't find out that much and it's funny how misinformation spreads when things like this happen so the first thing we heard on saturday night and i'm talking about this past saturday four days ago on the 25th. We heard that there was an active shooter inside the Bellagio and that people were taking cover. So that was pretty disturbing. Then I heard it was an active shooter robbing the Rolex store. That's even more scary because that's pretty close to the poker room. So I pictured myself playing poker there, maybe you know, playing 4080 limit, and then hearing gunshots and getting under the poker table and hoping no one shoots me. But that's not at all what happened. I don't, I don't know where this stuff comes from. It goes from an active shooter in a Rolex store, and it was not an active shooter. There's no shots fired at all. And the store that was broken into was not Rolex. So here's what really happened. On Saturday night, four men showed up to the Tessarini jewelry store which has expensive jewelry in the Bellagio shops. Four men with sledgehammers came in. Three of them had traditional masks. I don't know what kind, maybe ski masks, whatever. The fourth one was wearing a pig mask. (laughs) You're going to really laugh when you hear why he was wearing the pig mask, why he claims he was wearing it. I'm guessing they were caught then. One of them was caught. The guy with the pig mask was caught. The other three got away. Of course he was. (laughs) Of course it was that guy. So the guy who was caught, 20-year-old Sebastian Gonzalez from Los Angeles, was the one wearing the pig mask. I knew it was going to be an Asian. (laughs) And he, he broke in, you know, along with his three accomplices, with sledgehammers. They broke in. They walked in with sledgehammers, smashed the display cases, grabbed jewelry out of the cases, and then they they ran to the parking garage, which is weird because that's pretty far from where the stores are. I I would understand more... uh, You know, unless... I I don't know this for sure. There are a few stores, I believe, toward the front of the Bellagio, which is is close to the parking garage. Otherwise, I don't understand it because uh, that's a pretty far way to run. Is what most of those shops are all like along that area once you walk past that nightclub from the poker room to the nightclub then you walk out and there's a bunch of shops I I can't tell you for sure where that Tessarini is maybe someone in the chat room can tell me I, I don't I never really noticed the name of the shops but 
I guess they ran to the par- parking garage. And they were confronted by a security guard. So one of them pulled out a gun. And to which the security guard backed down. Don't understand exactly how that all went down, but that's what happened. They threatened the security guard with a gun. However, little problem. They had a car waiting for them with the keys left in it, which I guess was to be quicker for the for their escape in the parking garage. And what happened? I, I bet you. I just found a picture of the guy. I, I bet you already see what's coming with the, with the parking garage. By the way, yeah, go ahead. They they left the keys in the park in the car mm. so they could escape easily. Well, someone who watched them doing this saw what was going on and got very suspicious. And they may have seen the masks or something like that. They saw that these guys are probably going to commit some crime, and that's why they left the, the keys in there. So the witness. Who, who saw them do this before they committed the crime, waited for them to walk away, and then stole the keys. <laughs> <laughs> the witness said, well, okay, they're going to commit some crime and run back to this car. We're just going to take the keys, and you know, I guess they're going to turn them into police or something, or, or to the Bellagio. So these guys ran back to the parking garage, and the keys were gone. So they said, oh, crap, now what are we going to do? These guys are just fucking geniuses. Yeah, so then they tried to carjack someone, and it failed. I don't know how it failed, but it did. That's pretty bad when you have a gun that you can't carjack someone in the Bellagio parking lot. Like, I can tell you here, if they showed up, four guys showed up to me, one of them had a gun and said, you know, give me your car keys, I'm not, I, it wouldn't have failed. They would have successfully carjacked me. But somehow they failed to carjack someone. The other three ran off and actually got away. The guy in the pig mask... Uh, he didn't get away. He was hiding behind a car in the parking garage. So the three of them ran off and somehow got away. The guy in the pig mask thought it was smarter to just hide behind a car and wait till it all dies down. So the police found him after they locked down the Bellagio when this happened. And they interviewed him. Said, what is this? Why did you do it? Who are these other three? Well, I don't know if he's given up the other three yet. He may not even know much about their identities, which you'll hear shortly. But these are his claims. He claims that his family in Mexico was threatened. And he was told he has to do this or otherwise someone's going to harm his family in Mexico. Which, who knows if that's true or false. Uh, So, he was told to go to uh, Las Vegas in a truck... I don't know whose truck. He went to get... They gave him a fake ID. They told him to get two hotel rooms at two different properties with this fake ID. And then meet with three accomplices that he didn't know. He said that uh, everybody was given masks and fake guns, not real guns. And he was given a cell phone with an earpiece. And they gave him instructions. It was like a movie. Okay... Check into two hotel rooms now. Very good, very good. We're watching you. Don't don't make any false moves. Okay, now go meet these three men. You're going to be given a fake gun. You're all going to get masks. So they gave him the masks. And he noticed three of the masks were normal. And one was a pig mask. So why was this guy given a pig mask? He asked him. He said, hey, uh, hey guys, um... I'm doing what you told me to. Um, why, why don't I get the normal mask? 
And they said, we're giving you the pig mask because you're fat. <laughs> that, that's really what he claims, that he was given the pig mask and the others had regular masks because he's fat. He is, man. You seen a picture of him? Yeah, he is. I know he is actually fat. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine this guy running through the Bellagio. Well, I think that's probably what happened. I think that's why he didn't get away is that... The other three probably could run fast, and he probably realized he's too slow to get out of there. So he probably's like, oh, man, I, I, there's no way I'm going to run out of here fast enough. Okay, I'm just going to hide behind a car. I'm like the size of a car. They probably won't know. Maybe I could just be, like, be a car. So, so he, he was the decoy. Yeah. So, essentially. So right. now, had this worked out, had they gotten away, had the keys not been stolen from the getaway car, the plan was to uh, drive the getaway car to one of the hotel rooms. Uh, quickly go through the jewelry and make sure there's no tracking devices on there. Maybe some some of them have tracking devices for things like this. Once they were to remove the tracking devices, they were supposed to get on a bus to San Diego or Tijuana, Mexico. But it never got that far. So I, I did find Tesserini on the map. Okay, good. At the Bellagio, where is it? Care. So it's right... It's actually not... It's a straight run from there to the south parking garage. Okay, that's that's see that's what I thought might be the case. Yeah, there, there so are, it's right it's right near uh, let's see it's right near the reception mm-hmm. and the bell desk at the Bellagio and the Peterson's bar and VIP services. Yeah, it's, that's what I thought it might be. Yeah, it literally is a straight like I'm looking at it right now. It is a straight shot from there to the parking lot. Yeah, there's, there's no way this this fat pig mask guy was going to be expected to run from all the way to the Bellagio shops, you know, down that whole thing with past the blackjack games, all the security and you know, in these no. masks. <laughs> There's no way you'd get away with that. So this they, guy doesn't look like he runs for anything other than a donut. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, really, he does. And, and I have a feeling that's probably why Tesserini was selected because it's close to the parking garage. And yeah, sure. Though, though, honestly, for any other would-be criminals who want to wear pig masks and rob stores in the Bellagio, the Bellagio shops, those are right by the valet entrance. So you could easily run out that door and then have the valet get your car. And, uh, <laughs> no, you uh, you could just run out of the door and then just scatter down Flamingo and blend in on the strip. I think you could actually get away pretty quickly before anyone would uh, be able yeah. to catch you. So that's that's my suggestion if you want to rob the Bellagio shops in the future. So I guess this wasn't that close to the poker room. Never mind. I, I, I don't feel like I'm in danger anymore. I feel like I'm safe again. I feel like I yeah, can... it's I, really not. No, it's far. I... I it was only when I was saying it out loud on this show, I was like, wait a minute. How could they be running to the parking garage if uh, if that's so far? So it would have been if it was where I thought it was. So, okay, that's another thing that was... I, I had been hearing it was the Bellagio shops. It was the Rolex store. That's what threw me off. So it, there was the, it was supposedly a man in a pig mask and, and two others robbing the Rolex store and and firing a gun, an active shooter. And it turned into four robbers, not three who did not use a gun. They only had fake guns. Well, three robbers and a pig. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, that robbed the Tesserini store, and there was no active shooter. So the only thing they got right in these eyewitness accounts is the pig part. It's the <laughs> only thing that they got right is there was a pig involved. And what's that in Spanish? Cerdo, right? Pig? Uh, um, I think it's cerdo. Is it? I think so. Think? Mm, could be. I know this guy is gordo. Yeah, Gordo. Cerdo Gordo. <laughs> so this guy is, uh, he's only 20 years old, too. I mean, he's, uh, it's, not, it's not like getting fat later in life here. He's, he's already at 20. 
He had to work for that, you know. I mean, yeah. he's not he's not like, you know, some of the massively obese guys here, but just some of the pictures I'm seeing of this this guy. He's definitely not the sharpest tool in the shed. Yeah, like, he just has that look to him. You know I, what I mean? I think it's really, it's funny if they really gave him the pig mask because he's fat. Like they 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 don't just like pressure him to commit a crime for them. They actually make him wear a degrading mask. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's very easily identifiable too. Like so, <laughs> oh, like like why? Like they they have to insult him too. They, it's, it's not no, because to- he's he's the one that they he's the slow one that they leave behind so that someone can catch him and they can get away. You know. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it makes it easier for the rest of them to ditch him if they know who's who there, but but they know who it is anyway. He's this the only- is just like when a bunch of girls go out, they bring one ugly chick with them. That is a good comparison. Maybe if they got away with this, they'd go to one of those nightclubs there and uh, bring him too. He could be the uh, the ugly. Fr- <laughs> he could be the ugly friend. <laughs> so they can, you know, all the guys can stand next to him while they approach girls. Look better by comparison. Okay, so that happened. And so the next day, I, you know, I heard about this at night. I went to sleep. I was still believing it was a Rolex store and an active shooter and all that. The next day, during the day, I'm talking to my girlfriend. And she says, oh, did you hear what happened on the Las Vegas Strip about the shooting? And I said, yeah. She says, oh, well, that's breaking news here. You, you may want to post it in your site. I said, no, no, it's not breaking news. That happened last night. She said, really? I, I thought it just happened. I saw something about breaking. I said, no, I don't know what news source you're reading, but this is not breaking. This is last night. We already posted about it on the site. It's, it's been discussed. So I had no idea why she's telling me it's a breaking story in the afternoon on Sunday. Well, because there was a second story. That's why. There was a breaking story on Sunday involving a shooting, involving the Las Vegas trip. It just didn't have to do with uh, a pig mask. This one involved uh, a bus in front of the Cosmopolitan. This one, I never ride the bus in Las Vegas, but this one's a little more scary and less comical. A no, no pig masks or anything. No, there's not even any comedy element to this one. It's a, it's this one's not as entertaining for radio, but it's, it's more just kind of depressing. There was a... Oh, awesome. I'm going to go take some Xanax. (laughs) There was a delusional man who's just kind of crazy. Something was wrong with him. Very wrong with him. He was on a bus. And it's still not clear what even triggered him to do this. But he shot two women on the bus. One he killed. The other he injured. And well, the weirdest part is he doesn't know these women, apparently. I, when I heard two women were shot on a bus in Las Vegas, I thought, okay, it's some guy, something like a, you know, some guy shot his ex-girlfriend and shot her friend, too. I, th- I thought it was something like that. Some, some kind of domestic-type dispute, even though it was on a bus. But no, it wasn't that. It was just these women are on a bus, and the guy just was crazy and shot two women. One was killed. So this happened in front of the Cosmopolitan. And you know, talk about something you don't expect. You get on a bus in Las Vegas Strip. You don't. It, the, the, you don't even think it's a possibility something's going to happen to you there. It feels like the safest place. Who would actually be dumb enough to shoot you on a bus in the middle of the strip? But that's what happened, and for no reason. So that happened on Sunday, and they did arrest the shooter. He uh, barricaded himself inside the bus for a while. But uh, the police 
arrested him a few hours later. They did close the traffic on the strip in that area, which I'm sure was lovely. The driving in Las Vegas on uh, Sunday night. But uh, as far as I can tell, um, oh, here, let me see here. The uh, article I was reading did not name him, but now let's see another article. The guy on the bus, this guy looks even stranger than the first one. I'm going to send you this this article. I'm going to post it in the chat room. I, I, I'm just seeing a picture of this guy. This guy, this guy makes uh, Sebastian Gonzalez look like a GQ model. Look at this guy. You seeing this? I am. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Jesus, dude. Yeah, this guy looks like he has like a weird shaped face where his like chin is really small. <laughs> like he's got a puffy like face, but his chin's really small. He's got like a melon head. Yeah, it's it's like his face is all puffed up, but then like it's like someone deflated his chin. Yeah, he's like a human angry bird. <laughs> yeah, that's a good description. You know. So he's actually from Montana. He's from Montana. Montana? Yeah, okay. I would have. I would have thought that maybe uh, yeah, that Brittany Griner clit guy is who's kind of a strange guy himself. He's from Montana, but it wasn't him. This is a a 55 year old man named uh, Rolando Cardenas, uh, and he opened fire on a double decker bus, not the double Dutch bus, by the way, double decker bus. And uh, well, now, it's, see, this shows you how this changes it. He didn't kill two shoot two women. He shot two men. That's crazy. I'd, I'd read it was two women. Now it's two men. Why, why can't they get these stories right? Why? Why? How, now, how did, let me ask you a serious question. Would it be worse in your eyes if it was two women that he shot versus two men? No, it's the same thing to me. But but why why is this wrong? Like why why can't they get these details right? How, how do women become men? I guess they can if they get an operation, but it's so weird. Anyway. He shot two people, both men. One, a guy named Gary Breitling, 57. Uh, well, see, now this changes. See, I, I, I got to know better. I, I should know better than to read articles without trying to find an update. Because it went from he didn't know the people to he must have known the people because the person he shot is also from Montana. There's no way it's a coincidence. So he shot uh, Gary Breitling from uh, Montana. From Sydney, Montana. Uh, the second person he shot, I don't know. doesn't say that here. I just found this article now. The first one I was reading, I thought that was the last word on it. And then I see this other article. Like, Let me click on this here. Oh, there's this picture. Oh, yeah, totally different details than they said in the first place. So, I guess he was on a four-hour standoff from about 6.30 to 10.30 at night on Sunday. And... They actually brought in this crisis team. They, they they have like these police negotiators that are on call every day, 24 hours a day. So I guess they uh, talked this guy out of there. And the, you know, that, that guy might not have been a GQ model, but the uh, the reporter in that video looks like her, her night job might be stripping. Oh, let me see. I've got to play the video. The Casablanca in Mesquite is just like... Oh, Vegas come on. I don't, I don't want any advertisement here. Also, as good as this place looks, this Casablanca Mesquite. Mesquite is not a very nice place. It's kind of just out in the middle of nowhere. It's just kind of... All those hotels in Mesquite are crap. 
Okay, let's see here. <coughs> um, which report? I'm seeing the newscaster. She, she kind of just looks uh, like... You'll a, see it. Uh, uh, I don't know. She could be a stripper. She could be. She's actually better looking than a lot of strippers. <laughs> I she's kind of got that, you know, she she definitely could, in her uh, her second job, she could be working a strip joint. Yeah, I, I, I can believe it, but we're, we're looking at the video from uh, News 3 in Las Vegas. But I agree, she does kind of have that look. I expected, though, when you said that, I was going to see her, like, scantily clad, but she's just... She's a reporter, Druff. Well, she's not going to be out there in her well, broad well, that's panties. why I wasn't understanding. So, okay, I went and looked. Okay. It was different than what yeah. I thought. Yeah, I think she's. she looks like uh, part Asian, part black. She's yeah, like the Tiger Woods like, of reporting. She does look like that. So I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. First it went from he was just delusional and just shot two women to he shot two men. They named one of the men, the one who died, who happens to also be from Montana, which couldn't be a coincidence, also near his age. Seems unlikely. And then they're not stating a motive. On this newer article, this is a freaking mess. Why is journalism so terrible in Las Vegas? Why? I mean, it's it's that's awful. Truff, did you single source this story? Uh, you know, I I was having trouble <laughs> finding sources. To be honest, like they're all three saying the same thing. They were all copying each other. This is a problem, and and. <laughs> Let me see if there's a new update, because the one I'm reading here, the update is the three days ago. But, uh, okay, let's see. I'm going to Google his name. So it's uh, Rolando Cardania. I, I, I've got to get the whole story here. It's bothering me. Okay. Um, okay, so let's see. Heavy.com is usually good for things like this. Rolando Cardania has five fast facts you need to know. Okay, number one we already talked about. Number two, he he lived in the Las Vegas area for several years. Again, now that's contradicting the Montana thing. It says he's lived in uh, Vegas since 2008. So so wait wait a minute. Maybe the Montana one was the victim, and this guy lived in Vegas. This is so confusing. See, it says, oh, okay, I, I misread it. A Montana man visiting Las Vegas Strip was killed. Okay, that that part was my fault. But I, the, the women thing wasn't my fault. I saw about two women, clearly. Uh, a GoFundMe was set up. So I guess he didn't know the victims. He just killed people from... from uh... Okay. I, I didn't find out much. It does seem to be, like, random. So I guess the victims from Montana, the perpetrators from Las Vegas, lived there for seven years. It doesn't say who the second person was a shot. Okay, this is a very confusing segment. I apologize. Druff, you better be careful because the WSOP is going to revoke your media credentials if you don't watch it. You've know, you got to start researching these stories. You know what? I didn't even apply for one this year. I better get <laughs> oh, on man. that. I better get on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let, let's just move on here <laughs> before I make any f- future mistakes on the story. I, I, I consider it a win. I got to look at a good-looking woman. <laughs> you got to see the the stripper reporter. Okay. So, Phil Helmuth did an interview, like a weird kind of sit-down, informal interview with Doug Polk, 
it kind of just sounded like a conversation. The audio wasn't very good, but what was said was interesting. So I'm going to play it for you guys. And then we will discuss what we think is really going on. Because what Helmuth was saying was kind of confusing. But uh, here it is. Okay, here's a good one, actually. Phil Helmuth, what is your current... What are your current thoughts on the Tom Dwan situation? Do you have anything you want to say on, like... What is kind the of, Tom Dwan because situation? I, Tell so, me what so, that is. Okay, so there's, there's a quote that you said, and I made a joke on this on my channel for some of the, the original mm. fans of this channel. Before we go on, you can hear this, right? Yep. Beautiful. wouldn't be around five years later? Where you wouldn't... He wouldn't be around in five years. And I did a joke where I showed that clip, and then I was like, Oh, Phil! Oh, shit. And, and that's the joke I made. And then, you know, here we are now, and, like, you know, he at least, at, at bare minimum, has the jungle debt that, like, I mean, I've called it a scam directly because, like, in my book, if you dodge someone for seven years when you owe them a side bet like that, it's a scam. Uh, he oh, he owes jungle man money? Well, they had a side bet on the Dur, on the Dur challenge. But they- <laughs> you like how Helmuth doesn't know about this? Like, it's only been going on for seven years. He, what? He owes jungle man money? <laughs> like, He's out of touch. He has no idea this even happened. It's not like yeah. they just set this up, this a seven-year running thing, and somehow Helmuth is just learning about it. They didn't finish, right? But they didn't finish because for the last seven years, he's been, like, dodging. Okay. So, And I know we have different opinions. We talked about right. this earlier, too. But what what are your thoughts on what's... With, with, with Durin General... Maybe even that challenge, just your general thoughts on the situation, and do you feel maybe you were right when you said that? Because that was a pretty iconic moment. I remember as a young player, I was like, fucking Phil Helmuth, it's Tom Dwan, he's the shit! And now, like, I'm a little older, and I look at the situation, I'm like, you know... Well, all right, Here we I are. A, I have a couple comments. All right, number one, a lot of the great players from the internet have disappeared. There was one guy that all the internet guys said, this is the best player in history. He's won all this money... In the live games, he's won all this money online in the cash games. He's won all this money in the tournaments. He's the greatest player ever. And the guy was gone a year later. No one. Who, who's he talking about? Do you have any idea? I really don't. Does the chat room know? Me? I've been wondering this. Who, who's he referring to? This guy who the internet was saying the greatest ever and was gone within a year. I can't even think of who that would be. Well, it's probably someone that no one was really saying was <laughs> the greatest ever. You know, oh, I'm trying to think. There was some dude that was had a lot of buzz. Um, Christ, I don't remember what what his name is though. It's not not Timex, but it's someone just kind of before that era. I don't I don't remember who it was. So. Yeah, someone was saying maybe it was Isildur, but he's not really gone. And then uh, uh, is, isn't he? <laughs> And then someone's saying Prolod, and then uh, I, maybe it could be Isildur, but uh, some people are guessing it's Prolod. No, I think I bet you it's even older than that. Like I, it, it could be Prolod, but I bet you it's not uh, Isildur. Oh, wait, maybe he's talking about uh, SB Rugby. What was his real name? Brian Townsend. Townsend, that's right. Yeah, uh, someone suggesting SB Rugby in the chat. That it could be him. Yeah, there's someone even before that too, though. Yeah, God, I guess, I I guess there's I a lot. I guess there's a name. lot we could choose from here. Okay, so it's got to be someone that the internet was all like excited about, like on two plus two or with Oh, that's so great! I'm trying to think of like who that would be. It's, that's not the main point of what I'm playing here, but 
There, I, I want to say his name. His name ended in seven. Hmm. There in oh god, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, I'll, I'll go on here while we think about this. Whatever. Went for two, three years. He disappeared. I think I saw him four years later, playing back, playing two hundred, four hundred. And I was like, what the hell? How? How? I mean, this guy confirmed Busto. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? So, but when it comes to Duan, I heard Duan. There's there's uh, two things. One, I heard that he's been playing in Macau, super huge stakes. And him and the chairman, who's a very famous... Yeah, I know. The chairman is Paul Fua. That's what he's talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, he rumored uh, organized crime figure of the, of the triads. He From would, Malaysia, by the way. Yeah, it was, was, uh, he, was, he was arrested in Las Vegas for a, a World Cup betting ring run out of the villas in Caesar's Palace. He ended up getting off for it. And he does have a close association with Tom Dwan, that's for sure. They even did this weird strategy video together a few months ago. Uh, it, it does seem like he's backing Dwan in some way. They're, they're very close. In fact, when Fua was arrested, he was released to Tom Dwan, almost like Tom Dwan's his dad. <laughs> well, he put strange. up some money. Yeah, he put up money, but he was also released to him, like to Tom Dwan's house in Vegas. It was really strange. He was released to Tom Dwan's custody, but so they're, they're they definitely have an association that's very close. That's for sure. There's no speculation on that one. But then beyond that, financially, what's their association? So here's what Helmuth's saying about that. Him and the chairman trade million dollar million dollar debts like it's fucking water. Here's a million. Here's a million. Parity won fifty million in one night. In fact. Or thirty-six million in one night. So that's insane. And I don't know if Hong any of Kong that's or true. U.S. So he's asking me. There's, Hong Kong has their currency is called dollars too. So the Hong Kong dollar is worth a lot less than the U.S. dollar. So that's why he's asking Hong Kong or U.S. And this is where it gets confusing. Macau. Okay, Macau. So like it's like five-ish million for the people that don't know. I'm talking about like thirty million U.S. in one night. Wow. This is what I heard. Or $18 million. We're going to change this to a clickbait title after the video. <laughs> I think this goes all over the place. $50 million, $36 million, $30 million, $18 million. Which number is it, Phil? You're just, you're just throwing numbers. I understand if you don't know or if it's just a rumor, but it's, it's like four very different numbers. 30, 36, 50, and 18. Like, uh, it's, uh, it's very odd. But anyway, he's, he's trying to say in one night some massive amount of money between 18 and $50 million was won in one night by Tom Dwan. <laughs> so let me, let me. So then I know this. My friends were in Cabo about two weeks ago. Um, so I didn't go to Cabo, but I will say this: my friends ran into Tom Duan in Cabo at a restaurant. Wow! And then they saw him getting on a private jet. Uh, so I imagine he has some money. Probably doing pretty well there. I'll... Okay, so that that's the end of it. Guarantee you, that's not. Swan's jet. Right, that was the okay. first thought I had. That was exactly the first thought I had. Like, oh, yeah, this shows he's doing pretty well. No, it doesn't. So he's associated with this very rich, organized crime figure, Paul Fua. And he gets on a private jet in Cabo. Hmm, I wonder whose jet that might be. Wait a minute. Didn't Paul Fua have a private jet that was confiscated in Las Vegas during his arrest and then given back to him? Well, yes, he did. So, hmm, I wonder whose jet that was. You think it's Tom Duan's jet? Or you think maybe the guy who he's closely associated with that is probably backing him, it might be his jet. So that's a stupid statement that uh, he must be doing well if he's getting on a private jet. Uh, that's the first comment, and you notice that right, as well, right away as well. Uh, to me, 
what I'm getting from this video is, unless Helmut's just hearing the same rumors we've been hearing for years, what I'm getting from this is that Tom Dwan is pretty much under the control of Paul Fu and is a horse of his, probably owes him a lot of money, and is probably being backed in these massive buy-in games by Fua. And maybe Dwan owes a ton of money. Maybe Dwan got himself in hot water there in Macau and lost uh, a bunch of money that he didn't have, that he borrowed from others. And Paul Fua said, hey, you know what? Uh, play for me. I'll back you. And you know, of a certain percentage of whatever you win, you know, I'll, I'll pay off your debts to these people with, that, with, with a percentage of that money. I'm, I'm thinking it's probably something like that. So that, that's what I'm gathering from this. Uh, Dwan has pretty much exclusively been in Macau. I guess he was in Cabo from that story, but th- that's where he's been operating out of. I have heard for years he's playing in these super high games there. Uh, but this would explain how he could be playing in massive games and losing, or sorry, winning and losing him. You know, tens of millions of dollars in one night and yet couldn't afford to pay Jungle Man because he may still be broke. He may be playing with massive money, but it's not his money. Is that yeah, is that yeah, what you got I mean, from it? I, I mean, I have no idea what Tom Dwan's personal life or finances are like or whatever. Um, but if he really was just swimming in the money, as Helmuth is kind of implying, there, there's zero reason he's not going to pay uh, or work something out with Jungle Man. He's not going to avoid him, you know, for all that time. It's just, it's ridiculous. So what you're saying makes complete sense to me. Yeah, and that's and that's very common. I mean, not to this extent where you've got some organized crime figure backing you for tens of millions of dollars, but this is common on a smaller scale in poker where you see people playing high-limit games who owe a lot of money. And when I first saw this, when I first saw people with, like hundreds of thousands on the table in some big game in the Bellagio. And then I hear, hey, this guy owes a bunch of money. I go, okay, well, he's got, I see 200000 in front of him. Why don't you go up to him when the game's over and say, give me some right. of that money before you cash out? Well, it's not that simple because it's probably not his money. It's probably money that's his backers. And the agreement he has with the backer is that he can't uh, give that money away to pay debts, that he has to cash out and give it back to the backer. So that's... Why a lot of people in poker who are playing big events, who are playing big cash games, who seem to be so rich and so deeply bankrolled, then are broke and can't afford to pay debts that are many times smaller than the stakes they're playing. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the Paul. Uh, what's the the Dreyfus of poker? What's the guy's name again? Uh, the Alex GPI Dreyfus. guy, uh, Alex Dreyfus. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty. It's like kind of like the Alex Dreyfus of poker. You know what I mean? Where he's playing with other people's money. Yeah. And it, it just kind of seems like he's balling out of control. Um, I, I actually, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but we were having uh, dinner at some fancy restaurant in the Bellagio, and, and Duan walked in with the whole entourage. Fua was there, and all those guys were there, and they, they had, took up a couple of tables, and, you know, looked like they were having fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
And Tom Dwan, if yeah, I, I imagine he's not miserable under these circumstances because he he loves the action. He loves playing these big games. Right. Uh, if he's living, a, I'm sure he's not living a Spartan lifestyle over there. So no, it's like a whole entourage. Yeah, that they're all always traveling around with. Yeah. So the only thing is, he just uh, he doesn't have that much freedom. He's probably required to do what they tell him, but. Uh, at the same time, it's not like slavery. It's not like he's been captured and is forced to do this. Uh, um, you know, maybe, I, I don't know if there'd be a consequence if he just said "f you" and tried to leave or something. But uh, I wouldn't do that. I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. But I don't think he even wants to. I think he's he's happy under these circumstances. And in fact, if he is doing this to pay off debts, right. then maybe he's thinking, "Okay, I'll I'll get out." from underwater here and then I'll, I'll i will have money of my own then maybe i can't pay jungle man and clear my name it's, it's got to be something like that where he, where he is broke himself but is backed by a massive amount of money for his his poker play and and even to some degree for his lifestyle or i mean it could also be something in the middle where you know he's doing okay for himself but he has paper debts you know yeah I mean, he may he may have some money squirreled away somewhere, but not the kind of money that he's just going to just dump, you know, however many million to Jungle Man. Yeah. Yeah, like, he he could pay... If this is really his money he's winning in Macau, he could easily pay Jungle Man. He probably would, just to make the whole thing go away, finally, but... Absolutely, and he wouldn't have had it drag on this long. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. No way. So, it's, it's got to be something like that, and I, I haven't watched... I, I think they went and made a whole Polk video based around this. I was just playing the Raw portion that they originally posted online uh i i don't know if polk commented the same thing i, I was surprised at polk's commentary there he kind of seemed to not fully understand what was going on or if he did he wasn't saying it but I, I have to think that if polk went back and thought about this he probably came to the same conclusion but i i, I haven't watched the full video he made from this and i'm probably not going to but that's our take on it seems like we have a very similar mindset on this one. So, we, we don't know for sure, but that's that seems to be what it looks like. Disposition gets the $5 bounty. Oh, congratulations, Disposition. Small blind versus big blind. Well, you, can, you have one less thing to do during the show. Yep. So can, now, now I can do fewer things poorly. <laughs> <laughs> the Las Vegas Raiders... It's the ongoing saga of will they or won't they move from Oakland to Las Vegas. Looks like it is over with a positive outcome for those in Las Vegas and a negative outcome for those fans of the team in Oakland. The Oakland Raiders, an ever-moving organization, went from Oakland to L.A., back to Oakland, and now to Las Vegas, which will have its... First major sports team. I'm sorry, hockey fans, but I just uh, I don't yeah, that that hockey. team has moved around so much they should rename them the Vagrants. <laughs> you know, yeah, and they're they're going to be in Las Vegas, and it's you know this was unthinkable, not even too long ago for an NFL team to actually come to Las Vegas, but they are going to come to Las Vegas. It has been voted by the owners and approved. It was uh, 31 to one. Uh, voted for approval. The only one that uh, voted against them was the owner of the Miami Dolphins. Mm. But that doesn't matter. 31 to 1 is more than enough to approve this move. So what's going to happen? That was really the last hurdle. There were some hurdles with getting financing. And uh, there's the owner's approval hurdle. There's a number of hurdles 
it, it started going, it went from like, oh, you know, there's a small chance this will happen that they're going to go to Las Vegas to, oh, this is looking like it might be possible now to, oh, wow, this looks, looks like it'll probably happen to, uh oh, there's problems with funding the stadium to, uh, okay, that's getting better, but we don't know if the owners are going to approve. And now, here we are, it's, it's going to happen. So, if you're in Oakland, you still are going to have plenty of chance to see the Raiders play. Because the for the next two seasons, the 2017 season and the 2018 season, I'm talking about the seasons that start in those years. So uh, technically the football season ends in uh, the following year in January. But the Raiders will remain this year and next year. So at least two, st- two years they're going to remain in Oakland. 2019, it's not clear. Depends on how long it takes to build the new stadium in Vegas. If the stadium's ready in 2019, in uh, late August, or not late, I, I guess around late August, they will move. Isn't that kind of like scheduling a breakup with your girlfriend, though? It is, and I, I have to think it would be yeah. kind of depressing to go to these games at this point. I, I think like, it would yeah, we'll of, stick together for uh, another two years, and then, you know then we're going to move on. I, I've actually had this happen before on, on past relationships where, like, we have some kind of trip planned or some, something planned to do, and then, like, the girl says she's, you know, she, she's mad at me about something and says she's going to break up. But after we do such and such, and I say, no, I, I'm not going to do this with you. I'm not going to go do anything. With, if this, we're really breaking up, then that's it. I'm, <laughs> yeah, not, I'm, not, I'm not buying you that lobster dinner. Yeah, it's not. It's not <laughs> I, I didn't even, even, it's already been paid for. I'm not going to go do something with you just knowing that we're going to break up after. It's ridiculous. So that's it's kind of like that with the Raiders for the next two years, at least maybe the next three years, depending on I'm how long. Thinking, like if I'm a fan there, you know, I would imagine they'd be kind of disenchanted. You know, some will be, some won't be. Keep in mind, there's a lot of LA-based Raiders fans still. It surprises me, but you know, despite the fact that they moved like 20 years ago, there's still a lot of people who are big Raiders fans in the LA area who actually make trips to Oakland to watch the Raiders play. So there will probably be Oakland people like that who... Even with L.A. having a team? This is right before, this is before they had the team. But but I'm sure still, like, people, they have that loyalty. They're not going to... Especially with a failed team like the like L.A. had this year. Mm-hmm. But the there probably are people in Oakland who are going to remain fans of the team that will go to Vegas to watch them play. So for them, it won't be as depressing. For others, uh, yeah, I'm sure the allure of going to the game will decrease knowing that they're leaving. So if the stadium is ready for the 2019 season, they'll move then. Otherwise, they'll be moving in 2020. The state of Nevada approved a $750 million bond for the new stadium, Mm. which will be paid through some sort of hotel tax. So if you're visiting Vegas, you're going to be paying for the Raiders. Yeah, fuck healthcare. Let's get a stadium. <laughs> so they're going to throw, I don't know how much, probably not that much, but probably a few bucks on each hotel room as a tax. Figure that hotel rooms are getting so expensive, who's going to notice? And this will add up, the city hopes, to $750 million after not too long. The owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis, who has the weirdest haircut. Have you seen this guy's haircut? It looks no, like Mark. Google Mark Davis Raiders and look at the images. You, you, it looks like someone put a pot over his head. 
Oh, I think I remember looking this guy up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so weird. He's got the dumb and dumber haircut. Yeah, how can you have so much money and get a haircut like that? Isn't it, I yeah. can understand where he's, and he's an older guy. I can understand, like, not having the hippest hairstyle and not caring about that. But he has, like, a pot look. Like, it's really weird. It looks like someone put a pot over his head and cut it. That's a, Really, that's what it looks like. Is it? I guess it's his hair. It's real, right? Yeah, and and it's it's so weird because he has already kind of a, a fat, round face. So that makes it look even stranger. Yeah, it looks like it's almost like he's got like a, a ginger yamaka on his head. He know? kind of reminds me of Humpty Dumpty in a way. Yeah, no, definitely. He's got the Jim Carrey Dumb and Dumber. Hair yeah, he does. Sure. He does. So that's. I mean, he looks like a character you'd see in a movie that you'd say, "Oh no, there's no real person that looks like that." But not only is it a real person, it's the owner of the Raiders of all things. So he's pledged five hundred million dollars towards the project, and uh, strangely enough, he's also pledged. Five dollars towards the project of his next haircut. <laughs> he's going to go to Supercuts and get that updated. It just shows you, Druff. You get that kind of money, you just don't give a fuck. Yeah, that's, that's probably what it is. So, although although you're right, I mean, someone is actually spending a decent bit of time like maintaining. That's this what I'm saying. Like, well, how, how can that like be that. his? How can that be his choice to look like that? He's he's worked at that. In, yeah. in some of these pictures, it's almost like he's got a. A mullet. It's got like a bowl cut mullet. Yeah, see, that's what I don't understand. Like, when he gets his haircut, why doesn't he just let them cut it? And that's, I can understand, again, if he doesn't want to go through a lot of effort for a hairstyle, but just go get a regular haircut. Just, okay, go cut my hair. He must be directing them to cut it like that. It's like a really, I don't know, it's like a strange, strange way to do a comb over. (laughs) So, and then there's still, uh, War money, though, I, where uh, it's, it's going to cost about one point nine billion. I'm not sure where the re- remainder of the money is going to come from, but uh, anyway, they're, they're going to have the money to do it. And there's been some renderings of the new stadium, and I, I'm looking at the renderings. They're on, on BusinessInsider.com. So if you look at BusinessInsider.com or Google it, uh, Las Vegas Raiders Stadium site businessinsider.com you can see pictures let me tell you some things about the stadium it's going to be all the way at the southern end of the strip pretty much uh, just as you're driving into Vegas is where it's going to be if you're coming from like LA Uh, you're going to encounter the stadium first and then the Mandalay Bay so I, I don't know if I think it's a little bit north of what's called the South Point. The South Point is a hotel. I think it's not quite that far, and I don't think it's as far as the uh, the M Casino, which is a, a locals casino in very southern Vegas. But it is pretty far south. It is south of the Mandalay Bay, which is at the, the very southern end of the Strip. So that's that's where the plans show the stadium are. I, I don't know if this is a site they've chosen for sure, but that's where it's supposed to be. Is it's going to be. Uh, Close to the Mandalay Bay, a little bit south of it, uh, right off the freeway. It's uh, oh, wow, Druff. I'm I'm sorry, I got sidetracked with this Mark Davis haircut guy. <laughs> Apparently, he travels 500 miles to get that haircut. Really? He's got the same barber that he's been using since college, <laughs> and he swears by him. And he he travels 500 miles. To get that haircut. I wonder if it's like a trademark thing, like, this is going to be my haircut, I'm going to be unique this way, and I'm going to have this one barber do it. It's so weird. It sounds like a quirky dude. It says that he's he's really frugal. Like, he, he drives an 18-year-old minivan. 
with a VHS player in it and just all sorts of like really Yeah, no, I'm serious. This was Wow. That's just amazing. The problem with the VHS player, how are you gonna get anything to play in it now these days? One wow, this is amazing. The guy goes out of his way to do this. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. Holy shit. No, this is actually a really I mean, talk about an eccentric guy. I mean, holy crap. Yeah. So now the stadium is going to have a retractable opening. And I bet you would think this would be the roof. Like Arizona has that, where the Diamondbacks play. Because Arizona is a very hot place in the summer, and even the late spring, early fall. Uh, so the fans and players don't roast at these baseball games, they have a retractable roof where if the weather's nice, they open it up. And if the weather is very hot, then they close it. And they air condition it, and uh, it's nice anyway. I've, I've been in that stadium. So there is going to be a retractable situation in this stadium. However, not what you're going to think. It's actually an open-end st- stadium. Yeah, open-air, not open-end. An open-air stadium where there's not going to be a roof... But the retractable part is going to be the windows on the side. What? Yeah, there's windows on the side, like giant windows on the side to the stadium where you could look out or into the stadium, and they can open themselves up. But it's going to be open, that stadium. No matter what, the top of the stadium will be open. So now it is Well, it never gets that hot in Las Vegas. So. <laughs> now, it is true that, that football season is mostly during uh, cooler weather. So I guess that's what they're thinking, but I thought they had plans to do other things with the stadium, and it's going to pretty much render it unusable during the summer. No, during the summer, they're going to make the world's largest pizza. They're just going to put all the toppings out there in the stadium on the field and just let it bake. (laughs) So that's surprising to me that they build such an expensive stadium in the end of the 2010s and not put a retractable roof, something that they had in Arizona in 1998. Seriously, what the fuck can they do with that in the middle of the summer? Like nothing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was sure it was going to be a dome stadium. I was sure, even though football season... It would be a health hazard for people going there. Yeah, and I was thinking, okay, well, football season is mostly in the fall and winter, so that's understandable, but... Then the rest of the year, whether it's the month in the summer, is going to be useless. But maybe they decided that the those months it's not worth putting the expense into a retractable roof. But then they made these retractable windows, which are kind of weird. I don't understand the point of those. What, what's the point of that? I guess so people can look in and out from the outside. <laughs> what the fuck? And it's only on one end. On one end, there's going to be like a wall of windows that can open and close. But, okay, if they're windows... They can look in and out regardless. So what's the point of then op- opening? Like airflow? <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess. It's going to be a very large stadium, 65,000 seats. So it's going to hold a lot of people who want to watch these Raiders games. Oh, oh, by the way, I put a link to that story about that guy's 500-mile travel to get his haircut. Okay, yeah, it's in the chat room. Yeah. And... But what could they be using those windows for? This is really bothering me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is for air to blow through. I don't remember Vegas in the summer being all that windy, though. Is it ever windy there? Oh, it's windy in Vegas a lot, yeah. Really? Yeah. 
That's that's all desert areas have a lot of wind. Well, that makes sense, right? Because of the temperature differences. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the there's also an eternal flame that's going to be inside the stadium. Now, why do you think there's going to be an eternal flame there? Any idea? You're not talking about Nagorno, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, Sorry, he, Daniel. I can't help. He that. he wanted association with it. Maybe <laughs> I'm not talking about an, etern- an eternal flamer, an eternal flame. <laughs> Now, this will be for uh, longtime Raiders owner Al Davis, who died in 2011. This is going to be honoring him. Okay. So that's going to be in there. There will be a giant video board on one side of the stadium that faces outside of the stadium for people who do tailgating. All right. I've never seen that on a stadium before. That's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, it is. That kind of reminds me of... I probably would never even go to the game. (laughs) I'd just stay out and tailgate. It, it kind of reminds me of when you'd see depictions of buildings in the future mm. on the sci- science fiction programs, and these buildings in the future always had screens on them. And I, I used to think, oh, they're never going to really have screens on buildings, but there, there really are. There's more and more screens on buildings. Well, I was thinking more like drive-in movie theater, you know? It's kind of what they're turning it into. You can just drive up. Hang out, watch the game, and then leave. Now, it doesn't say whether they're going to be broadcasting the game or if it's just a screen with other stuff on there. So I don't know if, if that's going to be like a way for people to watch the game without going into the game. But maybe. Now, mark, mark my words. There's going to be some kind of tragic event involving those windows, <laughs> those retractable windows. Like some, some idiot's going to get like stuck in there or something like that. Now, I don't understand this part. There's a report that was made that estimates Las Vegas can expect $100 million worth of media exposure a year from the Raiders. Now, how do they monetize media exposure in this way? It's not like Las Vegas is an unknown city. So, okay, there's going to be a lot of talk about the Raiders. There will be coverage of them. Maybe some more people will take trips to Vegas to... Go see the Raiders, but but they're talking about a hundred million of media coverage or media exposure. But they, Las Vegas already has a lot of media exposure. I don't know if the Raiders being there is really going to be worth a hundred million a year to the city of Las Vegas. Just the media. Up top. I'm not talking about the presence of the team. I'm talking about the media coverage of the team. They think is going to be worth a hundred million to the city. I think that's an overestimate. But that's that's a claim from a report. And also, they believe that other that uh, sorry that holding sporting events. I don't know if it includes these Raiders games or not. Can generate an additional fifty-one million a year for Las Vegas. Wow, this retractable window is huge. Yeah, man. it's huge. It is. Yeah, it's like a wall of windows. Wow. That's actually kind of neat. It, it opens up so that it looks out over into... You can see the strip from it, the way it's orientated. But I, I still don't understand the point. Yeah. I, mean, but I, I thought maybe you were going to be a window convert at this point. I thought maybe you were... No, I mean, it looks awesome, but I, I don't see, like, why. <laughs> maybe if someone's sitting in the stadium and it feels a little bit uh, muggy in there, the air feels a bit still, and someone says, Hey, can you guys open the window over there? All right, hang on. Okay, there you go. Thanks. I mean... Yeah, that was weird. Okay, it says the design of the stadium 
in- currently includes retractable a retractable natural turf field and giant glass walls that open for a better view of the strip. Oh, it's the, look at the strip. Uh, it's it it's oriented right at the strip, and you can see through it. And but I don't understand, man. If it's a window, you can see through a window already. I mean, I don't know. And not only that, if you're going to a Raiders game, are you really at the stadium to look at the strip? Can't you just look at the strip when you're at the strip or from your hotel room? It makes for a really nice presentation. Let me put it to you that way. I wouldn't be surprised if that's like a feature that gets dropped. <laughs> it says it's a $1.9 billion stadium. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Holy moly. So, yeah, you can see these animations of it and uh, on businessinsider.com. That's where I'm looking. So. And your favorite, heavy.com, has got a nice summary of it, too. <laughs> heavy.com is actually pretty good. I, I'm pretty much a fan of heavy.com. Sometimes. sometimes oh, and I think I see things. the TVs that you're talking about. Holy shit, if they actually do what it looks like they're planning to do, it's like a an entire it's not just a like a screen that they hung out there. It's like a wall. Yeah, a giant wall is gonna be a giant like TV. That's wild. Huh? Props to the designers. <laughs> I mean it looks really wild. Yeah, you know, heavy.com, I I like them because they actually do what I do sometimes, where there'll be some kind of news story, some kind of interesting news story that's not like a top story in the news, but something that's of interest or kind of weird, where there's some odd characters or criminals involved, and you kind of wonder about them, but the mainstream media doesn't really cover it to that extent, and you're kind of curious more about the person you're reading about. I would sometimes do the research, like look up the person's Facebook account or look up other things I find about them and then post information on poker fraud alert that hadn't really been shared in most places heavy.com is that's what they do they they basically find out all they can about people involved in certain uh high profile stories or medium profile stories in the news and uh dig deep and give you the details about the characters involved and they're usually correct so i I do like them for the most part so That is happening, and if you guys remember, Brandon said he was very excited about this and plans to get season tickets. Mm. I think he and his father are going to go. So, Brandon, a, a big NFL fan, and has you know, he's been in Vegas for many years now, and he's been hoping for a long time that there'll be an NFL team. And The funny thing is the Raiders, who were terrible for so many years, are now actually... Uh, a team with a pretty good future. <laughs> I'm reading the, the, the comments on uh, this heavy.com article. <laughs> there are two comments. The second comment is Vegas is a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I love it. You know, uh, CNN actually has disabled comments on a lot of their articles. Yeah, because uh, especially political ones, they often just leave the comments off because they would turn into such shit shows back and forth that they got tired of trying to moderate it. Oh, and the guy who posted that Vegas is a shithole comment is uh, says he's a CEO at Bitcoin. Whatever the what? fuck that means. He's I don't CEO know. of Bitcoin. <laughs> it, it, he's his name is David Green, executive agent, 
at secret Dir- direct and CEO at Bitcoin. It's just some idiot. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, internet comments are like the aids of the internet. Oh, they, they really, really are. are. They're terrible. And that, that's why there are services like Discuss and stuff that specialize in handling those. And yeah, and also Facebook has got a, a commenting thing, which makes it a little bit better because then you actually have to have a Facebook account with right. like your actual name. And so that, that, that makes me not want to comment a lot of times because a lot of times they don't want to uh, well, then it's post working. under my own name. Yeah. Well, then it's working. <laughs> <laughs> right, Trev. <laughs> Although you've got uh, Nigel Fabersham, you could always just yeah. I do. Have, I do have, have I do have a few it. fake accounts. I have Nigel Fabersham, and then I have uh, I have an Alvin Finkelstein account, and I even have uh, one other account. I'm not going to name that. Uh, it's just a random name. It's not a meaningful name to anyone. But is it what you stalk people with? Is that why? Yeah. You're not yeah. Name well, it? I'll tell you why I use the other account sometimes. Uh, this is not that well known, but when Facebook suggests friends to you. And you think, how does it know I knew this person? Well, it, it uses a number of methods to do that. And uh, sometimes you're, if you're dumb enough to upload your emails mm. to Facebook, that it'll look up other people's emails on there and match you with them. But even if you don't do things like that, uh, or, and even if you don't have mutual friends with that person. For example, let's say you see an ex-girlfriend that it suggests you add as a friend. And it's an ex-girlfriend from 25 years ago that you haven't been in touch with. You don't know anyone she knows anymore. No mutual friends on Facebook. How could it possibly know that you know her? Well, the way it probably knows is because she probably looked you up. If you look someone up on Facebook, Facebook will sometimes remember that, especially if you go multiple times to their page, and then suggest you as a friend to them. So sometimes if I'm looking up someone that I don't so want... So Facebook is basically like, hey, this person is stalking you. Yes. Would you like to be friends with them? Right, right. And it, it doesn't tell them that's how they know. And the, you know. But I'm afraid that they'll like see that and think, well, how could like how could Todd possibly be coming up here unless he's been looking at me? Like I, I'm worried that they're going to figure that out. So then I'll sometimes just use my fake so account. So you are using it for stalking? Uh, yes, but I don't I don't want some people to know that, that I'm looking them up. Well, stalkers that. generally don't want people yeah. to know that. Well, no, sometimes they do. Sometimes they stalk uh, hoping to get the person's attention. I'm actually stalking yeah. hoping not to get their attention. I see. So, Well, Facebook does a lot of things. Oh, yeah, I know. Up and beyond that, too, and, to track everybody. Oh, and not only that, like when you run any of those apps, it, it gives away you know, your, your email, your... Uh, your phone number, your, your friend list, I anything that wants any info from me or any third-party site that wants me to log in through Facebook, never. Never. World Series? Never. <laughs> <laughs> and they said never, too. They removed it after swearing they wouldn't. I still want to know who the fucking genius is that suggested that. Yeah. Well, they were they were very insistent that it wasn't going to go away and were very... Like, I, I tried to reason with them. I, I tried to... Explain very carefully, without being... Not me, I just posted a way to work around it. Yeah, (laughs) I like that. (laughs) But I tried tried to reason with them, I tried to be very polite, and I tried to give them examples. I even gave them a real-life example. I said, my father, who likes to follow the World Series, not just for me, but because he watches for me, he'll start to look look up other players that he knows of, like Phil Ivey and ones like that, like... He wants to do it, but he can't and he, if it has this stupid login thing, and he's not going to bother with it. He's not on social media. He doesn't want to be. And you know, he's over 70 years old. This he's not, has no interest. He's been married for 50 years. You know, there's not, 
he, he just doesn't want to go on social media, even though he's very computer savvy right. for, for someone of that age. So uh, I say he's a perfect example of someone that you're just losing as uh, as a fan of the World Series. And like I, I explained, I said, this is a real-life person. <laughs> well, I, I get why they were trying to do it, right? Like, I understand what their reasoning was, but it's just it's just someone that just doesn't understand how the Internet works yeah. that decided to go ahead with that, and that's just mind-blowing. You know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing that someone is in the decision to make or is in the position to make a decision like that for a pretty big brand and just doesn't get it. Yeah, they were, yeah. You know, I mean, the huge mistake is obviously if you're trying to promote interest in the World Series, you don't make it tough for fans to read the updates. That's uh, you want you want everybody to read the updates as easily as possible. That's that that makes people interested in the event. You make right. it tough for them to follow the event. They go, okay, screw it. I'm going to go do something else. So, or they'll just read it somewhere else or. or you know, work or work around it or whatever. But it's I think just, most people just are going to say, "Screw it," and not bother the ones. Who, oh, absolutely! Like the really dedicated absolutely. people who who really want to see updates. Yes, they'll definitely work around it. But the uh, the casual fans are going to say, "Screw it." Right. So, anyway, uh, next topic: Amaya, the owner of Poker Stars. Hey, where's Traderuski? Right here. That's not Traderuski. Okay. You can't fool me. <laughs> Is he not around today? Um. He hasn't made any contact. Uh, let me see here. I, yeah, I, I've been just completely... Come on, Ruff, you're not bashful. You can make the, the first move. No, I, I've been completely ignoring all texts, both on my private phone, which I didn't get any. And I, I see I did get a number on the Poker Fraud Alert text number of 775-372-8355. So let me read these since you brought it up before we go to the next topic. From the 480... Uh, let's see here. the The question is: Will the NFL allow slots inside the stadium? I'm guessing no. I'm guessing there will not be any kind of slot machines or anything like that in the stadium. If Vegas had their way, there'd be one in on the back of every seat. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? They could probably make a land that accepts credit cards. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh. Not sure what they're thinking. When Arizona State plays games in the evening here in Arizona in September, it's usually still in the low 100s. They're being yeah. morons. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, you can have some very hot days in September. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's not as, like, L.A. and even San Francisco have their summer really in September. California has a, a late summer. It's, it's called seasonal lag. So, like, the L.A. area, the hottest days are late August, early September, whereas the rest of the country, it tends to be in middle of July. Now, Vegas is more like the rest of the country, where the hottest time is middle of July. But it can still be quite hot in September sometimes. So, I, I do think they're making a mistake. And, of course, then they just can't use the stadium during the summer months. I mean, even at night in the summer months, you're not going to want to be there when it's 9,500 degrees outside. Takes it a while to cool off. A, a very long time in Vegas. So, you just yeah. really... It's not unusual to have it be 100 degrees at midnight in the summer in Vegas. Uh, from the 956, here's an interesting one. In reference to the player Helmuth was talking about who was gone within a year, Eric123 is the suggestion. That's a possibility. Uh, that, that could be. Yeah, Eric Sagstrom. He, though, he, I, I wouldn't say he was gone within a year. For online, he was around for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, I will say that once he made the transition to live, he did kind of disappear 
fairly quickly. But I there's another guy though that if I fuck if I can think of his name, you're going to be like, oh, I remember him. But he's he, oh, God. I, I'll, I'll keep trying to look around for it. I was just surprised when I saw that recent picture of Eric Sagstrom, and he uh, he looks old now. Like he was this little kid to me back when I started playing. Well, a lot a of time has passed, Struff. I know it's been a lot of time, but he's all, he also just kind of looks old for his age. So it's just so weird to see this kid from like back in the early two thousands, who was like eighteen years old and, and looked really young, and now he just looks like a middle aged man. So it was a combination of him just getting older and also looking older than his age, at least in that picture. So getting to the Poker Stars topic, Amaya, once they bought Poker Stars from the Scheinbergs. The first thing they started to do was like, okay, how can we spend less money? How can we cut costs? And, and I don't blame them. I, I don't blame any company when they take over if they want to cut unnecessarily unnecessary expenditures in order to make more money. It makes sense. I always thought that these poker sites were wasting a lot of money on their so-called sponsored pros. Full Tilt was the one that really went crazy with it. They, they had like 120 red pros on there. And that was, was just a, a gravy train. It was insane. And you looked at some of these lesser-known ones, or little-known ones, they even you couldn't say who they were if someone had a gun to your head. What value they, were they... They just knew somebody. Yeah, what value were they bringing to the site? Like, who, who's joining the site? Because some of these unknown names in poker are, are pros there. No, just, I guarantee you they just knew somebody. You know what I mean? They were like a friend of the... You know... Yeah, that, that, I mean, that was some of it. But I also know of some people who were just signed because they, you know, they win some tournament here and there, and the poker uh, full tilt's like, oh, okay, yeah, you're a pro now. Sign them up. Yeah. So now some of them didn't get that much. Some of them only got like a hundred percent rake back or something. But still, a lot of them. That's a play. good deal. That's a good, if you play on there. That's a good deal. What am I hearing in the yeah. background? I hear like, what is that? Those are my, uh, what do you call it? Uh, rare earth super magnetic balls. Oh. So you're playing so with I'm, your ball, I'm, you're playing with your balls here around the yes, show. Yes, I am playing with my balls while I talk to you, Drew. I'll stop making. Uh, I'll stop clinking them together, though. Thank you. you I'll know, play I, with my balls more softly. This reminds me a bit of. I almost walked off a Neverwin Poker radio show about uh, nine years ago. So I, I was on remotely. I wasn't there in the studio, much like you are with me here, and. Neverwin and his then-girlfriend were in Mike On's apartment. And they were doing Radio Live with me. So, at the beginning of the show, I keep hearing... <laughs> over and over and over again. And I said, what is that? And Neverwin goes, oh, we're doing whippets! Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and I kept telling him to stop with the whippets. It was so hard to listen to. And I'm trying to talk, and I keep hearing... <laughs> He, he and his girlfriend kept doing that. And it, at first it was kind of funny, but then it just wasn't stopping and it was pissing me off. Uh, how the and hell I, do you do whippets on radio? <laughs> they were totally... That'd be it. really hard to do radio when you're... Yeah, so I, I told... I, I finally said to Mikon, Mikon just going, ah, ha, ha, whip. Like, Mikon wasn't doing it, but he just kind of thought it was amusing. He was probably stoned. Uh, never no. Was, never was doing whippets. And I just couldn't stand it. I just... I felt like I was in the insane asylum. And I, I finally just said, either the whippets stop or I'm just going to hang up. And I was really going to. I was just going to quit the show that day if the whippets didn't stop. So finally they stopped the whippets. So 
Okay, so so back to Amaya. They they've been cutting costs. They immediately recognized that the Scheinbergs had too many poker pros on the roster who weren't pulling their weight, and they started firing them rapidly. And they decided to redirect a lot of that marketing money toward pros who weren't poker pros. They decided that they are going to go with very recognizable sports figures around the world. That's the ones that uh, have a, an appeal worldwide. And that they were going to spend the money on them because these sports figures had a massive following on social media. And therefore, they they could bring new players. Whereas these poker pros were not going to bring very new players. Very, not, they weren't going to bring many players at all. Except for maybe the really big ones like Negranu. But the ones that are just kind of like fairly well-known online players are worthless. Or, or some you know, B-list live pro. Pretty worthless. And when I say worthless, like people aren't going to sign up to the site because just some poker pro you've heard of but isn't like a huge name is playing there. And Amaya realized that. So they started firing those pros and they instead went with sports figures. Now they weren't the first ones to do it. When the Scheinbergs owned poker stars, they had uh, signed some sports figures as well, including like uh, German tennis pro Boris Becker. But the Amaya version of poker stars uh, signed two very well-known players, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar Jr. to be poker stars pros. And they had to have been paid a lot of money. A lot of money. These are, these are both uh, soccer players. And they have, they have a huge following. Huge. In the U.S., you've, you've probably heard of them if you follow soccer even a little bit. Or you may have just heard their names mentioned. But since in the U.S., that's, that's a country that doesn't follow soccer all that much, they may not seem like big stars to you. But Poker Stars is not able to be played from the U.S., so they don't care. But as far as the markets that they are serving, these two are huge stars. Neymar is a huge star, and so is Ronaldo. Now, have you heard of either of them? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, that's kind of like me. Like I, I don't know that much about either of them, but I, I knew they were soccer stars. I knew that they were very well-known. Huge deal in South America and Europe. Right. And, and you know, actually most of the rest of the world. Right, right. So that's what poker stars realized, and they they I don't know what they were paying them, but they they were probably paid a fortune to represent poker stars. And poker stars said, hey, the, these guys have a massive social media following, and if it seems that if it's seen that they are associated with poker stars, that might bring new players. Whereas some B-list poker pros, they're going to do nothing. So that was the strategy. By the way, uh, I'm, I'm looking at Neymar Jr.'s Twitter. He has uh, 28 million followers. Mm. Yeah, I, I guarantee you that that's a, a Twitter account that gets rented out. Yeah. So... so uh, Amaya has done an about-face. They have decided that they're not going to continue with that strategy, and they have fired Neymar 
and Ronaldo. Now, when I say fired, it's a bit harsh. I more mean that they're just not renewing their contract. This was an email that was sent out to PokerStars affiliates. So PokerStars has not announced this officially yet, but they emailed this to affiliates. Starting April 1st, 2017, just three days from now, we will be focusing on our ongoing free welcome bonus offer. In addition, our branding team has designed some wonderful creative ad banners to help support your acquisition efforts and drive in some big numbers. That's like, that's like the softening of the, of the upcoming blow. Then they're going to drop the bomb. Therefore, as of midnight, March 31st, 2017, all Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar Jr. promotions, materials, banners, images, etc. will have to be replaced as the Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar Jr. banner creative will no longer be valid for you to use from that date. So they're saying that uh, not only are they not going to be repping poker stars, you need to stop using them to rep poker stars. Take down their banners. The contract's over. They're not PokerStars pros anymore on April 1st. And it's not an April Fool's joke. So they are just doing away with them. So their contract must have been up April 1st, and they must have looked at the money they were spending, and they probably said, well, I'm sure they bring in some people. But I think at this point, we're well known enough as the main online poker option in the world we don't think that what we're paying these guys is translating to new players in you know for that for that amount of money we're making from whatever extra new players they're driving here that had to be the reason so that's going to be that and it doesn't sound like they're really replacing it with much of a marketing strategy because they said we're going to be focusing on our ongoing free welcome bonus and our branding team has designed some wonderful creative ad banners. <laughs> so, like, we're firing two of the most recognizable names in the world that were repping poker stars. But don't worry, we're going to have a, a free welcome bonus and some neat ad banners. Well, and then they've also got this awesome game where you can play with nothing but winning players. Right. <laughs> so, it looks like they're just dumping salary here. They just don't want to pay these guys. They just want to save the money. I think they're trying to bring their operating costs so low to where they're going to make money no matter what. I think they've realized they've kind of hit their ceiling. And that there's... uh, Online poker, one good thing about operating an online poker site is if you're careful, you can operate it for relatively little money. A fraction of the cost of what live poker rooms cost to operate. Now, when you are a huge site like PokerStars, then you need a lot of employees. Then there is a substantial operating expense. But you can still cut it down. You can still cut it down to where you're running cheaply enough to where you don't have to be killing it in order to make a profit. And I think Amaya is realizing that the the poker is slowly dying and that a lot of these traditional methods to bring in new players, even if on the surface might seem like they're going to be successful, have been a failure. So I don't even disagree with this. If I were running Amaya, I'd probably be doing the same thing. I I think I'd probably say, you know, screw the the pros, whether they're sports stars or or poker pros. I 
we're going to start dropping them. And I, again, I think someone like Negreanu probably has the most value. I don't know how much they're paying him. Obviously, it must be a lot. But he at least has some value because uh, this is someone who's a very recognizable name in poker. He's likable. He's a whole lot of fans. Very involved in the world of poker. Very social. So to have him be the face and promoting your brand, that's one thing. But uh, all these extraneous pros and all these people who aren't even poker players that you're paying a lot of money to represent the site, it probably isn't converting, is my guess. So uh, I, I, I do think Amaya does some stupid things, but I don't think this was one of them. I actually, without having seen the numbers or seen the study that led to this decision... I think I agree with it. How do you feel? I mean, I'm sure it's just a numbers game with them. You know, they looked at the money that they're paying. They looked at what it's uh, what they've tracked that it's bringing in, and they decided it's not worth it. Yeah, I'm was- not surprised because in order to, and first of all, those are two huge names. It may not seem like much to us in the U.S., but they are monstrous names, and to get them to. Uh, endorse a gambling site. I mean, I'm sure they were paid tons of money. Yeah, that's so, what I think so too. And, yeah, so I, I'm not surprised that they ended up finding, figuring it's not worth it. Yeah, you know? and of course, you know, the more expense there is getting pros like that, the more they have to convert. So it, it is hard for right. them to some degree to tell how successful it is because not everybody signing up is going to say, "I'm here because I saw Ronaldo was uh, representing poker stars." Not everybody can do that, but the, they can take surveys. They can they can figure it out to some degree, and they must have realized it wasn't. Uh, well, marketing is nothing new, right? Marketing has been around for forever, and even before there was the internet, uh, marketers had at least some idea of the impact of the various campaigns that they were doing. Um, so while you're right that you can't track things down to a person, uh, you know, and have an exact number on it, you can have a reasonable idea of what, of what it's doing for you. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, if I was running a a major poker site, I would be doing pretty much what they're doing now is I, I would, I would want probably some major recognizable name who is the face of the site, like Negranu. And then beyond that, I, I feel I don't need that much. Well, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? I mean, if you're trying to get people that were not poker players interested in poker, um, then Negranu is not what you want, you know? Because, I mean, really, no one, no disrespect to Negranu, but no one gives a shit about him outside of the poker world. Like, no one really knows who he is, you know? Um, And so if you're trying to convert people that, you know, have never played poker or introduced them to the game, then you're going to want to pick someone that has really, really broad mass appeal like those guys. Yeah. Though I, th- um, I think they're and, gonna- it, and probably what happened is they just figured out that, you know, yes, these guys have really broad appeal, but we're not converting as many people as we would need to in order to make it worth paying. Them. Yeah. I think I would just, you know, as far as reaching people that aren't uh, existing poker players that I, I would just try advertising just traditional advertising. When I say traditional, I mean just running ads in whatever place I felt would be effective. Where? Rather than, uh, well, I'd have to think about that. But Because you are limited as a uh, gambling organization in terms of where you can place these ads. I'm not, in other countries, they may not have such restrictions. Oh, yes, they do. I mean, obviously not every country, right? 
Um, but in lots and lots of other countries, they also strictly regulate this stuff. Yeah. You know? and, and, and think about it. Like, okay, so your market's not – a lot of people think about it from the point of view of, well, you know, not that many countries are going to be as restrictive as the U.S. is. But <laughs> in, in reality, just from a numbers game, um, the U.S. is pretty free in that regard or liberal in that regard. If you think about it, like, okay, do you do you think you're going to be able to advertise uh, poker in China? No. <laughs> Middle East? No. I mean, there there are lots and lots of places. Indonesia? No. Lots of places where it's just never going to happen. You know? Yeah. Though though people with access to the internet now, they they can just find poker stars easily without even these stupid affiliates. They can just find because they're the biggest site. They're the ones talked about the most. At some point, you but, have, but they have to be searching for poker. Yeah, they and do. The but, point of advertising is getting you interested in something that you didn't know you wanted. But you know? but poker is a little different because you have to have something that you have to have some interest in playing at all. People with no interest in playing aren't going to see an ad for poker and say, "I want to play." There there has to be some interest in it, and I think you may have to remind people that that it's there and that uh, that it's an option for them to do. Uh, but, and some interest in it would be seeing your role model, like a Neymar, seeing your role model endorsing this thing and talking about it and seeing his face associated with it. Say, so, hey, I, I absolutely adore this guy. He likes poker. Maybe I should check it out. Yeah, I'm sure it has value. I just think it, it didn't yeah. – uh, the, the expense involved in that just wouldn't right. be worth it. I, I'm not denying that they got some players through these two. Right. I just don't. Th- I, I just couldn't see how that could be worth it, given what they must have had to pay them. So that's yeah. What- I'm just saying that the the type of person that you choose depends on who you're trying to reach. Yeah, that, and, that's and, and I understand that, but yeah. uh, and that's why I felt that them signing these a lot of these uh, low end poker pros just gave them no value because the only ones who know them are ones who are really into poker anyway and are never going to choose a site based upon who the pro is on there. Like I, I've I've never thought of it once. Oh, I'm going to go play on the site because such and such person's a pro. Never. So you never, you never said I'm going to go play on lock poker because Melanie Wisner is over there. No, <laughs> you never said. Well, that. maybe, Be maybe. Be I was actually considering. I said, well, if they steal my money, then Melanie can probably manage priority cash out for me for seventy five percent. That's was uh, she a red pro? I think she was a red pro at full tilt. Too, she was. Right? Yes, she was yeah, a red yeah, pro. Yeah. That was kind of. She kind of appeared. I shouldn't say out of nowhere. I guess she worked her way up and then was playing. What was she playing? Sit and goes or something. Whatever it was, she, she she was fairly successful on there. What she was playing, and people were like, oh wow, this you're playing with balls again. I am playing with balls. People, All right, I put them away. People were like, oh, you know, who's who's this? Who's this young girl with big breasts that? Uh, <laughs> Well, that, that, they couldn't know that. No, no, they did because she appeared. She started appearing everywhere. Started being pictures of her. She she uh, started promoting herself really heavily. It's like who's this young girl with big breasts that's like beating a lot of these full tilt games? Right. And she she wasn't like killing it. She wasn't like uh like had she been a dude, no one would have, would have noticed her. But because she was, yeah, able, I mean, honestly, being a winning poker player is an accomplishment. No, I know. So so the fact that she was majority or not, right? So the fact she was a winning player on there and was was a young girl with big breasts, like that that instantly got attention, and. Yeah. Then oh, snake in the ass says big breasts don't count if you're fat. But you know I don't, <laughs> I don't. You know even though I bash Melanie Wisner, I don't. I wouldn't describe her as fat. Uh, she's definitely not thin, uh, but she's very short. So any weight that's on her, 
it's much more noticeable than than on a girl who's taller. So she's really short. She's probably like five but feet she's, tall. She's one of those girls that I guarantee that if you look at her mother, her mother is probably like very like dumpy and frumpy. You know what I mean? And she's one of those girls that you look at her mother and you just know she's going to be like that. That, that could easily Not, happen at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know. You know what I'm talking about though. Yeah. Right. You you go over and you like you let's say you know you got a girlfriend and high school or college and then you go to visit the the parents and your your girlfriend is not you know she's like she's not overweight or anything like that but you can see that the potential is there and then you see the mother and you're like oh that's what's going to happen Th- sometimes you, know you have to, you have to look to see how much they look like the mother sometimes they just uh, they've inherited the looks from the father's side so then you have to look at the father and that's even tough tougher. So you go over to your girlfriend's house and you check out the dad. Well, you may have to. If she looks like the dad, then you you do have to. <laughs> no, no. You do have to check on check out him and, and then just kind of like between take, this and stalking people on Facebook, you're starting to worry you me. Got, bro. You got to take away. You got to <laughs> look at the dad. If she looks like the dad, then you've got to look at the dad. Take away like 30 years and then change the gender and try to figure out. You know. Wow. I, I never tried to look at the dads at all because I, no, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to envision that. You may have to, though. Sometimes they look like nothing like the mother. Sometimes, you know how kids, sometimes they look like one parent or the other, sometimes both, sometimes neither. So uh, there there are times where the kid does not end up, like even if the parents don't look good in middle age or older, that when the kid gets to that age themselves, still look very good, even without a lot of effort. So it just depends what traits they inherit, of course. So, uh but, but you know what I mean? It's almost like a, it's like a balloon that's about ready to burst. You can you can just see that youth is what's containing it. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, no, that, and as soon as they they hit that hump, it's just. No, no, you know? I, I agree that that's often an indicator, and it does have to be looked at, especially if the girl does look like her mother, seems to have traits from her mother. Then you do you do have to look at the mother and say, okay, that's that's what it's going to look like in this many years. I'm just saying sometimes it's not the case, and. But I, I, I can understand. And that's what why you're you check out the dad. Yeah, and that's yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and I can understand what you're saying. And there are girls who do only look good or decent right now because they're young. And uh, well, you uh, could say it for for everybody, right? For guys too, right? Well, yeah, I'm sure I mean, guys. Youth, are, I, youth is a wonderful thing. Yeah, well, I, I just don't notice guys much. But that's uh, well, you're looking at dads. What are you talking about? You don't well, but I forced guys. myself to notice guys in that case. But uh, okay. but uh, yes, th- there's some people that uh, are destined to not look, you know, to not look very good in a short time. But just because they're young at the moment, uh, as you said, it's contained, and they they still look decent for the moment. But then, you know, in five or ten years, it, it'll go downhill. Now, of course, everybody once they get old enough. Then it, you know, it, it's going to get everybody. No one's going to be hot when they're eighty. So, male or female, that's just the way it's supposed to be, you know. Because they want uh, nature wants us breeding when we're uh, in the prime age. Yep. So, uh, but I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, though. That uh, and, you know, it's it, it's even funny when I go back and look on Facebook. You know, going back to the Facebook stalking. Uh, going and looking at girls I dated like 25 years ago. You know, now there's a lot of time involved. 20, you know, the ones like 25 or more years ago. There's a lot of time, and it's interesting the variance I see. And, and I wasn't all that good at predicting who was going to age well and who would not. Mm. Like some, well, thought, a lot of it's lifestyle related too. I mean, obviously there's genetics involved, right? But 
you know, people that uh, don't bother to exercise or eat well. I mean, it's just all over. There was a girl I dated in 89, so now we're talking about 28 years. Holy shit. And, And she, like two years later... Is this a girl you banged in the the bathroom in the on the flight or no? Oh. But two years later, she her, she was already like losing it somewhat. I'm thinking, wow, I can only imagine what she's going to look like when she gets older. Mm. Well, shockingly, seeing her Facebook now, and she's you know almost 45 years old, she looks very good for 45. She, she, she pulled it out good for she, her. She pulled it out. She looks surprisingly good. I would have never imagined that she would look Did like you this at pull it out, Drew. I we actually didn't have sex. We didn't oh. get we we broke up too quickly. It didn't and you know back then it it's yeah you know, at that age it it didn't happen as fast. So <laughs> not for me it happened really fast. <laughs> no, it probably would have happened fast. You're talking about. It would have happened fast if it happened fast, but uh we didn't <laughs> right. we didn't get there. I didn't get all the way around the bases. But but uh but it really I was surprised uh that she still looked good at at this age where others that I would have thought uh, would have held up very well, they don't even look like the same person anymore. Like, not even close. I know people change a lot in almost 30 years. But uh, some of them, I was really surprised how much they changed the worse. And then there's others that, that that's held up surprisingly well, where they still look you know, pretty damn good in their mid-40s. So. Snake in the ass says, Melanie is going to be 300 pounds in her 40s. You know, I could I could picture... You know what I could picture with Melanie? I, I think could, she's going to be that big. But. Well, let me tell you what I could picture with her. I could picture that at some point she'll get married. Yeah. A, guy, a guy with money, obviously. She'll marry a guy with money. And then, at that point, she'll stop trying to contain the weight issue. Right. And she'll stop caring that much. And then... So I could see, like, if she's been married for a while... If that the flower she, attracts a bee, it doesn't need petals anymore. Right, so then, then it could really go downhill fast. But the one thing that may be her savior is that she's kind of so shady that I could picture that she couldn't hold a marriage very long. So she mm. may actually have that in mind, like, hey, I'm not going to be with this guy for life. There's a good chance this is going to end, so I, I can't let my looks go downhill because I may be back out on the market soon. Like if she's, if she's always thinking that she may not be with a guy for life... And that this could end any time, then she, then she does have to keep it up because you can't just. Now, now wait a minute, Druff. Wait a minute. You don't think Melanie's going to marry for love? <laughs> I, I'd have to guess no. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'd have to guess that's not going to be completely the factor, from what I know of her. She's going to marry for priority cash outs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe she'll give like priority cash outs in the divorce, like. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe she'll agree that you know that as part of the divorce settlement that she'll cash out her poker accounts and the husband will get uh half but only half of the amount that she gets somehow she'll keep an extra percentage somehow she'll find a way and make it look like she's doing him a favor like he'll, he'll end up getting a quarter of her bankroll and it'll look like she's doing him a favor even if she now what it. about i mean you know it, you're certainly right Maybe that that is something that she would do. I mean, I knew I knew girls that I, I wouldn't call them gold diggers, but it was um, you know it was pretty clear that they were going to try and marry someone with means, you know, for whatever whatever reason. Um, but what if what if Melanie ends up marrying you know another kind of mid stakes poker player? You think that's possible? Yeah, it's possible. I'm just saying, somebody who's who's always just seems to be. 
uh, to, to money and, and the pursuit of it, and it, when it's so important to them and dominates so much of what they do, it, it's just hard to imagine that they're going to get away from that. That mm-hmm. is, that's not going to be seen as important to them anymore. But yeah, is it possible? Like, I, I do believe she has the ability to fall in love with a guy because she really likes him legitimately and not uh, not for money. But then again, the 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 money element is so strong with her that that could interfere. See, here's the thing, though. Like, you know, obviously she has faults and the whole lock poker thing and all that kind of stuff. But I never, and granted, I, I didn't really keep track of her much, but I never really saw her or knew her as being someone that was trying to live an extravagant lifestyle or anything. No, it wasn't really like that. It was just it just seemed like she was always hustling for money in some way or the other. It Maybe just, she's it, just trying to make a living. Right. <laughs> it, it was to an extreme. It was just it was just really to an extreme and uh that that's what was started to really put me off to her. And then and then with the lock poker thing, it was like even to the point where it hurt other people. You know what I mean? Like I think she's a different class. Like I, I certainly have known women as well who are have very very extravagant. Yeah, that's not her. I agree. I agree. That's yeah. not her. I, I I agree. She's not like high maintenance. That's right. true. And uh, she's not someone who needs. She need lots of fancy dresses. Yeah. you know, she I, doesn't need to go to Cabo every other weekend. I agree. She may not be like a huge spender. That's that's right. probably true. Uh, and and so she's your people, Drew. <laughs> that's that's probably why. Yeah, that's probably why she's a uh, probably the the cheap Jew part of her is uh, overrules the. Like she loves money, but then she's cheap with it. That makes sense. I can understand that being a Jew myself. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I could be wrong, but uh, I I've had such a hard time with a lot of her decisions. She just looks like someone that's so hard to trust. It's it's hard to for me to picture if she stays this way that any kind of marriage could work out, and that uh, and that if she did get married that money wouldn't be some part of it, even if she isn't living an extravagant lifestyle. If she is, a lot of times money can be important to someone and at the same time they're cheap. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, money being important to you doesn't necessarily mean you're uh, spending. You mean like a, from a security point of view, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just, yeah, like security or just to feel that you have it, feel that like you're successful. So there's a lot of different reasons. It's interesting you bring this up because there's there's a lot of different reasons that people want to accumulate money or make money. Some people it is just to live in a very extravagant lifestyle. Some people it's to show off. Some people it's to have security for the future. Some people it's for their security for their children. There's so many different things. Sometimes it's a combination of these things. But uh, uh, Sometimes it's to keep the lights on, right? Yeah. Sometimes you get... You have free rolls for your poker site, your poker forum, and uh, you you just schedule them in a way to where you can keep the lights on, even if things aren't going well for you. Pay it forward. So, let's see, the next topic here. Tony, so, did you ever find Trader Ruski? No, he, he just kind of, uh, let me see, he could be, let me check my phone again. He, he usually texts me on my phone. He's one of the fortunate... People to have my actual. Oh, phone he's blessed. Well, you are too. You have it too. Oh, oh, that's actually the the real Druff phone. Oh, that's that's you can't. Get more I didn't real even than know that. I had right? the Druff. Oh phone. yeah, you can't. You can't get more real than that phone. Wow. I, I put a lot of effort to get that number. I put a lot of effort to get that number. 
Is there? I never even paid attention to it. <laughs> That's, that makes me feel bad. It's almost, no, I really didn't. Is there something unique about it that look, I should have? Look, look at the phone number. I mean, don't say it out loud, obviously. But oh, okay, I see. I yeah, see. I put okay. a lot of effort. I can see how that would appeal to you. I put a lot of effort. I had to. I don't know how you managed to get a phone number that says balls upside down. Though. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty impressive. See, now you're giving away five digits. <laughs> yeah, they can't do anything with five digits. At least they don't know where they're placed. Yeah. But you got to, hey, placement of the balls is very important, <laughs> too. I mean, come on. Um, I think there's actually a way with, yeah, there's a way you can make a calculator say balls if you turn it over. I think that's probably what probably. you're referring to. Probably. Well, boobs, I know you could do. There's boobs. I think there's balls also. I think I think a, f- a 7 was the L. Yeah, and then the 5 was the S. Hey, careful, careful, careful. You're giving away the number. <laughs> so I, I used to I used to create math problems. I'd tell someone, like, type in this times this, and that turn over your fo- you turn over your calculator and look, oh, it's just balls. I guess that's, that's what I did in math class. You remember those graphing calculators? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was very proud when I came up with an equation that made a penis. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, kids, the kids today they don't have things like this they yeah they don't have a well, no you can do that in google you can you can plot any equation you want and it will draw it for you that's not as you interesting could, as having a calculator though and just they, yeah uh, it's true because yeah, you know i could look really smart i'd be plugging this thing out check this out you know yeah and then a big dick would come up yeah i used to, i had a i had a cool calculator that you could actually uh it didn't have graphics on it, but you could actually program it to do things. You could actually write programs in it. And uh, I was so sad one day. I was, I was messing around with it. I was walking to my car. I was holding a bunch of stuff. So I put it on top of my car while I put the stuff in my car and then just drove off. And Oops. That was the end of it. I, I couldn't even find it. But I, I did something like that with my phone. I put it up on the roof of my car and forgot about it and drove around. And I, I drove literally all over the the town, and I couldn't. I, I didn't know where it was. Somebody called me. <laughs> Somebody called me, and I've got hands free in my car, so I'm talking to them. And I'm just like, okay, look, you have to stay on the line because I've got to figure out where this thing is. I pulled it over next to a bank. Was looking everywhere because I'm like, I know that the phone is fucking here somewhere. If this person's able to call me. I found it on the roof. It just stuck there. It never went anywhere. Speaking of a bank, you just reminded me of a story. Since since, since we were talking about this airline thing, I once was driving around with with a girl I was dating, and I've we, never had sex in a bank. We, we were looking just for a, like a some kind of parking lot to stop, like a dark parking lot to stop in and, and do that. So I just picked a parking lot. That looked dark. There were no people around. It wasn't well lit. You know, I, it looked like a good place to do this. So we were starting to mess around. You wanted to get on the security cam? <laughs> well, actually, I, we were messing around for a while. Fortunately, we didn't jump into anything because about 20 minutes in, the cops knocked on the window. Uh-oh. And the cops said, what are you doing here? And I said, we're just kind of sitting here, you know. What do you think we're yes. doing? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Come on, bro. <laughs> they they said, why are you in front of the, what, you know, why are you stalking this bank? I said, no, no, no. They they thought I was stalking the bank to break in. Uh-huh. Someone reported there was a car just sitting in front of the bank mm-hmm. that's just sitting there after hours, and they were suspicious. So the, the cops, you, you would have thought they'd understand 
But then they got very concerned. It was, I remember it was a male cop and a female cop. They got concerned that maybe this is some sort of uh, rape situation. So then they okay. separated. Yeah, they separated me and the girl. They brought the female cop brought her over to, uh, away from me, and and just kept pressing her. So you're sure you with you're with him voluntarily? He, he is he trying to do anything to you? You don't want like she, she uh-huh. she's trying to force an answer out of her that I'm some kind of rapist. And the girl kept saying, No, no, it's fine. I'm with him voluntarily. Yes, I want to be there. No, he's not doing anything bad. Please, you know, she just kept over and over saying that they just weren't dropping it. Finally, you're like, Lady, I was gonna spread my leg. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so finally, they just gave up. Finally, they came back and they still had to scold me. Like, you can't just park in front of a bank late at night. It makes us think the wrong thing. And you know, the, so they gave us some lecture and went away. But they 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 really wanted to arrest me for rape or attempted rape. There, they tried very hard. The, the girl, if she really was mad at me, she could have really done it. They would have. No, that, that would be a horrible thing to do. I know. They, they were just waiting to pounce. They were, they were trying so hard to put that idea into her head that she was not there voluntarily. Mm. So, okay. Anyway, that, the problem is, it's like in a, a city that's relatively small. Not, it wasn't a small town. It's in the LA area, but it, it's a relatively small city that doesn't have much crime. So the cops have like nothing to do, and then that mm. results in things like this. So, okay, Tony G. He has been around in poker for a long time. Did you find Trader Ruski? No. Damn. He has been seen on TV uh, acting loud and obnoxious. He was known best, perhaps, in his televised poker days for playing against a guy with a Russian background named Ralph Perry and told him that he's going to send him back to Russia. So... On your bike. On your bike, he like used to like to say, too. Also, the shit that he would say to Helmuth was pretty pretty yeah. epic. So, Tony G, uh, he, he pretty much uh, quit poker a number of years ago. He played occasionally after that, but a number of years ago, he stopped actively playing poker. Uh, he was one of the founders of Poker News. And Poker News, at one point, for whatever reason, he took an interest in Neverwin Poker and wanted to add Neverwin Poker to the Poker News empire, and did. And they actually did own Neverwin Poker until Neverwin Poker pissed everyone off enough to where it wasn't worth the hassle anymore. And and, and that just tells you what the poker world was like back then. Yeah. Because now, I mean, it's just never going to happen. Yeah, never. You know? And they paid six figures for, for Neverwin Poker. Well, first of all, there there isn't the, the critical mass to support, you know, a huge base of people. Um Outside, like, you know, pretty, I mean, I, I know Poker Fraud Alert's got forums and some other sites have forums, but really, it's nothing like what it used to be. No, not even close. You know? So, yeah. so anyway, he, I, I had a, a, some dealings with him, and I'll say this about Tony G. Uh, for all his obnoxiousness on TV, uh, he, 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 he acted honorably during the time he owned Neverwin Poker, even when... They weren't, you know, Poker News didn't keep to all their promises of the way they were going to let us run it. I understood it because it was kind of uh, becoming a thorn in their side. Uh, he was reasonable in the way we separated from Neverwin Poker. He was also reasonable in that I didn't own Neverwin Poker. I owned none of it. And that was a mistake because I helped build it up a lot without actually owning anything. And I, at one point, as the poker boom was happening, I, I was asking Mike on, hey, I want you to give me a piece of ownership here because I've done so much here. But 
you know, he was a good friend of mine. He kept telling me how broke he is, and I'm doing so well, and why do I need a piece? You know, it's, it's just, you know, he, this is a, you know, an important part uh, of income that, that, you know, what little he gets from there. So I, I let it go. I shouldn't have. So when Poker News was going to buy it for a lot of money, I thought, crap, I really did a lot to make the site what it is. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to take credit for things I didn't do. I really was a very large part of why that site became what it did. I mean, if, there, if there's one individual that made Neverwin Poker as active as it was, you know, the, the most influential person on there up to that point, that was me. Now, there were others who, who definitely helped, even some users who uh, were legendary on there. I'm not saying I did everything to make it what it was, but I, I was a very large part from the very start. But I didn't start it. I just joined it very early and really built it up. It would have gone nowhere otherwise. So when all this money was going to be paid for something that I really helped build up and had a huge part in building up, I, I was frustrated. And I told Mike on that. And I told everyone that. And I said, I want part of the money that's going towards the sale. But both of them were flat broke. And both of them were telling me, no, we can't do it. We need the money so badly. We can't. We can't give you part of the sale money here. With you know, we each own half. You don't own any. I'm sorry. We're each getting half the money. You're getting nothing. And I got pissed. And I was considering I was just going to quit the site. And Tony G, to his credit, heard about this, and he said, "Look, you know, if if Todd really is important to the site, I'll just give him." Uh, you know, some some token money out of my own pocket, and and hopefully, you know, it's, it's not going to be what he's looking for. But hopefully, giving him something will make him happy. So what they did is they, he gave me five thousand dollars from his own pocket, Tony G, and he also gave me a, a small percentage of the gross revenue every month. So it wasn't that much. I didn't make all that much from it. Uh, Mike on and everyone made a lot from it, but they each made six figures on the whole thing. I didn't come close to that, <laughs> but at least I got something, and it all came from Tony G. So, now, yes, you could say he was doing this selfishly and that he felt I was an important part of the site and that it might fail after he bought it if I were to leave, but at the same time, he was the one who suggested this. And when we separated, he was pretty fair about everything. So, I, I also watched him get screwed over by Tiffany Michelle when they sponsored her to enter the 2008 World Series, and they paid her entire buy-in. She was a reporter for them at the time. And then she got really far, ended up miraculously finishing 17th. And when I say miraculously, I really mean miraculously. And as she got deep, and here this was, you know, this pretty young girl making it deep in the World Series during the poker boom in 2008, that was worth a lot. She ditched the poker news patch and started wearing a UB patch of all things. And Tony was very unhappy about this and said, look, we're the ones who put you in. How can you drop us as a sponsor? We're the ones who bought you in. And she just basically said, F you. (laughs) Thanks for buying me in. I wore your stuff up till now, but I'm switching sponsors now. Now, Now I'm a UB person. So... Tony was very unhappy, but, you know, he, he handled it pretty well. I think he wo- wrote one editorial about this, about how he didn't appreciate it, but he was 
reasonable and classy in his response to her. So, you know, despite Tony G's brusque mannerisms you see on TV and even sometimes when you meet him in person, uh, he, he seems like an okay guy. So uh, that, that, was, that was my impression from my involvement with Tony G. I don't know him really well, but I deal, deal with him somewhat because of uh, Never Went Poker. Anyway, back to the Russia thing. Uh, Tony G is a member of the uh, Lithuanian parliament. He's from Lithuania. And he has been banned from entering Russia. He's banned from Russia. He can't go to Russia, period. Uh, According to a site called Politico Europe, it was said that the likely reason for his ban was uh, a support of Lithuanian energy independence during a hearing in the European Parliament. And a Russian diplomat disagreed with him. So, they went back and forth, and as a result, uh, they decided they're banning Tony G from ever entering Russia. Here is Tony G's statement regarding the Russian ban. He posted this on March 27th. Statement on Russian ban. Got blacklisted by Russia. What is my crime? Poker fans at large say it's because of my famous victory against Ralph Perry. He played terrible, and I sent him back to Russia. Since then, I've been telling plenty of Russian players to get on their bikes. It seems like they've had enough. And then he put a smiley face. The truth is, I've always respected and continue respecting Russian poker players and common Russian people. In fact, one of my best friends in the world is Russian. Oh, jeez. <laughs> one of my best friends argument. Hi, it's just so bad. Hi, Kirill. After winning the Russian Poker Championship in Moscow in 2007, I donated my prize money of 250000 to Russian special to a Russian special needs orphanage. I personally supervised the renovations the money was used for. The more obvious reason for being blacklisted is speaking up for freedom and democracy, as my EPP group and the European Par- Parliament colleagues noted. That's the price of politics, and I'm ready to pay for it. It's a shame I wasn't able to play in the recent Party Poker Million event in, in, in Sochi. Congratulations on the numbers for that event. I would have won and given all the money to a local orphanage because sometimes the oligarchs forget that sharing is caring. So that's his official statement. But anyway, he has been uh, banned from Russia and, uh, of course, Poker News, which he's founded. He doesn't own it anymore, but Poker News covered this and was very positive toward uh, Tony G. Something that was done under the radar, I don't know if you guys remember, we've talked about this on this show, is that Poker Stars actually owns Poker News now. And that was very much done under the radar. So, the weird thing is they, they, they operate independently, so they have affiliate deals for Poker Stars competitors. And Poker Stars too, but it's, it's not like it's only promoting Poker Stars. It's just more like, I think just Poker Stars, number one, probably saw them as profitable, and number two, uh, saw them as a major poker media outlet and wanted control if necessary. Well, also, they can't just turn it into 
a mouthpiece for poker stars because then they'll lose credibility. So right. it, it will lose value to them if that's all they did with it. Right. But they could have done some subtle things like kicked off major competitors from the affiliate program like Party, but I guess they they didn't want to rock that boat. They just let them run affiliate deals for everything as if they're not owned by poker stars. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any real reason to do that, you know? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that that's happening. Not much more to say about that, but a little bit interesting given all the send you back to Russia stuff that, uh, Tony, let me see if I can find this on YouTube. The send you back to Russia thing with Ralph Perry. See, I think that's an accomplishment, though. You know? To get banned from a country. Yeah, especially Russia. To get banned from anywhere. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and this is at the Intercontinental Poker Championship. And interestingly enough, Ralph Perry was at a final table of someone you know. Me. He was at the final table. Ralph Perry, of, right in the middle. He, he was the one who, uh, he, I, I, uh, I believe I even knocked him out at the 2005 3K Limit event. It's a funny sight. Seeing those three guys on one side of the table and Tony G on the other. I call. I want to play with him. I got a weak hand, though. I'm still calling if you raise, unless you go all in. I might still call if you go all in. So there's a fa- famous thing where uh, Ralph Perry had a King Jack offsuit and, and Tony G had an ace deuce suited. Ralph Perry might raise here. He's got King Jack offsuit. How much more? 80 more? You know, now that I think about it, Druff, it seems like that Kasuf guy kind of did a, a poor man's imitation of uh, Tony G. Yeah, he kind of did. You're right. Yeah. I'm calling. Tony G's telling Ralph Perry how much to raise. How much more do you want to make it? Just tell me. Can you put the clock? What is this? Ralph's just sitting there silent. He seriously called for the clock here. It's gotten out of fun and games here. And Ralph Perry's going to raise 120000 120 more. How much more has he got? I'm all in. All in. So you're going all in with the ace you suited, and it's actually good. It gets King Jack at the moment. You want to <laughs> do this? Do this properly. Yeah. What do you think I am? I'm here to give my chips away to you. Now, in this instance, Tony G's Ball. playing brilliantly. Ball. And Ralph Perry calls. Tony G got to Ralph Perry. Wow. You play very well. You play very, very well. Wow. Wow. Right. I cannot see Ralph Perry calling anybody else in this situation. You're a champion. Send you back to Russia. <laughs> and the flop. Pair of deuces now for Tony Ace G. And Ralph Perry King is Jack. in trouble. Drawing semi-dead on the flop. <laughs> Putting all his money in with King Jack calling. This is not something someone to learn from. Ralph Perry needs a king or a jack. Seven, Seven on the turn. Pay the board, baby. Ralph Teach Perry him a good lesson here. Is down to the river. Needs a king or a jack. Yeah! Yeah, baby! Come on, Russian, get out. It's time to go. Yeah! Look at this. Look how he's doing. Look how he's playing. Look how ugly this is. You're a professional player, and I can do this to you. You're a terrible player. This is disgraceful. <laughs> I think this is why Russia banned him? That's what he's saying? See, this, this is when poker is entertaining. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I want bring the Russians on. Bring more Russians on. I'm here to get them all. 
You play that as bad as you can. Your career is finished. You are gone, gone, gone. Feel the power. You feel my power, baby? Feel my power. I think Tony G is speaking more like a Lithuanian than an Australian right now. I got you covered. Is this how you play? You call with King Jack? Which school have you been to? How close is those? Ralph what Perry is looks like Mike Tyson after Buster <laughs> Douglas got through with him. I love you berating the guy that lost. Re-ignited. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the worst there. You lose in this situation. He just keeps berating you after this. Uh. Cold War. What you covered like a baby? <laughs> oh, boy. Up, and, up and away. Up and away. Come on. On your bike. On your bike. Despite the assault, Ralph Perry taking the high road. He's in shock. Now, he doesn't deserve any applause. He called with King Jack. He doesn't deserve any applause. If you read my poker strategy, I tell everyone, never, never overplay King Jack. Sam, you know that's the hand you can overplay. If we play... So, I guess Russia, all these years later, got their revenge. This is probably like 10 years ago. On your bike. After after sending Russians on their bike. I guess Tony, uh, I guess he biked us, too. He put us on our bike in 2009. Okay. Uh, Something that needs to get on its bike is the Garden State Super Series on, on Party Poker. Borgata in New Jersey. The New Jersey poker scene, the online poker scene, continues to be an epic failure, as it also is in Nevada. The legalized online poker scene is a disaster. And uh, here's the details to where uh, you will understand. The GSSS, the Garden State Super Series... It began in 2014. It's on Party Poker in New Jersey, which is associated with Borgata. It was a big online tournament series that you could only play if you were physically located in New Jersey. I believe they're holding it like twice a year. Uh, the one that they had in October 2016, they really tried to go for the gold. They had 75 events... And they had guarantees for these events that added up to more than $1 million. $1.1 million in guarantees. PokerStars at the same time was having a New Jersey championship of online poker, so it was to compete with that. Well, it was a disaster. This is back in October. The uh, GSSS 5 was getting overlays in just about every event. So every time, uh, Party Borgata was on the hook. For those of you that don't know what overlay means, that when the guarantee is there for a tournament, they don't get enough buy-ins to cover it. So they have to cover the difference. Uh, Then, if it wasn't embarrassing enough, when the main event came, suddenly the site site started having geolocation issues and uh, people couldn't play. (laughs) <laughs> great timing there oh what a strange coincidence so they had they had to um yeah of course this could have been on purpose they had to turn they uh, they ended up having to cancel those tournaments that were taking place that day they had to come up with a some kind of compromise on how to distribute the prizes for tournaments that were 
interrupted by this. The ones that didn't start, they could just cancel, but some of them were already in process. The whole thing was a huge mess. That's why I think it probably wasn't on purpose, because the uh, there were some existing running tournaments that had to be stopped. So, that was the, the GSSS 5 in October 2016. You'd think after that mess, they'd just give up on it. But no, gluttons for punishment they are. They decided to have the GSSS 6. And they said, well, let's see. Our big problem was the guarantees. So, instead of cutting the guarantees in half, why don't we go even farther and cut it into a quarter? So they only offered a total of $265,000 in guaranteed prize pools. They figured with that low of guarantees and the fact that that's the most money they could possibly be on the hook, that how badly could it fail? Well, of course, the answer is it could still fail. So uh, it's, again, running short. I haven't looked, but as of a few days ago, there were uh, seven events run, and they already have collected. You know, with, with all seven events total, they've uh, the buy-ins, add-on, add-ons, and rebuys. These are tournaments that have add-ons and rebuys too. Failed to add up to the amount of guarantees. Now it's only short by a little bit. That's uh, they a hundred thousand dollars in guarantees had been there, and then uh, they collected about ninety-one thousand in buy-ins, add-ons, and rebuys, but still. Here, here's how it went. Event number one, 10,000 guarantee. They beat it with 11,600. So, okay, off to an all right start. Then, event number two, which is a 215 no-limit re-entry. 50,000 guaranteed. They only collected 40,200 worth in buy-ins. <laughs> that's, that's pretty short there. That's pretty short. Uh, the next one, a, a smaller event, a $20 event. 5000 guaranteed. They only collected 4428 Next event, 10000 guaranteed. They barely beat it with 10650 Next event, 10000 guaranteed. They beat it with uh, 13450 but that was only a $55 event. Next event, a $109 event, 5000 guaranteed. And they only got 4000 in the prize pool. <laughs> and then this one might be the most embarrassing of all a $55 PLO with rebuys you think that would attract a lot of people no 10,000 guaranteed only 7350 collected <laughs> and, and keep in mind people see that these overlays exist and, and start registering when they see that so th- this is after people saw there were overlays and rushed in there they still fell short so, I have a feeling that's going to be the end of the GSSS, or if it's not the end, they're going to stop with the guarantees. Because this is a, it's a mess, and it's a, even if they don't lose that much money, it's an embarrassment. So, also, there is only a relatively small pool of players in New Jersey interested in playing online poker. So, the market was already saturated, and then PokerStars came in just a little more than a year ago. And parties' traffic started to sink because some people moved to PokerStars. Not that PokerStars is doing great, but uh, they, they're they 20 to 30% down in traffic 
compared to a year ago, and you have to think that's because of uh, of Poker Stars. So the future's not looking good for Party Borgata for their poker site. Now they do make money a lot more money from the casino portions of these sites, but the poker's been a disaster. Speaking of poker being a disaster, the Monte Carlo Poker Room is going to close. It's yet another poker room closing in Vegas. They just seem to be closing one after another. Just not enough players. Are any new ones opening up? No, no. Except for the new hotels, but no. uh, Other than that, there's no casinos that didn't have them before that are adding poker rooms now. So... An email came in to Shiz Money, a routine listener of this show, said the following. In the early morning hours of April 25th, 2017, the Monte Carlo Poker Room will be closing its doors. We thank you very much for your patronage, and it was our privilege to serve you for the last 20 years. Effective April 1st, 2017, we will permanently discontinue all promotional rakes and payouts. The promotional pool will be redistributed via high-hand promotion starting on April 3rd through April 12th, 2017. That's what they have to do when, they have the, when they've collected pools that go out of some sort of jackpot. They, they can't just keep them if the room closes. They have to find a way to distribute it. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to change it to a high-hand promotion where you know, every hour, whoever has the highest hand uh, gets the money. All comps may still be redeemed at the Monte Carlo Poker Room through April 23rd. After that, all comp redemptions will be completed at the Monte Carlo M-Life Rewards Desk through December 31st. The expiration date of all comps will continue to follow the normal comp policy. However, after December 31st, all unused comps will expire regardless of the expiration date. So if you've earned comps at the Monte Carlo from playing poker, make sure you use them this year. That's my words, not theirs. Our sister properties at Aria, Bellagio, MGM Grand, Mandalay Bay, Luxor, Mirage, and Excalibur will welcome you with open arms and be happy to continue the service you've experienced here for over the years. We thank you very much and bid you a fond farewell. By the way, I, I've seen the attitude you get at Bellagio with the poker room. They, they don't welcome anyone with open arms. So that is happening. April 25th, about four weeks from now, there will be no more Monte Carlo Poker Room. Poker rooms don't generate that much money. This space is better used for other things. There is a draw factor where people will come into a casino for a poker room and then spend money on other things or other games. But in a lot of cases, they figured that, especially with smaller poker rooms like Monte Carlo, it's just not worth having that there's not many people coming in to specifically play there. So they might as well just close the room, especially when they have rooms and other properties of theirs that they can refer people to. And uh, that's what's happening with the Monte Carlo. So that's the story here. And uh, expect more closures. Just live poker in Vegas. There's more rooms and tables open than they have players. One big problem is that there's so many different gambling options in Vegas that poker takes a back seat in many cases. And the casinos really don't want you playing poker because they want you losing your money to them, not to other players. So they're really only making money in the rake, and that's just not as much compared to what they'd be making from you in the casino. Which is also the reason why you don't get very good comps if you play poker. Let's see what else we got. So, uh, do you know what uh, <clears throat> what Ask Me Anything is? AMA. Yeah. 
on Reddit where yeah. basically <clears throat> someone goes on there, usually someone of note or <clears throat> interesting profession or whatever, and they you ask them anything, and it's supposed to be uncensored, and you can ask all sorts of you know yeah <clears throat> horrible and and awesome things. So apparently, a uh, an ISIS jihadist <laughs> posted and asked me anything on Reddit. What was that real or is it just a troll? For real? No, I mean the the guy was for real, and some of the responses are. I mean, it, it's certainly interesting, you know, insight into his uh, his psyche. But the thing that caught my attention about it is he did this um, in November of uh, 2015. Yeah. Uh, and he, the same dude, he was killed in an airstrike the next year. Oh. The guy who did the, the Ask Me Anything was taken out in an airstrike Oops. in Syria. Yeah, a lot of times doing things like that will be their undoing. Well, I mean, you know, if you're going to be a jihadist, you know, you might want to be a little bit stealthy about it. You yeah, know? It's, it's amazing. Instead of doing an AMA on Reddit. <laughs> it's amazing how some... Some of these dumb mistakes are made, which allow them to be tracked down. So, uh, this is a weird story. I don't know whether I believe it or not. This is on CNBC, but that doesn't mean anything. It's claimed that three investment bankers were using a poker game as a cover for meeting to trade inside information. Uh, this is what it, what it said here. The, the thing that's bothering me about the story is it doesn't give the details you'd think would be made available, especially because it's talking about something that happened two years ago. It says over this, the, isn't gonna, this isn't going to be like the other story, right? Where it's going to end up being five people and it, they're all... It probably will later. This was just... Uh, posted on CNBC two days ago, but it wouldn't surprise me if an update came out. It's totally different. It says, Over the course of a few evenings in 2013, the heads of trading from major investment banks got together for some poker nights. It was a bit of relaxation from their hectic schedules, but what their seemingly innocent hands of Texas Hold'em revealed was a story of traders gone rogue. After every poker night, there would be a big spike in the profit and loss statement for the traders involved because they would be colluding and tipping each other off about trades. But it wasn't until 2015 that this was discovered when the companies were under investigation by authorities. A law firm brought in to look into the suspicious activity was handed piles of communication documents, but it was artificial intelligence software that managed to find the link between Poker Nights and the collusion that had taken place. Now, what's bothering me here is this this was stuff that happened in 2013, was discovered in 2015. This article was written two days ago, 2017, but what's notably missing is which major investment banks are involved and what are the names of these guys and if you know, if they were under investigation and charged for this why why was this never reported and if it's being reported now why aren't their names being revealed why aren't at least the companies being revealed it, it's almost like this is just like a, a a rumor that was going around and now CNBC is reporting on it without really having the details to verify it. So I wouldn't be surprised if it is like that, where suddenly the story changes when the full details come out. But the interesting part of the story, if it's true... Yeah, so Drew, if I Googled this story, um, Behavox Poker... Yeah. Number one hit, obviously, the CNBC, right? Um, and actually, it's the, the top three hits are CNBC... 
And then the next hit is americascardroom.eu, <laughs> then gambling911, and then the Druff and Friends show thread. <laughs> so, but, which so, is, you know, it's kind of cool to see that. But what what's bothering me about this is, I mean, this is the kind of story I would expect it to be more than single-sourced, right? right? It should be. Right. Yeah. So, you so know? yeah. So how, how are we like the sixth link? I just posted that thing today, by the way. This is this Druff and Friends show uh, agenda. So, well, Google Google actually sometimes does it. Their their algorithm is really interesting. If you have a site that <clears throat> that they crawl, and if you post something relative that's kind of long tail, like this is sort of a oddball thing, they'll put it up on the front page and just see how many people end up clicking through to it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. So yeah, so the the Biavox you're talking about that is the name of the AI software. I hadn't mentioned that yet, but that is what it's called. It's a, a, U, a UK startup that has created this AI software that analyzes a whole lot of different details and supposedly can catch things that a human might find irrelevant and have missed. So in this case, it matched the fact that they were going to play poker and spending long periods of time doing it. Uh every night that there was this uh, furious trading where it was suspected they, they were doing insider trading. So basically, it was fed into it that they were suspected of committing insider trading on such and such dates, and then the program looked at, okay, what were they doing on these dates, and found that one common thread on all these dates was that they all went and played poker together, and it was uh, that was brought then to the attention of those that, that ran this AI program, who then put it together that the poker nights were just a cover for them getting together to discuss matters and, and commit insider trading. And you may say, why poker? Well, it would make sense that they, they have an excuse to meet rather than they're just meeting that night and then suddenly doing insider trading. This way they're, they're meeting for poker, and so it, so it looks reasonable why they're meeting. Uh, supposedly, one of the reasons that the Biavox program flagged this, not just the correlation between the, the nights that the insider trading was suspected and the nights of the poker game, but also that it was suspected that these guys should be too busy to spend as much time playing poker as they did. So that supposedly was flagged, and then they looked into it and figured out that the poker game was just a cover. But it does bother me that this... Why don't we know which banks were involved? I mean, this sounds like a major story of of, uh, the heads of trading from major investment banks getting together and, and... doing insider trading two years ago and being caught two years ago. They did it four years ago. They were caught two years ago. And somehow we don't get to find out who they are or which banks they're working for. It's really weird. And now we're like the front, one of the front page Google things just because we're well, covering the, it on the radio. Well, that's probably a temporary thing, but the, I don't know, man, like a, a story like this almost makes me wonder if this isn't, you know, one of those kind of paid pseudo ad things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I, was wondering too that this it, it could be a a story that was fabricated to advertise this uh, this piece of software because this just seems like too major of a situation. You would think this would be a huge story, not something that can't be found other than these people basically quoting the CNBC article. So the CNBC article came out. Well, that, that's the other thing, Druff. Is <clears throat> this article? Half the article is not really about that poker game. 
Like the article, literally two thirds of it is about this company, and, and I don't know. I mean, it's it seems like it's, and and maybe the company put it out. Maybe it's it's not CNBC kind of fabricating this, and I, I don't know. But something is not right with this story. So I wonder if this our, the author here, Arjun uh, Karpal, was just bribed to write this story. I just why is CNBC doing this? Though is CNBC really just going to put out fake news now? That's uh, an advert a backdoor advertisement. Are they really? I mean, d- d- would CNBC really be? endorsing such behavior or is this arjun karpal who wrote this is he taking money to write this about this bia vox I, I i felt it was suspicious too it's just weird but it may not be that the story is i mean the the person writing it could very well have gotten the information from that company i mean it sounds like they're doing a they're doing a profile on this company right the guy who wrote the story is their technology correspondent right so the the story really is a profile about this company, and you know maybe this is just some kind of an anecdotal thing that, uh, in interviewing them, they told them about. Yeah, but because this is bizarre, man. There's no there's no way that this wouldn't be bigger news. W- wouldn't this be something that would immediately jump into the head of any reporter of if it's claimed this occurred? Wouldn't it jump into his head? Okay, before I report this. Shouldn't I make sure this happened? Yeah. Which banks were involved? You know, who were the people involved? Were they arrested? Were they convicted? What's the story? Like, like th- these are not very deep things one has to think about when told a story like this. But it seemed like the guy had no curiosity who wrote this article and just well, yeah. These also could be it could be a true story that's overblown. Like these are not major traders. These just could be like who knows? You know, like minor minor traders involved in the yeah. companies and. Who knows? It could be. It's so weird. But anyway, that's the only reason I'm mentioning it on here on the show is it, it has to do with scams and it has to do with uh, with poker, of course. Even that's a uh, only a portion of the story. But I saw it today and said, "Oh, I'll mention it on the show." But this is just one of those things where you read something on the internet, and even if the source seems like it's a decent source, in this case CNBC. You still have to wonder, especially given the total lack of coverage of this elsewhere. It's really just CNBC and others copying CNBC, ourselves included. When I say copying, I mean just reporting on the report. So here's here's something that is real news. Wells Fargo. We reported on the show before about that big Wells Fargo story that happened earlier where it was revealed that they were setting up accounts without customers' permission as part of uh, a quota system that all bank employees were under where they had to they, they were told that they need to sign up every customer for like eight accounts and would were under tremendous pressure to do so. And employees started to commit I- illegal acts of signing people up for accounts they did not want or ask for. And that, of course, is illegal. And the bank looked the other way. They knew this was happening, but they looked the other way because they wanted these goals met. So there was a class action suit against Wells Fargo because there were about 2 million accounts that were fraudulently opened including my mom 
It was really weird what my mom went through. And she told me about it at the time. It was long before the story came out. She said, I had the weirdest thing happen with Wells Fargo. I went down there. They kept pressuring me, pressuring, pre- pressuring to get this credit card there. I kept telling them I don't need it, I don't need it. They, they finally convinced me to just let them explain all the benefits of the card. And they told me some wonderful benefits that I've never seen before that were so good that I couldn't pass it up. So then she told them, well, look, the only problem is I have to go. I'm too busy today. I, I, I can't sit here filling out an application form. So, you know, I'll do this another time. And the person said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Good news. Because you've been such a long-time customer of Wells Fargo, we can just put it through immediately. And my mom said, really? Yeah, no need to apply. We're just going to put it through. Okay, so, so we, have, uh, we have your permission to, to put it through, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So my mom leaves. Well, there is no such thing as just putting it through. They just were so desperate for the new account. And my mom said she couldn't do it that day. They were afraid she would just walk out and never do it. That they lied to her, and what they actually did was pull out an application, fill it out for her, and forge her signature. They also put down that my mom was a cleaning lady for occupation. Why? Because they knew over there that certain occupations were getting approved more than others, and for whatever reason, cleaning lady was getting approved a lot. So they, uh, they put down an occupation cleaning list. Now whenever my mom goes through these things, these identity uh, questions online where it, you, know, you have to verify your identity, it'll say things like, what is the previous job you have held? And she has to answer cleaning lady. So what, what they did was not only did they forge her signature and fill out an application that uh, they claimed wasn't necessary, but they also completely lied about the card's benefits just to get her to sign up, because had they told her the real benefits, which were mediocre, she would not have done it. So when she got the card and had spent some money on it, thinking she'd get certain benefits that she was not, and did not get them, she was serious about it and had a big fight with them, and they gave her some kind of lame compromise, which she still got only a fraction of what they promised she'd be getting, so she was very pissed about the whole thing. Only years later did she find out that this was part of the whole scam where they were doing this to millions of people. And that this is pretty much known all the way to the top, all the way to CEO John Stumpf. So there's a class action lawsuit regarding this, and it was just settled. Wells Fargo has agreed to pay what sounds like a rather large sum of money. One million dollars. $110 million. So they already paid a $185 million fine to authorities in both uh, for the, both the United States and in California. But now they're paying $110 million as part of a class action lawsuit. Now this will go somewhat to the victims. Of course, some of this goes to the attorneys behind the class action lawsuit. But and there's 11 other pending class action lawsuits that are also currently uh, pending. Supposedly, this practice went all the way back to January 1st, 2009. So this went on for many years. It only ended last year. Uh, 
Wells Fargo said it's waiving its right to take customers into what's known as a third-party arbitration, where it goes to a private mediator instead of court. So the the, the problem was that uh, they were uh, they were insisting that they have a right to do that, and uh, Wells Fargo has been under pressure to give up its right to use arbitration. So they they finally. Uh, said they will give that up. So, an attorney involved in this whole thing is very proud of himself, says, we believe this is an outstanding result obtained for the benefit of a proposed nationwide class, notwithstanding Wells Fargo's effort to block the class action with an arbitration clause. So, this is where the $110 million is going to go. I don't think it's very good at all, and I'll explain it in a second. First of all, anything that were out-of-pocket losses or fees that were a result of these unauthorized accounts, it'll first come off the top of that. So if you, had, if you were signed up for an account with fees that you did not agree to, then you will get that money back. Or any other kind of losses that you suffered that can pr- you can prove as a result of what they did. Not, when I say losses, I don't mean because you're frustrated or, or things like that. And even things like my mom, I think, will be like things like that are going to be hard to prove because my mom can claim, oh, they promised a card like this, but they'll say, no, we didn't. So, and they're not going to be evaluating each little one like this on its merits. So, only ones with easily identifiable loss, direct losses, they'll pay those people back first. But that's not really what happened that much. There, I think there were like $18 million of fees total. There wasn't that much paid in fees. This wasn't about collecting fees. This was just about propping up falsely the number of accounts people have to boost the stock value. So some will come off the top there, but I don't think that's going to be the bulk of it. So at first that's going to go there. And then the remaining money will be split among the customers that were impacted by this, including my mom. I was not impacted this way. I was never signed up with any account I didn't want. I don't know if they're going to correctly identify all those people. It'll be interesting to see if my mom gets a letter about this. I I don't know how much the attorneys are going to take. That's not mentioned here. The attorneys take a very large portion in these cases. I always felt that's a, a huge flaw in the class action model in that the attorneys get paid way too much. Because what they do is they go after large companies that are very deep-pocketed, that are willing to make settlements, sometimes in the hundreds of millions, or the tens of millions. And then the attorneys will get you know, 35%, 40%, which is, which is a staggering sum of money. I mean, yeah, they do a lot of work, but not that much work. It's not just that. You know, there's a whole industry built up around that. I got a, a buddy of mine that works at a, a company that what they do is basically uh, handle the grunt work of these class action suits. Oh, really? <laughs> where, yeah, where you know they'll they'll take care of the notification to to try and get in touch with everyone who could potentially be involved. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, I actually do know about that because I've seen when I've been part of it that it's third party companies handling that type of stuff. But there's a whole industry that is funded through this. It's not just the lawyers, and yeah. it's that's more money that's skimmed off the top of whoever is, uh, you know, was aggrieved. Right. And, and you also don't always get paid directly in cash. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But sometimes you just get, you know, credit for some kind of service the company's providing, which is especially right. terrible. Like, I, I remember the worst one was 
Sprint, who I had at one point, was passing along a certain charge to the customer that they should not have been. It was some, like some tax they needed to pay that they shouldn't have been allowed to pay to, to pass to the customer and were. So over years of having Sprint, I think I paid like you know $200 worth of these uh, taxes they should not have passed along to me. So what would have been the proper solution? Well, send me back all that money or give me a bill credit for that much money. No. What I got as a settlement for that class action lawsuit was a 20-minute calling card. (laughs) And even when this occurred, I'd say it was about between 10 and 15 years ago. Even then, calling cards were useless. This wasn't the 1980s where a calling card was great. Anytime after 2000, a calling card was something you'd never be using anymore. So that, that was my settlement for $200 worth of taxes that should not have been passed along to me. So that should never be allowed. I mean, they should have been paying the lawyer in credit card and calling cards too. The, the, the lawyer should never get paid in a way that the class members uh, don't get. If the lawyer gets cash, the class member should get cash. But that's, it doesn't always work that way. And even when you do get cash, you usually only get a small percentage of of the money you should have been owed. In fact, many times it'll be announced that you're going to get such and such as a class member, most likely, and then you get a small percentage of it. I was once told I'm going to get uh, $134. I, I get a check for uh, you know, 23 that type of thing. So class action lawsuits, I, I support them in theory, which allows when, you know, when a large company does something to cheat each customer by a small amount of money to where each customer would never take legal action on his own just to recover you know, $20, $30. That makes sense. I think that's a, a great tool to stop big companies from behaving badly. But the, the problem is the victims, the class members, they usually get shit. And it's the lawyers making all the money. So there needs to be a lot of reform in the whole class action lawsuit procedure. There should be a cap, in my opinion, of the amount that a lawyer can receive. They shouldn't just be able to have an open percentage where they get, uh, if it's a large settlement, they get a huge portion of it. Yeah, I'm sure the argument they would make is that if you make it not interesting or profitable to lawyers, then the lawsuit's just not going to happen and the company's never going to pay anything. Yeah, I just think it's. I think the lawyers, if they kept the cap to where they still there's still plenty of money in it, where plenty of law firms would want it, but but not just obscene money in it. I think that would and then make rules about how people are paid that it can't be in services or anything like that, unless the people want the services. I mean, the God's honest truth is that most uh, people, especially when you know, a lot of these class action suits are for you know relatively trivial things. And a lot of people just don't give a shit. Yeah, that's that's the know? problem. That's the and problem. they're just never going to pursue it. So if someone comes out of nowhere and says, "Oh, here is a hundred bucks," you know, they don't care. They're like, "Oh, great, hundred bucks." You know, but it is demoralizing as a class member to respond to it and think, "Okay, I'm going to get a hundred bucks," and then you, either you never hear from them again, or you hear back, "Okay, here's your your four dollars and eighteen cents," and you say, "What?" And then you look what the lawyers got out of it. And you can't believe it. So it's 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 infuriating and it's 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 defeating the whole purpose. Really, the ones benefiting from this are the lawyers, the class members. In a few cases, they'll get something good, 
I, I know somebody who got a pretty large settlement, like a five-figure settlement, in a class action lawsuit involving. You know, you ever see these ads for these cooking schools on TV? Like Le Cordon Bleu and other ones like mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently the whole thing was a scam or semi-scam. I shouldn't say a full scam. It was a semi-scam where they, they did teach you how to cook, but they grossly overstated your ability to get a job and what the job will be paying and, and their guarantee that they're going to place you somewhere. It was all BS. It was all BS in marketing. And then when you really went to the school and paid a whole lot of money for it, then you'd get out and you couldn't get a job. And they just pretty much say, tough luck. That's the way it is. So there was a class action lawsuit. I think it was against the court on blue. And there are people actually, I knew someone who got five figures from that, but that was an unusual one. Usually the amount of money is small and usually you get, you get either nothing as a class member or something, a small percentage of what you were out in the first place. So we have a PFA member who is involved in a class action lawsuit. Who's that? Larry Laffer. Oh. And uh, actually, it'd be kind of cool if he called up to uh, give some details. It's yeah, kind of relevant. I'd like to hear about that. So anyway, this uh, I'm not expecting my mom's going to get a large payment from this. I, I think it's going to be probably pathetic payment. Now, there's 2 million victims or so. So you take $110 million, even if you want to say, okay, let, let's pretend in the ideal situation... Uh, none of the $110 million goes. nothing comes off the top to pay those fees, which is not true. But let's just pretend nothing came off the top. And let's pretend the lawyers are not going to take any of it, which is also not going to happen. Unless the 110 is after the lawyer's fees. But let, let's just say $110 million is what we're dealing with. With 2 million customers affected, then the most they're going to get each is $55. So that's the best case scenario, but it's not going to be $55. But... It's going to be a fraction of $55. So so what if you get a fifth of that? $11. I mean, it's a joke. What if you get half of it? $27. It's a, if the bank does something like this to you, you, you really deserve a lot more than $27, even $55. That's a pretty bad violation to be forcing you to have accounts that you don't want as a way to, stock up, to prop up their stock price. So there, there should be... A much greater settlement. $110 million sounds like a lot, but for a huge company like Wells Fargo, that's nothing. And for each member of the class, since there's 2 million people, that's nothing. So, uh, oh, yeah, this, is, this is kind of funny. I, I had an issue at Wells Fargo starting like late last year. So it was after the scandal. I, every time I went in there, they acted really weird. Especially when it'd be like withdrawing cash, I was going to gamble with. I get these weird questions, like they're prying questions of what I'm going to be doing with my weekend. Just like, they seemed like overly prying, and I was concerned that they were suspicious of something or trying to investigate me. I couldn't imagine what for. But it's happened a few times in a row, and I got tired of it. And I, I, I finally just one of the times I went in unrelated to this, I said, "I want to speak to your branch manager." I spoke to him. I said, "Look." I'm very concerned about this. And I said, you know what? I was a victim of fraud here. Not 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 the Wells Fargo fraud, but someone stole checks at the post office that I mailed to two different Poker Fraud Alert members and used that to open up a Target debit card. So, you know, I was a victim of fraud and Wells Fargo agreed it was fraud and they I switched accounts and all that and went through the whole process. But I said, ever since that happened, every time I come in here, I'm, I'm treated in a really strange manner. So I'm afraid here that my account is flagged in some way as being suspicious 
And if this is true as a result of me being victimized for fraud, and not even much fraud, it was like $200 worth of fraud, I said, you guys have got to stop this, because otherwise I'm just going to close my account and leave. Because I'm not the criminal here. I was the victim. So they said, yeah, we understand. So they looked into my account. They showed me the screen. They said, look, there's nothing. We don't know what they're doing there. But And there's a different branch of it. But a, we're not seeing anything. There's no warnings about you, nothing. So we're not understanding why you're experiencing what you are. And then they, they told me what their theory probably is. They said that, well, well, two things. First of all, when you withdraw a lot of cash, it's in general that they, uh, uh, sometimes it's a little alarming to them. Not about me personally, but just any time. But it's number two. We had complaints after that big scandal with with the accounts. They said we had complaints here that uh, that the, our bankers are too cold, and that all they cared about they, they only saw the customers as a number to open up a bunch of accounts, and that the, uh, there's no personal relationship. So they told all the bankers apparently to start making conversation with the customers, but the conversation just came off as creepy to me. So I, I wasn't sure if I completely believed it all, but. Uh, it, it was weird, and I had also had the weird situation where I tried to withdraw $7,000 cash one time at a Wells Fargo branch. Uh, this was early this year. And I had put in a check like a few days beforehand, and I had been waiting until the check cleared and said the funds were available. So it's it said available online. And when I went into the bank to withdraw $7,000... They said, uh, hang on a second, we've got to make sure it was collected. I said, no, no, it was. It says available. They said, no, I know it does. I said, okay, well then, give me the 7000 They said, no, just because the, it says the funds are available doesn't mean they're available. <laughs> and I, okay. said, I said, wait a minute, Well, th- then what could that mean then? What, what does available mean? What, what yeah, la- Larry, here, turn off your radio. <laughs> okay. Uh, Drove, I'm going to tap out and listen. Okay, okay. Uh, good night, Calwatt. No, man. Okay, oh, so. good night, Calwatt. So, Larry, you've replaced Calwatt. Welcome. Let, I'll, I'll finish telling the story, then I'll let you tell us about your class action. So, I said, wait a minute. What does available mean if you say available doesn't mean available? What can it possibly mean? They said, well, that just means we're making it available to you as a courtesy, even if it hasn't cleared yet. I said, okay, then make then, then it's available to give it to me. They said, well, no, we've got to check. I go, well, then you're not making it available as a courtesy. They're trying to explain to me. They're trying to tell me that they're doing me some kind of favor. They're trying to tell me that they're making the funds available, but they're not really available. I'm like, look, there's there's no middle ground. Either you're going to give me the $7,000 and it's available, or you're not going to be, and it's unavailable. There's no way there's a middle to this. It's either I can have it or I can't have it. And there's no way, no matter how much you try to talk this into sounding like it's something reasonable, there's no way to frame this. That it's it can be anything else but available or not available. It's got to be one of the two. And if it's not available, then your system lied. And if it's available, then give me the money. So they 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 still were not agreeing. They kept saying no, 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 no. Yeah, there is a middle ground. Yeah, we're we're doing this as a courtesy. I go okay. Well, then extend the courtesy. They they couldn't explain it. They they could not explain it. So uh, it, it turned out they were. In, it turned out the branch was doing something they shouldn't have. I, I spoke to corporate after this it turned out that if it shows available then they have to make it available that there's no that there isn't a middle ground that they were just uh you know they they were doing this again to just in case it was fraud but that's that's the whole point of available that's why they will hold up funds sometimes is to make sure the check is good 
but they can't say it's available and then tell you it's not available. So they, they promise that won't happen again. So that was one of the several weird things that happened with me where I checked on it, but they insisted everything's fine. We're not, we're not, uh, suspicious of anything. Because this all started right when I had that fraud occur against me. And I thought, this is so weird that I have this fraud happen to me and now they tr- they treat me so strange every time I come in here. So I was about to just shut down. And prior to that, the, everything had been good with Wells Fargo, except for them, you know, forging my mom's signature but uh, as far as me personally they, they'd always treated me well and i never had any crap like that so I, I still thought that maybe there's something they weren't telling me maybe it was my account was flagged in some way because it was defrauded because sometimes people claim they were defrauded when in reality they were the perpetrators like they they spend money and then say oh it was fraud so this way they keep whatever they bought and get the money back so i was trying to explain to them two hundred dollars is a small fraction of what i have in my account like i i wouldn't be even if i was a scammer it wouldn't make sense to have the money i have in that account and be scamming for 200 like they're like no no we totally agree but they're insisting to me that there's nothing funny there's no notes about me so whatever i had to had to believe them but it is just wells fargo has been so strange over the past year. So, Larry, what's going on with your uh, with your class action suit? Well, well, well. First, I'd like to say that I could comment on anything banking related, but I don't even have a bank account. So, uh, why don't you have a yeah, bank account? I've never experienced. Uh, I don't know. I've <laughs> never had one. Well, didn't and you... I'm, I'm not getting one anytime soon. But doesn't that make it tough? Like, if you don't have a bank account, you you don't have checks, you don't have uh, credit cards. Like, well, how, do you... how does it? Well, how does it make it tough? I just play poker. Does the casino ever give me a check? No, they give me cash. No, but to spend money on things, it would be very tough for me. Like if, if, if someone just took all my credit cards now, just said we're confiscating them all, and I don't lose any well, money. They just cause took Because you're, you're a credit card whore, you'd be fucked. No, right? no, no. It's not, even about, no it's, not mean, even, it's not even about credit card. No, do you have a credit card at all? I have one. Okay, so you do have a bank account in some way. It's a credit card. Well, it's, it's a credit card. How could that be a bank account? Well, it is, it's a form of a bank account. It's not the same, but it's a form of a bank account. I've, okay, so at least you have a credit card. But then doesn't it become hard to pay the bank? What, what do you do to pay it? Do you pay with a money order or do you pay with a... Yeah, send them a money order. There's places that give you free money orders. See, I don't understand that because... Or it might cost, it might cost like... Well, you know what? I Actually, I, I had family that was in in the like currency exchange business. So pretty much know how it works. And yeah, it's really easy to get a money order. It's really easy to live... Without a bank, people just don't know how to do it. But but it's so it's so much easier. Like like when I pay my credit card bills now, it's so much easier. And this is part of the reason why I do the credit card bonus whoring. Is if I had to physically mail in bills of all these different cards every month, I'd go crazy. But I just go online and I I transfer money from a bank account I have to a credit card, and it's paid right there and it's done. It's so much easier than than mailing in. Now I know you only have one credit card, but still, I'm just wondering why why not have the bank account and make it easier. Well, I mean, hey, you know, you're just in a segment and how the banks fucked everybody, right? I, I, mean, I, I didn't friends lose left and right telling me that their banks are screwing them, taking stuff out, charging you when you don't have enough, charging you just to have something. What the fuck do I need that for? Come on. Well, I've, I've had really? bank accounts for, you know, my whole life since I was an adult, and I've never had money actually stolen from me in any way from any bank account like other than like where there's fraud and they give me the money back but i'm not i like right now as i stand i cannot say that any bank has even a penny of mine that they should not have okay so we're going to talk about class action lawsuits right because you you were just talking about that and i am i am involved in one 
I was just involved in a civil suit against a, a bar. Um, and it's basically the same thing. They, they each take that 33% because there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, it takes a lot to go down to the courthouse, file that lawsuit. You know, you, you have to do that. Sometimes well, you have well, to are pay you, well, Hold on. Are you talking it. about a class action or a contingency? The, the contingency ones that were just you suing, you know, just you well, suing like someone else. That makes, action that makes sense. The I'm involved in right now is contingency. You no, know, no, no, I, I, no, I'm, I'm not saying anything. No, I, I know, I know, but there's a different. I'm talking about like if you have some incident with some business or something, and you want to sue them, but don't want to spend the money to do it, and you you make an agreement with an attorney to where you won't pay any money in any case, but that they're but that if you win, they're going to take a 33 percent. That happens all the time, and that makes sense because the attorney has to get paid for their work. That's fine. I, I have no problem yeah. with that, but but uh, the problem with class action suits, they're they're done the same way with a contingency basis. But the problem is because there's mass sums of money involved, like 110 million. If they take 30 percent, 40 percent, they just take an obscene sum of money for it. That that just but, dwarfs but, the amount of work they put in. But well, Jeff, you don't know how much amount of work they put in. Like the one I'm involved in right now, we're going on two years. That's two years of this guy having to go back and forth. And make sure stuff is filed and, and, and appear and, and do all this. I mean, listen, you know, no one just takes a, a lawsuit and just says, oh, fuck it. Let's just, you know, we'll, we'll do this as quick as possible. Both sides drag it out. And no, it costs I, money to do that. I know, I know there's expenses. I know there's legal fees. I know that the attorneys have to be paid. I'm not against them being paid. I just feel there has to be a cap to where at some point when it becomes ridiculous, when they're getting some obscene sum of money. Well, where do, well, where do you cap it? You say uh, lawyers can only take uh, 25%? No, no, it's not a percentage. What, you, you, no, do it? what, what, what they should do is they should have something where both a percentage cap and a hard cap where it can't be more than a certain amount of money. It's, it's, uh, or they can have then a, you won't have, But then you won't have any lawyers trying to take these cases. No, of course you will. They just it won't, won't be worth it. No, it would be totally worth it. This Wells Fargo one, I don't know what they're getting paid, these lawyers, but, uh, but if there was a cap of. Uh, you know, ten million, eight million. I'm sure that plenty of law firms would be happy to take that because it, you can do a lot of work. You, you would be surprised what law firms are willing to take it. Oh, they, it takes so much time and takes so much. Energy. Yeah, but to that, for that much money, they can easily do it. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of money there, even for expensive lawyers. So uh, anyway, which one? So what is this this class action you're involved in? What is that about? Well, it's it's basically it's it's against the city of Chicago for. Uh, some police misconduct that me and some other people uh, uh, encountered. And how many people? And, are, uh, how many people are in the class? Well, right now, I think there's. I mean, there's literally there could be thousands of people who um, were treated this way and can be part of this lawsuit. Right now, I think the last time I checked was about 300 people on it. Uh, it started with one guy, and then. People started, you know, coming on, and then once there was 20 people, they could form what's called a subclass. So that's what I'm part of. I'm part of a subclass to, you know, person A's class action lawsuit. Okay. Well, so how long – now, is this one you're expected to receive a lot of money, like this like Cord and Blue lawsuit I was talking about, or, or is this one where you would, you would only get a small amount? I mean, I'm sure you'll get more than, like, $5, but what, what, what is expected? I mean – I mean, let's just say that uh, it's pretty high profile once it gets through, and you've seen what the city of Chicago pays to 
other police brutality victims and police misconduct victims. So yeah, there, there's definitely going to be some money involved in this once it finally gets through. But, you know, like I said, everyone fights it tooth and nail. Everyone tries to hang it up. Yeah. Well, the city of Chicago is a notoriously corrupt city. So I, you know, a lot of times in these, in these type of cases where police brutality is alleged, it's very tough because I know it does occur. I know there are bad cops well, out there that do things, but then there's also a lot of criminals who will uh, have brought it on themselves, or, or who are exaggerating or making it no, up. No, no, and I and and, and, I and totally agree. But, with but, you but there. when Chicago is involved, I have to say, whenever there's something, some kind of misconduct that's alleged against the city of Chicago, I tend to believe the ones alleging it because Chicago is just so notoriously corrupt. I, I just I mean, say I can believe it. Listen, like you know, like I've sent you. Uh, stuff about this, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, it is pretty believable. There's a lot of evidence to support it. And unfortunately, we might be, you know, held up in today's political climate because, you know, the new attorney general might not really care about any of this, whereas the old one did. So, you know. Well, if it's, but if it's a lawsuit, uh, it won't involve the attorney general. Well, this is not only a, a class action for that, but it's also to, uh, we're also suing to have the Department of Justice come and, you know, finally get into the Chicago Police Department. That's what we've been trying to do for a long time now is to get someone to come and, you know, investigate what's actually going on here. So that's also part of it. So it's very multifaceted, I, I should say. Yeah. Well, you know, good, good luck with that there, and uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I hope it's successful. The, the city of Chicago just needs so much uh, reform. With, with so many, I've never lived there, but I, I can, I've heard so many things about what goes on. But you're you're from L.A., which is like what a uh, bunch of good cops there, huh? No, no, no really I, good history a, there. A lot, a lot history. of a lot of big cities have problems, but 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 Chicago in in just all facets of, of city government. You've never been here at all. You've never even stepped foot here. No, I, I have. I've never lived there. I've come to ah. Chicago, but but I haven't been there long enough to experience any of, of the corruption. But I've heard about what's gone on there for for decades. And it's I mean, horrible. you could come here and experience the corruption just by maybe renting a car and parking it somewhere where you're not supposed to park it. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of the, these parking scams. I've heard of everything that the city runs. Like, it's it's horrible. Yeah. It's a, uh, uh, is, it, is it also too cold for you? Is this weather too cold? In the winter, yes. It's one of the coldest cities in the U.S. <laughs> come on. It is. It's one of the coldest cities. I mean, Milwaukee's probably worse, but uh, as far as major cities in the U.S., it's one of the coldest ones. Horrible. Uh, I don't, I've never heard that. But, New okay. York. New it York is warm. Cold downtown. New York is warm compared to Chicago in the winter. I, I did not know that. Yeah, Chicago's terrible is because of the wind. It's the wind and the cold together. You know, is uh, are you going to do any like World Series shows? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting closer to the World Series of Poker. Someone asked me recently, "Are you going to sell pieces?" I asked you. Well, no, I've been asked by well, no, I asked you. a number of people. Am I going to sell pieces of the World Series and? I, I was thinking about should I or should I not, because I'll tell you honestly, one problem with selling pieces of the World Series is that it actually creates... You're not good at tournaments? No, I'm just kidding. It creates a pressure for me that 
what, okay, let's, if, let's say I didn't sell any pieces. If I bust a tournament, obviously I'm disappointed. But I don't feel I let anybody down except myself. So it's a lot easier to live with, right? To say, okay, I, I just entered a tournament for $1,500. I busted, especially if I think I didn't play the best or I made some mistakes. But hey, it's not like you're promising the, stake, the, the stakers that you are going to win. No, They're I know that. I, I know that. But, might lose. So but why I, do you feel that? I, I, first, I just feel like I, I, I've let people down, even if it's not my fault. Even if I play well and don't win. Like if I if I if I'm happy with my play completely, I think I played great, but just the cards didn't go well. Even then, I I still feel like I let people down in some way, and and it's 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 a worse feeling than when I just lose all my own money. I'm not just saying this to sound good. This is actually a, a something I went through in my head of yes, I playing fewer than ten tournaments. It's nice to have some control of the, of the variance by having other people buy pieces, and I know people enjoy it. I know a lot of people who buy the pieces are just doing it to enjoy the World Series to know they have some kind of stake in it and they're not worried so much of is this you know how good is the value here you know is this a great investment they just they enjoy it they know they're they're buying a piece of someone they can trust they they know that I I'm not going to stiff them in any way they know I'm not going to show up drunk or, or high so they they know a lot of things that, that they they can't count on with other players necessarily they know if I win what's I'm wrong gonna, with showing up high you should always show up to a tournament a, a, a right state of mind to where you can concentrate properly but well for some people that's the right state drug. well I, I i have heard people say that before but yeah i'm one who don't doesn't do drugs but i i i'm skeptical i think maybe for some people if they're so used to it that it probably is better for them to to feel you know, to feel high but i think for a lot of people you know, Jeff, i like that about you that you, you don't do any of that yeah i don't and yet you know, you do it just because you just don't like it. Yeah, I've, I, haven't cool. had, I haven't had the desire. It's just never. It's never been something that I've felt like I wanted to do. So, but anyway, that's I, I understand that, and people try to say that to me. I go, oh, I'm not sure. You know, what if what if I bust? You know, what if I don't? What if I brick all the events? That's always the nightmare. What if I brick all the events? Now, this has never happened. In every year I have played the World Series, I've never had it where I brick every single event without cashing. I've had losing years, including last year, but. I've never had it where I cash zero, which could easily happen because it's not like I'm playing 35 tournaments. I, when you're playing eight or nine tournaments, you can easily go 0 for 8, 0 for 9. That's not at all hard to do. But I, I fortunately at least can say, and it's not like I was, I'm not even trying like, oh, I've got to do a min cash. Because I, I understand the min cash is kind of crap and it's not going to do very much in the grand scheme of things. What you're really looking for are, are the big and medium hits, not the uh, the, the small hits. But it still is demoralizing to go 0 for 8, 0 for 9. But it, I, I've never batted 0 in any year. You can even go check the Hendon mob. You'll see every year starting from 2005 that every year you'll see World Series cash at least one. But, okay. But uh, still, there's been years like last year where I get relatively deep but don't get quite enough to, uh, to, to cash something big. So I cash something four figures, which compared to all the other buy-ins of the ones I didn't cash uh, is not going to do me any good. So, and I mean, tournaments are frustrating. So that's kind of where I'm scares me away from it. And, and then, and then there is something else that you know that, that takes place is that there's a huge difference. Sometimes just one card can make the difference between getting some kind of very mediocre min cash or pseudo min cash and and making the final table and making a whole lot of money or winning it. Like I, I look at the limit hold'em I played last year where. With 42 people left, I was the chip leader, and I went out 40th. This is limit hold'em too. I just I got moved tables. Wow. And I, I got moved tables. I lost every single hand. 
I lost every single hand. They they move me. I, go, I lose every single hand, and, and that was that. I mean, when you have a lot of chips, do you just play every hand to the river? No, no. I I, I wasn't I wasn't adjusting my strategy for having a lot of chips. I just uh, I just lost every hand. I I got moved to the new table, and I just knew it. I just sometimes I get moved, and I go crap. This is going to ruin everything. Not just for superstition, but just also because I, I have a real good feel of the table I was at, and I have a lot of respect there, and a lot of things that are all yeah. wor- working my way. And then I think I'm going to be moved. Once I moved, I go oh crap. I, I could see. Everything's going to go wrong now. But like, I sit down at the new table, uh, and the uh, yeah, I moved into the big blind. I fold the big blind, get the small blind, have aces, fl- flop all spades, and I have the ace of spades. Just big, you know, small blind versus big blind, up against the flop flush, and it just went all down the hill from there. Every time I was flopping top That's pair, two pa- flop pair, top pair, two pair, all these other good uh, over pairs, lose, 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 lose. I'm gone. So, I mean, I, I, I wasn't mad at myself. I didn't play it badly. I just ran horrible and chunked it all off. But it, it was, it's, it's so demoralizing because, like, if they had if, – if it had been a tiny bit different pace, they would have moved somebody else to the other table. And it could have gone totally differently. I could have won the event. I could have finished fifth. I could have finished third. You know, I could have finished something pretty big rather than bitching about it right now, finished 40th, which, which only got me a little bit of money. So those type of things uh, – they make such a big difference in tournaments, and then it's been the op- the opposite. Other tournaments where I've uh, won a lot of money, and and uh, I put down a bad beat when I was all in much earlier on to stay alive. And had that not happened, then it would have been one where I didn't even cash, rather than win or or, or, or finish close to first. So this is the problem with tournaments, and you only play like eight or nine in a certain year. Anything can happen. So it's, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a professional tournament player. I've, I don't hold myself out to be one. So there was all that, but I really have thought about it, and I've thought, you know what? I, I really think I'm probably going to offer it. The only difference this year is that I, you know, there's the 10k limit hold'em, and then there's everything else because everything else is a much smaller buy-in. Everything else I'm entering is like two thousand dollar buy-in or less, usually fifteen hundred. And so, all limit servants? No, no, no. It's going to be all kinds of things. There's going to be several games I'm going to play. There's a, a, I'm going to enter a PLO. I'm going to enter a, 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 an Omaha tournament that isn't PLO. So the only time you play non-limit games is during tournaments, right? Yes, yes. And I, there's some no-limit okay. games. So, so, so anyway, I, I've decided that the limit, the 10K limit hold'em is too big compared to the others to where how I do in that pretty much dictates how I do for whatever people buy of me. Where if I don't cash in that, then my chance of uh, finishing profitably is much lower. And if I do cash in that, then it's much higher. So I said, okay, I'm going to separate them. I'm probably going to have two different packages you can buy. Either the package without the 10K limit hold'em and the package with the 10K limit hold'em. You can, when I say with, I mean buy it. you can buy that by itself or you could buy everything else. I think that's the way I'm going to do it. Or you can buy both. But I'm saying that uh, this way... Uh, people can choose whether they want to kind of put it all in one big event, or if they want to spread it out through these smaller events. Okay. Play. So that I think that's what I'm going to do. And again, the only thing I'm going to eliminate is going to be the main event. Uh, from I'm not going to sell pieces of that. Everything else I play, I will sell pieces of if I do this. And I, I think I will. I think it'll be something I announce in the next week or so. And okay. Uh, and, and of course, I, I think whether I sell pieces or not. Uh, I will be doing the very detailed tweeting when I'm playing here, so everybody can follow along. And, and some well, people I was say, also wondering 
you know, maybe like a show where you break down the tournament schedule, maybe say like, you know, like your picks and stuff. Have you even done that yet? Were you going to do that? Oh, what I'm going to play? I already went through a preliminary one, but I'll do it again. I'll do it again and uh, make, make it clear to people what they can buy. And I'll, I'll say last year it was more radio people that bought pieces of me than forum people. And I, I mean, okay. when I say radio people, I mean people that the forum posters never heard of, who just uh, who just listen to the radio and don't even have an account on the forum. So I, pre- I appreciate that. And, you know, I again, anybody who buys a piece of this, if, if I do sell it, which I probably will, I'm doing it for two reasons, to bring down the variance and also just to give the listeners and the forum readers the chance to uh, have a piece, just have some fun with following it. And uh, I'm not holding it out to be some great investment opportunity, but at least you you know what you can expect. You know you're not going to get screwed. You know that uh, a lot of things that you can't count on with a lot of poker players. You can count on with me. So that's that's what you get there. So, uh, yeah, I'll be... The drop guarantee. Yeah, it, it, it is a guarantee. And I, I want everybody to always, with anything they get, they buy from me. Like, I sold someone... I, I won't go into the whole story, but I, I sold someone a ticket recently to something. And it was just a stranger. I got it off, Cra- off Craigslist, and I... I said, look, if there's any trouble with the, with the ticket, if you have trouble getting in, if there's some, you know, the, the ticket was good as far as I knew, but sometimes there's errors. I said, if there's any problem, let me know and I'll call up and fix it for you. Like, even because I have your money already, that doesn't mean, like, it's all on you now. If, if there's any problem with what I've sold you, then get a hold of me and I'll, I'll make sure it oh. ends up right. I, I don't want anyone to get screwed or anyone to not I get wish, what they pay uh, for with me. I wish all people on Craigslist acted like that. It's pretty noble. Yeah, so disposition saying in chat, Druff sounds like Trump. Pay attention because something big should be coming in the next two weeks. Not sure, but probably something will come out. <laughs> Is he talking about Trump? Disposition, are you talking about Trump or me? Are you, are you saying that something will come out with me in the next two weeks or, or with Trump? Because uh, I'm not sure what you're trying to say here. I, I, I can't imagine what would come out about me in the next two weeks. Oh, I, I, is he talking about the World Series? That's probably what he's talking about. I think so. Okay, yeah. I thought you meant yeah. like some scandal, but no. I Yeah, I probably all, will announce... All your promises. Yeah, I probably will announce something in the next two weeks, probably the next one week, about the World Series and how to <clears throat> buy pieces and whatever. So, yeah, anyway, uh, let me go on to talk about... You can stay on if you want. Uh, telemarketing, sure. telemarketing scams. Telemark- I, I, had a, I had a job as a telemarketer, actually. That's funny that this is the next topic. There's a new form of telemarketing scam out there, and it's it's actually been attempting to hit me, and I didn't realize it. But I recognized the description of the call when I read an LA Times article that was posted over to Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, if you've ever gotten a call where you answer and you say hello, hello, and it's like a, a number, it's a it's a U.S. looking number, but you don't recognize it. And you answer, you say, hello, hello. At first, nobody says anything. And then you hear some woman kind of giggling. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, my headset wasn't on right. Okay, so, and then she starts talking. Like it, it, So it's like a jovial start to it where she's kind of embarrassed that her headset wasn't on right, but she sounds kind of cheerful and sounds so nice. And then she says, well, so I'm calling to tell you about a great opportunity. And, and then... It usually is something that you supposedly are getting for free, a, a cruise to the Bahamas or some BS. Sometimes they're asking for something about uh, donations for breast cancer or for, for, for injured, injured cops, whatever. 
it, whatever they're claiming they want is is just. What, what is that in the background here? I'm hearing a lot of noise. That's on your end. It's not on my end. You're the only one here. Well, Air's on the I don't hear anything. It's gone quiet now. Trust me, it's on your end. So they, what they're claiming they're calling for is just a smokescreen. What they're really trying to do in a lot of these cases is to get you to say one word, and that word is yes, which I guess now anyone who is one of those scammers can just take that yes I said and uh, use it against me. But what, what they're attempting to do is get you to say yes, and then they splice this in to what they make it look like is you accepting some sort of offer they're making to you or some sort of charge to your credit card or whatever. And uh, that, so they're trying to get your voice saying yes. And the way they do this is, is they say things like, so would you like to hear more information about the free trip to the Bahamas you won? Well, yes. Oh, there we got you. Or uh, a new form of it where you just get a call and says, like I'll get a call and says, Hello, can I speak to Todd, please? Or, hello, is this Todd? And they're hoping I'll say yes. Well, so I've gotten a few of these type of things. I, I get the one with the girl with a headset that isn't on right all the time. But I also got, I also got the one with a, with a voice asking for Todd, which apparently isn't even a, a, a live voice. Apparently they've recorded various voices asking for a lot of different common and semi-common names. Do you and, find this creepy at all? Yes, but it's it's inevitable with the way uh, technology is these days. But so so a, a recorded voice calls up, and it calls up everybody named Todd, or not just everybody named they they have the voice ready for every name they can think of. And so how did it know you? Like how did it know your name, Todd? Because that's they they had they have some data creepy. they have a database of numbers that uh, that they have oh, bought okay. bought from other locations that they have my name. So it's, the voice says, can I speak to Todd, please? It doesn't say my last name because uh, it, uh, they don't have the voice recording every single name. They just have the first names. So even though they know my last name, the, the pre-recording wouldn't have my last name on it. So it says, you know, is this Todd? And it's hoping I say yes. Now, whenever I get a call from a strange voice or a strange number asking, is this Todd? <laughs> I, I always say, who's calling? I don't even say, this is Todd. I say, who's calling? And if I can't get a satisfactory answer, I just hang up on him. I won't ever admit even that I am Todd or uh, or they've uh, reached Todd or anything like that. Uh, so in this in this last one I got, which was a few days ago, the recorded voice asking, "Is this Todd?" Which, to its credit, didn't sound like a recorded voice, but it actually was. I said, "Who's calling?" And it just hung up on me. Why did it hang up? Because there's someone monitoring it, or or either that, or they have voice recognition technology waiting to see what people say, say, and if they say anything but yes, it hangs up on them. But for me, it, yeah, whatever it was, it just hung up on me immediately when I said who's calling. But I've also gotten the, the one a whole lot with, uh, oh, my headset's not working. Hey, you won such and such. The ones that say I won something and do I want more information, I don't ever say yes. But... Uh, and I didn't even know this. Like I was even trying to avoid yes, so I just ha- happened to not be saying it. But what I would be doing is I would be saying obscene things to them. <laughs> so it would say something like, so do you want to hear about your great trip to the Bahamas you just won? I'd say, suck my dick. And i say, great, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and then it'll start... Re- re- I can just imagine you in your kitchen uh, swearing at the phone. <laughs> sometimes I'm like in my... Like some phone. Sometimes I'm just like in the car, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and, and do it. Now, like, wouldn't... See, here's what, here's my thing, is that 
if you call me and you know me, then you know I'm never going to answer. You know, do you know just to text me? So any number that's calling me and it doesn't even leave a voicemail, I'm never answering. I never answer. I can't believe you even answer these calls. Well, because I, you know, because I answer I can't calls. Believe you even waste that much time. I actually get an. I, I, so I do get some calls that are legitimate from businesses or whatever that are calling me that I'm happy that they, they reached me from numbers I don't immediately recognize. So I can't. I can't just not answer. Uh, well. Now. There are some where I am a little suspicious that I'm thinking, I, I wonder if it's one of these scam calls, but I, they, they can't really hurt me. I know how to handle them. And so so here, I'm going to give people some tips here. I already told you some things to look out for, but here's some tips if you get these telemarketing scam calls. First of all, even if they are calling for what seems like a very noble purpose, something you'd like to help out with, uh, you know, injured police officers, uh, breast cancer, <laughs> uh, whatever it is, if it sounds like something that's it might be a worthwhile charity to you. Don't fall for it. They're, tr- they're trying to pull at your heartstrings. Uh, anyone that's any just cold call you're getting asking for some donation to charity is very likely a scam. Most charities don't operate that way. Even the ones that do, you can't trust that they are. Uh, just just hang up on them, or if you want to screw with them, that's fine. But never consider donating to them. Uh, don't ever be afraid if it's something having to do with police that it's going to affect the service your local police department gives you. These are usually scams. And even in the cases where they're not scams, these are really not directly affiliated with the police. And even if it is legitimate, uh, the, the police will never know that you said no. So you you should never feel guilted into doing this in any way. Uh, and, and keep in mind, most of these are just scams that are using topics that they think will encourage people to donate. Oh, yeah. When in reality, the whole thing's just a scam. They're going to steal your money. Uh, second, and, and think about the type of people who fall for that. Well, that's the problem. There's always a certain uh, subset of the population that will fall for that. And a lot of times, unfortunately, these are elderly people who... Of course. That's what makes it terrible. That's what I'm getting at. That's what makes it even more terrible. Right. Who've who've lost a lot of the ability to think critically. So... Yeah, you're preying on the elderly, and that's terrible. So then you get... uh, That's the first. Second, never give any kind of information to them even if they ask is this such and such immediately just ask who are you don't don't say yes this is him don't don't verify anything just just say who's calling this way they don't know now they they probably know if that the person at least lives there but they don't know if they've reached you they don't know you know for for all they know you could be reaching your parents or your brother They, they, they don't know you say who's calling and then they get stuck and if they can't give you a good answer how they got your number or if it is a sales call then just either hang up on them or say, don't call me again and hang up on them, or uh, or, or screw with them if you want. But but you don't have to, and that brings me to my next point. You don't ever have to treat these cold callers with respect. Number one, there is there is no <laughs> yeah. law against saying anything obscene or nasty. Like you can say, suck my dick. Yeah, I've said so many really obscene things to them. It's not an obscene phone call because they're calling me. It would be an obscene phone call if I'm calling them. Because then I'm hitting them with an unwanted phone call and saying I've seen things. Then it's committing a crime. If someone calls you uh, with a cold call that you did not invite and you say something obscene, you, you have every right to do that because they can prevent this by just hanging up and never calling you again. So they, you're not committing any crime by saying obscene things back to them. And you should. Has never... anyone ever gotten on the line? 
talk to you? No, but they've hung up sometimes when I do that. Like sometimes there is someone monitoring to <laughs> where if I say things like suck my dick or other other obscene things that are even more obscene than that. Like I have had it where it just instantly clicks and hangs up on me because there's there's sometimes people just monitoring it and they know I'm not going to fall for whatever they're trying to do. So so don't okay. ever feel bad about hanging up abruptly. Like they, they don't you don't owe them a sorry I'm not interested. You don't even owe those words. You can just hang up. You you're, you're not being a jerk. You're not being rude. Uh, you, you shouldn't picture a human being on the other line. What you should picture on the other end is, at best, someone who is being insensitive and just calling you up to, to hassle you to buy something you don't want, and at worst, a scammer. So don't feel bad for these people. Just hang up. And hang, they get hung up on all the time. They're, they're not insulted. They're not going to go, oh, that's so rude. He hung up on me. They didn't even say, "Please don't call me again." What a jerk! They're not gonna. They they get hung up on all the time. All they care about is their results. All they care about is what sales they make and what scams they make. What scams they commit. They don't care about whether you're polite or impolite to them. They, they, the politeness matters none to these people who are calling you, no matter what the reason. So so you don't, you don't have to be polite. One time I was with someone who received these calls, and they're sitting here saying, "I'm sorry, you know, I'm not interested." No, 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 I'm really not interested. You have, no, I'm, no, like they didn't want to get off the phone because they were afraid they were being too rude. I asked, like, why did you go on with this for two minutes? Oh, I just felt like a jerk for hanging up on them. Like, I said, no, just, just hang up. There's nothing to feel bad about. So, there's no matter how you treat these people calling you, like, you know, whether these are just legitimate telemarketing calls or whether they're scams or somewhere in between, never feel bad about just hanging up. Never feel bad about saying nasty things. It's totally fine. They're making unwanted calls to you. You have a right to do whatever the hell you want. You have a moral right and legal right to do it. Uh, next, uh, don't ever give them any kind of billing information. Obviously, don't give them your credit card. Don't give them your bank account. Don't give them your address. Don't give, don't give them anything they don't have already. Don't, don't, and don't verify anything that they claim to have. And also, don't believe any claims that they're making of anything you won, any great deal of what they're trying to sell you. It is exceedingly rare that someone gets a telemarketing call, a cold call like that, and gets a great deal on something that they're happy they ended up buying. Exceedingly rare. Almost all the time, you're either buying something that is not as described or is way overpriced and talked up, or you're just being outright scammed. So... Never, just don't fall. Just do not give these people what they want. Do not buy anything. Nothing. Okay. Next, this next thing may sound obvious, but maybe some of you fall for it. So I, I think I have a pretty smart audience. He probably don't, but just in case, uh, the IRS will never call you like this. The IRS will never call you with uh, demands to pay immediately. They don't do that. They will. You know, the, the real IRS will send you letters. Uh, things like that, but they, they will never make a co- uh, cold call to you saying this is the IRS. You know, send you know, pay such and such on your credit card now. If you don't pay immediately on this phone call, you're going to prison. Never would happen. Uh, you, you never will get a call from Microsoft or from Dell or from HP or any computer company that they've detected viruses on your machine. That's always a scam, hundred percent. Any kind of tech support call where they're just calling you out of the blue saying they detected something is always a scam. Basically, any call calling up where they claim that they you, you owe money for something you you don't remember owing for, or that they are going to help you in some way for some service or some money you can pay right now, it's always a scam. Uh, 
with collection calls. I've mentioned this before. Don't feel just because a collection agency is calling you that you have to pay them. Don't always fear that they're going to harm your credit. If they are asking you to pay a debt that is not right, don't pay it. If they are, if it is a, a debt that's right and you feel you do want to pay it, make sure they don't charge you any fees. If they tell you they can't let you pay without uh, the collection fee, tell them, okay, then I'm not paying. So that, that, that's a little bit different. That's, that's collections rather than uh, scams, but kind of goes along with the same thing. Uh, so, uh, basically, you're, you're not going to get anything that's calling up and demanding payment right away. And in the few cases you are, like occasionally there will be some companies like a cell phone company that may call you up and say, you know, your bill is late. If you don't pay by the end of today, we're going to disconnect you. Occasionally, those are real. But rather than trust that they are who they say they are, if that happens, then just go pay it. Say, okay, thank you for telling me. I'll go pay my bill now. Goodbye. And then go online and pay or go down to the, the place and pay. Wh- whatever way you pay, uh, do it that way. And don't ever just give information, credit card information, bank account information, what have you, to someone on the phone. If you are a victim of one of these scams, do not be afraid to report it. Don't feel that it's your fault. Even if it is your fault, don't feel that you cannot recover the money. These banks that manage your credit card or your bank account, they, they all have fraud measures built in. They will often just eat the charge if, uh, if you call it fraud rather than bother to investigate that. That's on them. The bottom line is you should always report it. You will usually get the money back, if, especially on credit cards. Credit cards, you will always get the money back if, they, if you get scammed. So don't ever feel, oh, man, this is my fault. That was so stupid. Well, that's on me. I guess I'm not going to ever get that money back. I guess you will. Call up the credit card company say it was a scam. They will charge it back, and that'll be that. So that's not to say because you're protected like that, you should just let people scam you. I'm just saying that if it does happen, you're not you're not up the creek. Uh, so these are tips. Some of them are obvious. Some of them a little less obvious. But basically, any cold call you get where someone's asking for money. Oh, one other thing: if they claim you won something. On a cold call, you, ne- you you never really did. You didn't ever win a cruise to the Bahamas. And even in the cases where you have, quote, won a cruise to the Bahamas, at the best, what that means is you get the, a very, very, very cheap, lousy cruise that you could normally buy for very, very little money. And then you're going to be under heavy pressure to upgrade for for money. And if you, if you refuse, you say, no, I'm only going to take the thing I got for free. Uh, then by the time you pay what they're going to make you pay, like the port, the port fees and taxes and stuff, by the time you pay that, the value of what you're getting is so little, and and you're going to have not a good time at all because you're going to be on. Uh, they're going to put you in the worst room, on the worst ship. They're, they're going to get the crap that nobody wants anyway. So you're never going to be offered anything worthwhile on a cold call that you've won. Never. So don't ever even claim those prizes. It is some sort, it's some sort of a scam. I know I've gotten some scam calls where they offer a cruise if I just answer some survey questions. And you can think, oh, okay, I'm doing something for them. Now they're doing something for me. It doesn't work that way. The survey questions are usually just phony survey questions that are incredibly easy to answer. Like, do you disapprove or approve of President Trump? 
Press one for disapprove. Press two for approve. So you go through e- really easy questions like that. And th- Congratulations. You answered your three-question survey. We're giving you, uh, you... You just won a trip to the Bahamas. So it's, it's, it's something like that. So basically trust nothing that comes in if you don't recognize what it is. Don't ever believe the stories. Don't ever be talked into it. Now, what if you want to screw with them? What if you want to pretend you're interested? Is that a crime? To, to waste their time on purpose, pretend you're interested, and then really not, and then you know, waste, the, waste 15 minutes of their time screwing with them and then, until they hang up. Could you ever be sued for wasting their time? No. No, you, you, they can't. Again, it's their decision to stay on the phone with you. They called you. You can screw with them all you want. You can lie to them all you want. And you can do it without guilt. And that's why it's fun to do sometimes, just to mess around with them and, and waste their time. And, and they deserve it. So I always like getting these phone numbers so I can prank them on radio. If you want to record them, even if you're in a state where technically you have to inform the other party they're recording them, believe me, they're never going to make that claim against you. These these scammers never want to take any actual legal action against you because the last thing they want is a spotlight shown upon what they're doing. So if you want to c- record them and screw with them, no matter what the state laws are, uh, no one's going to come after you. So if you want to record and put it on the internet, believe me, the scammer's not going to come go report you to the police or sue you for recording them without permission. So that, those are some tips I'm giving you as far as uh, telemarketing scams, and you probably know a lot of the stuff already, but thought it was worthwhile mentioning. Telemarketing was one of the worst jobs I've ever had. Now, what were you selling? Uh, well, okay, so the company sold what are called business consulting trips. And, like, say you're, like, you know, Joe Schmo in New Jersey with a small business, and it's tanking. We call up and, and we send a representative in who will sell you like a package, you know, like the $20,000 package, the $50,000 package, you know, and, and what it would do was they would come in and they would tell you what was wrong with your business. Now, my job was to call up different states in a region. My region was like New Jersey area and, uh, talk to business owners and set up appointments for the sales reps to come in and, uh, you know, try to make a sale. So it was uh, like a big boiler room, basically. If you've ever seen that movie, if you could yeah. picture that, just, uh, you know, it was definitely that. And the more appointments you made, the more sales you could make, and <laughs> you could make a lot of money doing it. But, you know, little high school Larry didn't make anything. And no, I did it while I was in high school. So. No, back in high school. You know, uh, that, that type of job, not, not what, you were, what you did, but going down to businesses, them spending that much money on these consultants, I could actually totally do that job. I could be one of the people coming down there and really oh, I'm sure you could. Any idiot advice. could do this. It's like you're going in there and telling a business owner what he's doing wrong. Well, but you know what? That, that actually is, I mean, I, the, I'm sure these business owners were overpaying and that place was kind of like a semi-scam. But the truth is, it is, it's not that easy to walk into a business and observe them and tell them honestly what they're doing wrong. When I say honestly, I mean like tell them useful information of what they're doing wrong that would actually help them. There's certain people who have 
those skills and certain people don't. I, I just have a good feel. And I know there's certain things I'm good at, certain things I'm not good at. I'm not saying I'm, I'm great at everything, but this is one of the things I would be good at to where I, I have a good feel when I'm in a business immediately what they should be improving. Like I, I can sometimes notice things that if they were to change some small things that could easily be changed, that they would have a rapid improvement in how they're doing. So, sometimes they can't be fixed. Sometimes you're in a bad location or, or you're selling a service that people in that area are just not going to want. Th- that you can't so fix. Should we, have like a, should we have a reality show where you go from poker room to poker room and tell them what they're doing wrong? Yeah, you could. Right? You could it's pretty much any business. I mean, any business that I understand, it wouldn't have to be poker. I, I could tell. I mean, I've seen myself. I, I've even tried at times. I don't, I don't offer free consulting services, but I'll sometimes say, you know, if I'm already complaining about something that's, that's happened, to me, the business that was wrong. I'll sometimes mention things I saw, and I'll say, you know, I'm, uh, it's up to you how you want to run it. But I noticed such and such here, and you know, I'll, I'll tell them, and uh, I'll say, look, you know, most people, when they get frustrated by this, they're just going to leave and never come back. I'm telling you honestly what I'm observing as a customer. Uh, it's some just very simple things that uh, the, the, these places, if they changed without a lot of effort or sometimes without even any money, could greatly improve their situation. But some of them are just very stubborn. Some some business owners see themselves as like the king of their own little castle and they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. They don't want anyone to give them advice. They don't want anyone to say that something they're doing is not correct or something that one of their employees is doing is not correct. And so they, they would rather just be stubborn and fail than take anyone else's advice because they don't think they're going to fail. They think that they know what's best and they think that uh, anyone who complains doesn't know what they're talking about. Pretty but, similar to a lot of way poker players think, right? It, that does happen with poker, yeah, where people have bad habits and they just won't won't change the way they're playing with certain things, uh, even even though they're yeah. not playing the right strategy. So, and and those those businesses fail. Now, sometimes again, changing these things if you if there's too many major problems they already have, such as uh, expenses being too high, location being bad, uh, price being too high, whatever it is, there's some things that. They're never going to succeed no matter what. But other times I've seen where businesses that should be successful based on what I'm seeing are failing because of small things that they're doing wrong that are having a big impact. Small, easy-to-fix things that uh, that are stupid. So, Jeff, Jeff, how often do you go on Yelp? Are you a big Yelper? Well, or are you just like the human Yelper? You no, just, instead of going online, you just tell the guy you know, right there. Well, here, I'll, I'll tell you about Yelp. I have mixed feelings about it. Oh, I'm sure you do. I think I think Yelp has a purpose. I think it is useful. I I do check it before going to like restaurants, especially, but even other things. I uh, Yelp can be very useful. I've even had it where there is like some kind of traveling activity for kids that comes to town, and I'll look it up you know, before going for Benjamin. If it looks like a huge fail with like one and a half stars, I'll know to stay away from it. So. It can be useful for a lot of things, Yelp. Uh, Yelp, however, has some flaws, has some big flaws. Number one, what they call the filter, or what they've now changed to be called not recommended reviews, is very lousy because it silences a lot of people who should not be silenced. It's it's an over-aggressive filter. And the way it it basically filters, and when I say filters, what it does is if people post a review and Yelp decides that they're not legitimate, it just takes them out of the the rating system. It just hides the review and takes them out of the the average 
So the problem is if the filter is over-aggressive, it's going to start removing a lot of people who should be figured into the reviews for the business. And, and it gives false ratings. And, and yeah, Right. And the problem is a lot of the factor that's used is when someone just shows up, posts a review, and never posts again. Yelp is very big on making a community and, and having people be very active on the site. So, if, if yeah, if you post reviews all the time, then it's going to usually give you credit as, as a legitimate reviewer. But if you just – let's say you had a really bad experience somewhere and you're like, you know what? I'm not normally a Yelper. I usually don't like posting online reviews, but I'm so frustrated with what happened at this place. I want to let the world know. So you go on Yelp. You create an account. You post your one-star review. You, you honestly post what happened. They're like, okay, good. I, I'm glad I got that off my chest. Now at least others won't fall into the same situation I did. You close Yelp. You're happy. You never go back there. What you don't know is a week later, Yelp has filtered your review. Why? Because you made a new account. You dropped a one-star review. You never came back. It assumes you're just the competition trying to screw with them and censors you. And that's not good. I mean, yes, of course, in any kind of online review situation, there will be shills. And there will be anti-shills, ones that show up specifically to give you one star because they're competing with you. you know, you're going to have that, and you're going to have your friends posting five-star reviews for you. So, yes, Yelp is trying to prevent that. But if because it's so hard to discern who's a shill and who's not through a computerized algorithm, uh, it, it uses the wrong criteria, and a lot of things get filtered. That's one problem. Second, Yelp has a problem where salesmen, because people sell ads on Yelp, they have salesmen who promise that they can get bad reviews removed. Now, Yelp always insists, hey, we don't do that. Well, yes and no. It is true that you cannot call Yelp and say, I see a bunch of one-star reviews. If you delete them, I'll pay you such and such money. Or how much does it cost to take this off? They'll say, we don't do that. However, there's some shady salesmen on Yelp who say, hey, I, I, I can get a lot of those bad reviews taken down if you buy ads here. So you figure, okay, I guess this guy's connected here. All right, I guess I got to do this. It'll raise the average star rating for my business and really improve the the number of new customers I'm getting. Which is true that having a better Yelp rating really is helpful these days. So they're very powerful Yelp as far as the success or failure of, of small businesses. Uh, so how are these salesmen accomplishing that? Are they just lying? No, they actually often are successful in what they claim they're going to do. They they often do get the bad reviews taken down. How? Because what they do is they become familiar with what are technically Yelp violations. Because Yelp has all these terms and conditions. And all it takes to get a Yelp review taken down is reporting that Yelp review as violating one of the terms and conditions. So... For example, um, let, let's let's say you you uh, you post a, re- a bad review of a restaurant you've been to, and then you post at the end. Oh, and you know the owner. As I was leaving there, I talked to him. Man, that guy's got to be a fucking drug addict. I forget fuck. That guy's got to be a drug addict. You know that guy. Uh, he must be doing lines in the back. I could just tell he was totally out of it. He was totally aggressive. You know. And so, if, not only is this a terrible place, but the owner, the owner's a likely a drug abuser. So that's a violation of Yelp's terms of service. You can't. You can't write something like that. You can't uh, speculate about an employee or an owner that's breaking the law in some way or something that's uh, 
about their character that isn't related to your situation. You can say the owner was rude. You can say the owner, uh, um, you know, didn't treat you right. But you you can't make statements. You can even say he's a jerk. But you can't make statements like uh, he's a drug addict just because you're assuming that. So they can report. You know, the owner could report this, and even if the rest of your review was totally within the terms, your whole review goes down. They delete it. It only if it's reported. So what these what these Yelp salesmen do is they get very familiar with technicalities they can find that are breaking the Yelp rules, and they go through every one-star review they, they can and try to find any technicality they can to report it and get it removed. So they so what happens when you buy ads on Yelp through one of these shady salesmen, uh, they're not you're not technically buying your one-star reviews being removed, they're just finding backdoor ways to remove them anyway in many cases so that's that's a lot of times how it's done and no that's not supposed to be connected they're not supposed to be promising you such a thing that's not something that's within company policy the salesmen who are doing this are acting against yelp company policy but it's something that has gone on it's something and that's why people report that they are being promised this and the yelp says we never do that well it's not they're not supposed to be doing it but they do it and then that's and that's how those reviews get removed. So no, you can't buy the removal of reviews from Yelp. That uh, but you but you can buy uh, but these salesmen find those backdoor ways to get it removed. And Yelp can defend it. Yelp can say, look, these salesmen are just assisting the customer to get reviews removed that are within the ter- that are breaking the terms of service. They can actually legally defend it. They can say that all we're doing is we're helping someone who's a paying customer remove things that shouldn't be there in the first place. Uh, I, I had a friend come to me once who uh, has a business. Not, not anyone here anyone here knows, but he has a business, and he was very upset saying, you know, I, someone just gave me a one-star review on Yelp, and he told me the whole story. He didn't deserve it, and I believed him. And he says, you know, I, I don't know what I can do. This is, you know, I'm a small business. I don't, you know, the, even a single one-star here really hurts me and brings down my average, and yeah, people see horrible things written about me here. You know, is there anything I can do about it? So I said, show me the review. I read the review and I said, hey, look right here. Uh, the the guy says, you know, it was written something like like if 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 this guy ever talks to me like this again, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick his ass. Something like that. I said, okay, report this and claim it's a threat of violence. He reported it, claimed it's a threat of violence. Bang, it's gone. So that's. Uh, if you own a business, by the way, and you see something like that, you, that's a trick you can use to get rid of bad reviews. If, if anyone violates any term of service on Yelp, now they won't 100% of the time. Sometimes it depends on who, who at Yelp is going through it. Sometimes uh, some, some of the people who work for Yelp are more sensitive than others as to whether they delete these things if, if you report it for your own business. But that, that's a way bad reviews get reviews and removed sometimes. And... Uh, TripAdvisor is even more shady. TripAdvisor, uh, I'm convinced that they they have certain company certain companies that that advertise a lot with them, where they just keep out bad reviews. I I stayed in one really crappy hotel in Washington, and it had wonderful reviews. I couldn't imagine why the, you know tons of great reviews and almost no bad ones. I tried to post a one star review and it would not go through, and they. It had to quote be under review, which was really weird because every other one star review I'd ever posted on TripAdvisor immediately went through. This one had to be reviewed, and then it got rejected. 
And I said, okay, why do you reject it? We can't tell you. Which, viol- which rule did I violate? We can't tell you. So that doesn't make any sense. So I said, can I resubmit it? Can I, can I try to figure out what it was and resubmit it? They said, yes. So I, I cut out anything could be, that could be possibly objectionable in my TripAdvisor review of that place. Nope, still got rejected. I said, okay. Revised it again. Took out even more stuff. Still rejected. Then I wrote a super generic one. Like, super generic. There's no possible way it could be violating anything. Rejected again. Still refused to tell me what I was violating. And this was a place that, that, that had all kinds of issues, and yet they were almost a five-star average. And anything below five stars was, uh, there were very, very few complaints. Very, very few ones out there. And, and that was the only place I've ever run into on TripAdvisor that was rejecting my every bad review I tried to post. And So are you saying that they like paid TripAdvisor to do that? Yes, and they had things all over the place about review us on TripAdvisor. Like they, they had all this stuff about TripAdvisor all over the place, too, when I, when I stayed there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they, I have a feeling they, they, they pay a lot to TripAdvisor, and TripAdvisor uh, takes care of them the other way. I don't know what the deal is. But they. But all I know is this one place was very protected from my reviews, even when I posted the most simple and generic review. That there's no possible way it could have been objectionable. It still got rejected. So and and it wasn't just me. There's like almost no reviews under five stars of this place. So it's very very shady. And I lost a lot of respect for TripAdvisor that I used to really like, and I still use it. But it's uh, that really tainted in my mind Trip uh, TripAdvisor after that whole thing. I've never used it. I mean, what is it, like a Yelp for traveling? Right. And it, it, it predates Yelp. It was actually around before Yelp. And ah, okay. it's it's Yeah, it's it's still useful you know, for traveling-related things. I, I think still, for the most part, it's better to read that for travel reviews than Yelp. Yelp is more for everything See, I know else. There's, I know there's forums out there for like stuff like this. Uh, forums for like airlines and you know people share how to get like miles and stuff. Yeah, those are good. I like those places, yeah. but the, the, I'm, I'm talking about uh, just the review sites. And, and I, I'll say that Yelp, while that filters over aggressive, and while there's that loophole where owners or even Yelp salesmen can get bad reviews deleted through little terms of service violations, I've never seen it once on Yelp, like I did on TripAdvisor, where just certain places are protected from even having a one-star review. Point. Like I've never seen it where there's a there's protection for certain businesses. I've, that that Yelp does not do, from what I could see. So I'll give them credit for that. Okay. But so the, but but, again, uh, I, I once I once had a review of mine removed on Yelp for BS reasons. Like where I, it was a it was a restaurant that was rigging a contest where if, if there's like a local newspaper had a contest for the best of, and if you voted they were best, they would give you a uh, they give you money off if you. If you showed them that you did, it's like, well, that's really shady. So I, I posted that up on Yelp, and Yelp did not allow it because it, it wasn't. They said it does not describe a uh, a consumer experience, which what that means is I, I'm just complaining about uh, their contest. I'm not complaining about how the place what actually was when I went there, like how the food was, and you know, I'm just complaining about a contest. But, but I think that's relevant. I think it's very relevant to give a bad review and say that they're rigging a contest and explaining how it was going. But they, 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 they were not allowing that. They, they rejected it. So, not they rejected it. They, you know, the owner must have complained. But, uh, and I posted the review. I just didn't think it was honest. I didn't think that was right for them to be doing. I, 
I, I realize a lot of these best of awards are BS anyway, but still, it, it was it was very offensive that like you know bring in that you voted for us and we'll give you this money off. Like whoa, that's that's pretty shady. So I, I didn't. I, I wanted people who were who would see advertised that you know, we won such and such award that they understand it was rigged. I did not get that. I mean, it wasn't like a, a thing I was going to put a lot of time into, but I, I just like I saw that, and then it just made me go to Yelp and try to write that. But nope, it was it was deleted. So, and and Yelp doesn't catch this on their own. Like the business owner reports it. Okay. By the way, if you want to know how to get around the Yelp filter, I wrote a piece. If you go to dandruffpoker.com, you can see I have some blogs up there written a long time ago, written in 2012 and the end of 2011. But you will see blog number nine, written February 18th, 2012, how to beat the Yelp filter. And even though the information is five years old, it is still mostly accurate. So if you want to see how to write Yelp reviews without running into that filter, follow the advice I give there on dandruffpoker.com. And your reviews will stay up. So let me I would tell you guys a story about something that happened in the late 1990s, in 1998, on, uh, on an airline that I, I would never do again today because the environment has changed. Since, since 9-11, you don't screw around on airlines. They, they, I mean, they, they've really gotten hard line. Like, if you if you create any kind of a disturbance on an airline, you're really taking a serious chance that they're going to arrest you on the ground. And even if, even if you never get charged, uh, you'll be sitting there forever on the ground in some sort of police holding area or FBI holding area, and and you, you're not going to want that. So, airlines is is one of the few things where if I'm in the air on an airline. If I'm on the ground, I'll be as obnoxious as I want to be. But uh, in the air, I will absolutely never cause any kind of argument or or scene over anything, no matter how much I'm feeling. I feel I'm being wronged because uh, the consequence of doing so can be terrible. But this is '98 when this wasn't the case yet. They they changed it right after 9/11. So. This was the year 1998, and I was flying to Jamaica. And it was on American Airlines. And hey, Drew, you, don't, you don't do drugs. What are you doing going to Jamaica? It, it, I was going to a, a resort there. <laughs> and uh, so I was in first class. Oh. And, uh, you know, I get first class... Not all the time, but if if it's a, f- a decent deal, do you get TSA pre-check? Do you have to? Go I, I, actually, I actually just got that. I didn't. That didn't even exist in ninety. I got that. I got that randomly the last time I went through an airport. Yeah, that happens sometimes. You're just given it. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's with who you're associated to. If you're flying with someone who has it, they'll sometimes give it to you too. Who knows? But all but right. anyway, I, I actually have it now. But. So, so I, I was flying first class, and part of the reason I fly first class is because I'm tall. Because you're a baller? No, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm tall. <laughs> and I, th- those regular coach seats are very difficult for me to sit in 
unless it's a short flight. If it's a if it's a long flight, though, it's very difficult for me to sit all those hours in, in something so short. My my legs are hitting the seat in front of me, and it's very uncomfortable, and I and I I start to feel very stiff. And anybody who else is as tall like I am will will recognize. I don't know why you're laughing. I know you're you're short, but I'm telling you that's a, <laughs> it's uh, people in the chat. I see already remember this story, but I, I so I was in first class, and I, I'm not snooty about first class. I don't feel like I'm better than people behind me in, in, in coach. I, I don't feel like I deserve. No, it's a help. It's it's a thing both for for me to have leg room and just for for better service and uh, and better food and all that. And I'm not going to pay. Okay. I don't pay obscene money for it. If it, if first class is really expensive and I can't get it for a reasonable number of airline miles, then I just fly coach and get what's known as economy plus, and that that's just more leg room, but it's still coach. So that that I do sometimes also. Okay. So so I don't look down on the people in in coach, even sometimes I'm in coach. Just, just to set this up here. Now, I'm sitting in first class, and I notice in the middle of the flight, there's a long line of people waiting for the bathroom, which doesn't tend to happen in first class, because first class does not have many people. It always has its own bathroom. And there's not that many people in first class. You're never going to have a massive line, because there's a lot fewer people per bathroom than in coach. But I saw a very long line of people, and none of whom I recognized as being in the first-class section. Oh, now, no. Please tell me the story is not going here. No, it is. Now, but listen. there, oh, there, no. there Listen, there, there is... So what's the rule about this? What's the rule about this? The rule yes. is that the... All right. The, the, the rule is that the stewardess has a right to allow people to go to the, at least back in 98, it may have changed since 9-11, but back in 98, they had a right to allow people to go into the first-class cabin and use the bathroom there at their discretion. So, for example, if if there's a long line for the coach bathroom and someone goes up to the steward and says, I've got really, really bad diarrhea, I'm about to shit in my pants, please let me use the first-class bathroom if it's open, well, then the stewardess can say, okay, rather than say, no, that's first class. You can't go in there or shit your pants. They, they can bring them up to first class and let them do it. That, that's up to their discretion. I, and I agree. In such a situation, that should be fine. I, I would not object as a first class passenger where if somebody has any kind of emergency where they have to go and, and, and there's too long of a line to get into the – or they just can't get into that bathroom because it's occupied, whatever. If there's an emergency of any kind, even if, you, know, you just take the person's word for it. And, let, and, and if, you know, I, I agree with the steward is letting them do that. Okay? No problem. But there's a difference between that and saying, we're just going to allow everybody to do it. So there was a stewardess who was, she was based out of Jamaica, by the way. She was a Jamaican woman. Okay. And I, I can't tell you for sure, but I, I think that she resented Americans. The fact that Americans have money and Jamaicans really don't. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of Jamaicans on this flight. So she didn't like the white people being up there, you know, first class, and and a lot of her Jamaican oh, countrymen. On. No, no, listen, it, 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 a lot of her Jamaican countrymen back there in coach. So, so she decided oh, no. that she's come going on. to she's going to open up the the first class bathroom to everybody. That it's it's just going to be another bathroom people can use, which is not what they were supposed to do. And I verified this later with the airline, by the way. I'm not just making this up. And I'm talking about 98 standards. I don't know what the rules are today, but but in 98 that was the rule. So. 
So, th- so she, so there was a long line of people constantly there. I'm talking like you know five, six people deep. There's always someone like standing over me because the first class is not very big. So you know you have a, lo- a line of six people going to the bathroom. You're always going to have someone standing over you. And I always avoid those seats. Like, like even when I fly coach, I, I, I don't want to sit in the last two rows or something and, and be right by the bathroom. Not just for the smells, but because I, I don't want people just constantly standing, uh, looking over me. So I avoid those seats if I can. Anyway, if you pay for first class, uh, you know, it's, it's extra money. It's, 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 it's an extra cost for you. If you're paying for it, you shouldn't have long lines of people standing over you the whole time. Yeah, again, if it's an emergency, no problem. But the, there's a reason there's a first-class bathroom, and that's it's because people are paying more. They get their own bathroom there, and one of the advantages you get from that is you it's available more easily, and, and there's not a long line of people standing in the first-class section waiting for it. So she you just... speak up to the lady? What'd she say? So, so, so I, I waited for a while. I thought, okay, maybe this is just... Maybe, maybe it's really jammed back there. Maybe there's a huge line for the bathroom, and she's just letting some people come up. So, I, so I, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be a dick about this. I'm going to let this. But the, the whole, like, like, starting from kind of the middle of the flight, it went on for a while, to where it was clear this was just a policy. The, the whole time, anyone can come up there. So, I, I actually went to the passengers, and I said, you know, one by one, I, I, I didn't know the stewardess had allowed this. I thought people were just coming up, and the stewardess was not, was not enforcing it. So I decided to be like the bathroom police, and I went to each passenger and politely said, to, and politely said to them, "I'm not sure if you know this, but the, you know the, this is supposed to, this section is not is only for the first class passengers, so uh, you know this really shouldn't be available here. Uh, can you please go back to?" to so I, I went to a few of them, and they didn't kind of know what to say. Well, the the one that got the stewardess really mad, I didn't know the stewardess was watching, but the steward, what got the stewardess really mad is the last person I said this to was a kid in the back, not a tiny kid. He was probably ten years old or something. And I told him too. The stewardess then jumped in my face and started yelling at me. This is a little kid. Why are you telling a little kid to go to the back? And she just went off on me in a Jamaican accent. Just went off on me that I'm telling this little kid to go to the back. So I said, so I was arguing back. And someone was saying Druff equals Larry David. Yeah, I could totally see have seen this on Curb Your Enthusiasm. You're right. Yeah, I know. This is what I'm also thinking as well. I'm not looking at the chat, but I agree with this. <laughs> but but, I, but I, I, I said... Look, I, I was not – if it was just this little kid up there, there's no way I would have done this. I said, look, it's the whole flight, the long line of the bathroom is, is in this first class section. It's this constant line of people coming there that's it's six people deep waiting for the first class bathroom. This is not the way it's supposed to be here. So she's arguing. She's the stewardess. It's up to her. She's decided what she's going to do. She's decided she's going to let this bathroom be open to everybody. Too bad. And we got in this big argument. Then what was even worse is these people from New York who were in the first class section. Uh, they got involved. I was thinking they're going to take my side. No, they were on her side too, and they're they're <laughs> saying, "Come on, man, have a heart." What the hell? These are this is the bathroom. How would you like to wait for the bathroom? I say, I do wait for the bathroom. I fly coach myself a lot of times, and I wait. I ne- I never think it's my right to come to the first class bathroom. Well, so so here's the bottom line. You know. Okay, here's the bottom line. If you pay more for something, you deserve more. There's a reason I'm paying more for first class. If we all paid the same thing, and I and I just got lucky to be sat in first class, then I'd be a dick to say, "Oh, you can't use my bathroom." Here, I am paying more to sit there, and it's not like that when they move them into the bathroom, I'm getting some kind of refund. I am paying more to sit there. One of the things I am paying for is one to have access to the bathroom without a line six people deep. 
Number two, not to have a long line of people standing there the whole time, like often happens in coach. That's what I'm paying for. And 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 you could say this about anything. You could say, well, you could say, well, what about the poor people? How can they have to sit sit in the back and and they have to have a long line? How can they don't? Yeah, you know, they have a line of people there. Well, you could say this about anything. Why why do some people live in in uh, big mansions in Beverly Hills and other ones live in, in ghettos in Compton? Uh, those aren't equal. Can can the person in, in in Compton say, you know, screw this, this isn't fair. I'm going to just uh, I'm going to live in the Beverly Hills house and too bad on them. You can't do that. There's in in our society things cost more that are better. Things cost less that are worse, and and it's based upon what you can afford. And and uh, um, this is the tr- truth with first class and coach on a flight. And it's not being a jerk. It's not being snooty. It's not looking down on people. It's it's based upon what you paid. It's about getting what you paid for. And I I'm not a hypocrite though. If I'm in coach, which I am sometimes, uh, I will never believe it is my right to use first class facilities, and and I would never even ask to do it. Even back in '98, when before 9/11, I, even back then, I would never have even thought of asking about doing that unless there really was an emergency. If I if I was going to crap my pants if I couldn't get to a bathroom immediately, yes, I would ask about that. Uh, if I had to vomit, I'd, I'd probably ask about that. It, not if I just didn't feel like standing online. Never would I say that. Never. I wouldn't feel it was my right. And if they said no, I wouldn't say those fucking jerks in first class, these rich assholes, not like no. I'd say, look, they're paying more. They deserve it, and I don't because I'm, I'm not paying more. I'm paying less, so therefore I get less. That's how it makes sense. So I now again, if it was just a kid up there who wandered up there and, and used the bathroom, I wouldn't be a jerk. In fact, I sat for a while with that line there, assuming it was just you know something that was going to be temporary. But when I saw it was the whole time. I thought at first what was going on was just the stewardess wasn't watching, and I was just going to send these people back myself. And and then later, I you know then I found out from the stewardess she let them all come up. But and and still, if anybody disagrees with me, this was I was correct on the airline policy. It was when I got to the ground, I asked the airline. I you asked know the, what? Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone's disagreeing with you. I'm just thinking that people might think like, oh, like isn't that just like a little bit too much? Like. You couldn't have just asked the, uh, you couldn't have just brought it to the attention of the stewardess. You took it upon yourself to start being the stewardess. No, I, I agree, I agree you, that, I, I agree that I, I, I probably handled it the wrong way in that sense, that I yeah, probably, I should have gone to the stewardess. The wrong way. I, I probably should have gone to the stewardess about it, okay? That's probably, and by the way, people, Lou Father's complaining that this is going on too long. This is the end of the show, and someone, someone requested, vegetarian requested this story. That's why I'm telling it. So, I I understand that probably the optimal play here, though it wouldn't have worked in this case because the stewardess was directing it, but the optimal play here would have been to have gone to the stewardess directly instead of going to the passengers. But I, I thought what was happening, the passengers were doing something they weren't supposed to. And I was just I, and I was just gonna instead of tattling on them to the stewardess, I was gonna have to politely say, Sorry, you're in the wrong area. That's that's what I thought or, I was doing, but that, or an the, optimal play would have just been to read your book or magazine. No, I, but I tried that at first. Anyway, forget it was, about it. Like, I, I tried that at first. Like, that, that, exactly. That's what I tried. Like what I tried to do was like just ignore and go. Okay, this is going to go away. So yeah, there's six people in line right now. But okay, I'm sure once these six people are gone, it's going to go back to normal. So I'm not going to be a hard ass about it. But then the whole you flight. Must not like it when people like stand over the poker table and watch. Huh? Are you the guy yelling clear the rail? I don't like that for a different reason. I don't like that because I feel like maybe someone's looking at my cards and giving signals. But but oh come on! All right. But but uh, oh no, that really happens. That's not that's not come on. You should you should you should never have someone standing over you where they can see your cards. 
I, I, hey, want to say, I don't let people stand over me, but you know, I yeah, I'm with you on that. I actually got in a fight with Perlot Friedman about that one time <laughs> before anyone knew who he was. Uh, I got in a fight with him about that because he had his girlfriend sitting like right behind me. Or no, sorry, he was sitting right behind his girlfriend who was playing with me, and, and, and in a place where he could totally see my cards. And I and I asked him to move. No, I I, I went to the floor man because. Not about Perlod specifically, but the floor man. There, there's a, for some reason that day at Commerce, people kept walking behind my seat constantly and kind of hanging out there. And I was getting and, – and so I, I, I told the floor man, can you please put an end to this? And then he promised he would, and then Perlod did it. And, and, and then I, I went to the floor man. I was like, I thought you were going to stop this. And then Perlod thought I was going just about him. And I explained to Perlod later, like, it was not about him. It was that the floor man had been, like, allowing this the whole time. But – he didn't believe me or something. Anyway, uh, but, but what, I, what I'm saying here is that in this case, I, I'm not paying for first class to have a long line of people, both, number one, blocking the bathroom for me to use if I want, and number two, uh, just standing over me the whole time. It's, it's just not a pleasant thing. I mean, can I survive it? Yes. Is, is, it, uh, is it the end of the world? No. But it's unpleasant to have a person just standing over you constantly waiting for a bathroom. It's something that you don't want in first class you're not paying for that you're paying in first class to be away from that and if so the truth is if that's going to be allowed i should get the money back between first class and coach it should not be i'm not getting what i paid for i'm not getting the bathroom now did you try to argue and get the money back i i had to write a complaint to the airline i i i tried to complain right there actually i did try to get some kind of compensation for this uh they said they can't do that at the gate that i have to write to the airline so i wrote and I, i they gave me some kind of miles or something it, it was it was kind of mediocre what they gave me but i dropped it but but anyway i just they gave you something I, yeah they gave me something they, they agreed they, they agreed they actually did agree and they 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 admitted that they researched it and that this did occur they they acknowledged that this happened and that it was against the uh the the spirit of the rule that was basically what they were. I don't have the letter anymore. It's been 20 years. But they basically acknowledged I was right. It, it wasn't one of these things like, sorry for your inconvenience. Here's you know, 20,000 miles. It was like, you know, we researched it. We, you know, we understand. We, we've informed the stewardess to, uh, you know, the, the, the rules about this. And it's not something like that where they said it's not going to happen again. And they are, uh, um, they've made it more clear of, of the rules that this is an exception rather than a, a policy that the stewardess should be making. So Something like that. So they were... It seemed like they, and the per, the person at the gate fully agreed with me too. They said that's not. They immediately told me this is something that they should do in emergency, not make for policy. So I assumed what this was was really just like it really was like class warfare for the stewardess that she felt bad that the that 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 that, that the white people in first class have a bathroom they can use at any time with no line, and 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 the Jamaicans in the back have to stand on line to use the bathroom. It's not fair. That that's what I think it was. I don't know for sure, but that's what I think it was, and. Uh, but whatever it was, it was the it, it was a violation of the airline's policy. It's not even like me just deciding, oh, I don't like the service they're giving me. I'm going to make up my own rules or my own standards. This, no, they, you're were, right. they were violating the airline standards. The, 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 not they. What, the, the stewardess was violating the airline standards. But me and her got in a big shouting match there about this. I mean, it was really. And then the people in New York got involved. It was a very ugly situation. Now, had this. Let's say this occurred today. Let's say this. Oh, you'd exact, be- in handcuffs the minute you got off the plane. Right. So that's so. So had this happened today, um, I, I would have gone to the stewardess. I would have said something. If she said she's not going to allow it, I would have very like calmly and softly like tried to disagree. If she got agitated, or if it turned into any kind of extended 
debate, I would have immediately backed down and sat down. And that, that's yeah. the, the difference now because I would because right, I would have been in handcuffs on the ground because the oh, slightest. They do not fuck around. They, airport, they don't. Man. That's that's. I I actually had it uh, post nine eleven. This was you know, th- this is five years you know, ago fl- flying to Atlantic City. I think it was, it was no somewhere it was, it was somewhere out of five years ago. I was flying and they. Uh, I paid for Economy Plus, and I get in my seat and it doesn't recline. Which, which now I'm smarter about. Now I check SeatGuru.com, which tells you which seats don't recline. But I was outraged. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, what the hell? I paid extra for Economy Plus, and now the seat doesn't recline? They go, well, you get your leg room. I go, yeah, but I lose it the other way. I can't recline then. So I did. I, so like, I understood that it's not the stewards' fault that I picked that seat. So I wasn't, I wasn't giving her a hard time. But I did see that there were open seats uh, also in Economy Plus that did recline. So I said, can I move to those? And she says, well, we don't know if someone's going to come on the plane and take them. I said, okay, how about can we wait until the plane takes off and then after the seatbelt sign goes off, if those are empty, can I move there? And she says, no. I said, why Why not? She says, because you know you have to stay in your own seat. I'm like, I'm, so I'm trying to explain to her that I, I, I didn't get what I paid for with the uh, Economy Plus if I can't recline. There's no way I would have bought this if I couldn't recline, that they should have disclosed it. All true, but they don't disclose. I said, I said, at the very least, let me move to an empty seat. I'm not asking for an upgrade. I'm asking just let me move to a different seat in the same section that doesn't have this problem. She said no. In the old days, I would have really gone off about it, made a big scene, but because it was post-9-11. You shut up about it. I shut up and sat down. And uh, amazingly, this is one of the few cases where not being an asshole worked. <laughs> and they, So ten minutes, like 15 minutes into the flight, the stewardess comes up to me and says, and she was very, very hard line about not letting me move. She comes up to me and says, yeah, I decided to let you move over there. So, yeah, you, you guys can move. So it was the fact that I backed down so easily that actually helped me in this case, which usually isn't the case. Usually when you're dealing with these situations, uh, it, it's the angry, loud person that gets something. It's not, it's not the person who acts passive. But this was a rare case where me acting passive actually helped. And, uh, and and she moved me. But the funny thing is, I was just going to tolerate it. I was not going to argue it any further because I was. I, I felt like I, you know. I, and I was very calm in the way I explained it. I never raised my voice. I never like argued aggressively. I never said anything like that stupid or like I, I was very careful to say you know the language I used and the way I did it. Like a, and and keep it very short. And then when she said a hard no, I just gave up and sat down. So and I was just going to deal with it and then write to the airline later. So you know, I, I read a story thinking of how crazy and secure airports are. You ever hear of the stowaway lady? Uh, she got caught like six or seven times stowing away on airplanes. Yeah, yeah. She just got caught. She just got caught here in Chicago. But this lady, I mean, how do you do that? How do you get past security six times? Unreal. Yeah, I, I know that was you know, weird. I, I, wonder, I wondered that too when I saw that. Uh, so FPS Russia is saying that he. He thinks that uh, so someone asked if you ever bluffed a missing item, and then FES Russia says, "I bet he has, but won't admit." I no, no, I didn't. Uh, I, see, I don't do things like that. I don't try to pretend things have happened just to get things out of companies. I, I see that like a scam. I don't do that. I, I, Wait, I will, bluff a missing item, like call up somewhere and say you lost something. Yeah, I think you that's mean? what he's trying to say. Like, like why the fuck would you do that? Well, because the airlines, if you claim you lost something. Uh, like, like, like you could say you lost your luggage when you really pick up your luggage, and the airline won't know the difference, and then you can get uh, you know the, their insurance to pay you for it. But I, I see, I th- see that like a scam. See, I don't, I don't pull things like that. I, I only demand things which I feel 
I, I deserve either because I got you know didn't get what I paid for in some way, or I was put through a lot of hassle and want some sort of you know some sort of comp in return for all the ha- needless hassle I was put in for something. And I I don't mean like the airlines late with a flight. I I mean things like uh, you know some kind of stupid customer service thing where that were. Uh, where a lot of my time is wasted or someone's excessively nasty or rude to me when I was right the whole way. Like they will sometimes ask for something, you know, hey, give me this comp because this happened. But I'll never, like, lie about something uh, just to get some kind of compensation that I don't deserve because the company won't know the difference. Like, I'll never do that. So I've, I've never bluffed a missing item, as Lou Father said in chat, and that, that's just not me. So... Uh, the only thing I, I've I've gotten that I, I technically, I, I guess, shouldn't have gotten from an airline was when uh, Air Canada has this really dumb policy that if if you don't show up, let's say you have first class, if you don't if you don't check in sixty minutes before the flight, even even if it's like fifty eight minutes. The computer automatically takes your seat and assigns it to someone else, even if they didn't pay for it. So, like, it'll take your first class seat and just auto auto upgrade someone to first class with your seat, and then you're moved to coach, which is so freaking ridiculous. The U.S. airlines don't do it that way. The U.S. airlines wait till very close to the flight time, and then and then they'll call your name a few times. And if you don't show up, then they'll give away your seat. But they'll never it, an hour beforehand is crazy. So I I once got to the 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 gate at. Uh, or, or to the check-in at 58 minutes, literally 58 minutes, and they were giving away my seat. So the uh, I said, well, what about the money I paid? So they said, well, uh, the difference is $120 in this case. So I said, okay, can I have it back? They said, yes, but you've got to put in a request for it, and uh, you, you have to do it through our main office. So I said, what a pain in the ass. So, okay, so I called the main office. And they said, okay, we'll put in your request. It will take 12 weeks. <laughs> and I said, well, 12 weeks? Did to give me $120 back? They said, yes. I said, that's crazy. How, how can that be 12 weeks? I said, could I pay 12 weeks late for my airfare? How come you can't give me a refund for 12 weeks? They said, uh, unfortunately, we underestimated our staffing levels, and, and, and we're way behind on processing these refunds. I said, well, can you hire more people? No, well, you got to wait 12 weeks. So I thought that was ridiculous. So I, I called my credit card company, and I said, look, they can't can just – charge it back? Yeah, I said, yeah, they, can, they can't just hold up my, my, uh, my money for this time. There's got to be something reasonable in processing a refund. They can't tell me uh, three months is reasonable. The credit card company agreed, gave me the $120 back. Now, uh, what happened was either the credit card company ate the $120 or they just took it off the airline and the airline didn't realize it, which does happen sometimes as well. So 12 weeks later, I got the $120. Do you think I called Air Canada? Oh, yeah, and... You didn't give it back. No, I'm not going to call Air Canada and say, hey, I got, you know, I already got it back on my credit card. Here's your $120. Screw that. Well, they, what you should have done is you should have called them back and told them that you would send it back in 12 weeks. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I have to send it back in, in uh, 12 centuries. That's what I'll do. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, after everything, after all that crap. Like with, it has it in 12 years. No, I, I, I felt that months. between that ridiculous policy and especially holding my money for 12 weeks because they don't feel like hiring enough people. Screw them. If they're if that's going to be their attitude about my money, <laughs> then I'm not I'm not lifting a finger to give them any of their money back. So, F them. 
Also, I th- also I thought it was possible that that the credit card company aided anyway. So, so in that case, Air Canada wouldn't even deserve it back. But uh, the, that that was the only way I ever got something. But that wasn't even intentional. I just wasn't going to waste the twelve weeks. I, I'm not waiting twelve weeks to get a refund ever. Ever. No, it's a joke. Twelve weeks. Come on. So. So that was my airline story. Someone asked me to repeat this here. And it's one of these things that on the surface can sound bad. Because on the surface, it sounds like that I was telling a little kid he can't use the bathroom. On the surface, it sounds like you were being an asshole. Yeah, on the surface, it makes it sound like I'm telling a little kid he can't use the bathroom because I'm in first class and he's not. And how can that ever sound good? How can that ever make you... It makes you sound like a, a rich asshole... Who's, 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 who's telling children that they have to hold it and not use the bathroom because he's not rich like, like you. Like, Druff, the story took a dive when you said you were starting to tell these people they had to go back. And then it really took a dive when you said the last kid was 10 years old. Yeah. Imagine that kid's parents. Well, but the thing what is... That kid's parents came up and told you not to talk. Like, you really, like, that's... Wow! No, I'm allowed to talk to a ten year old kid. It's not like I was—I didn't take him to the bathroom. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I, I, look, I, growing up, I had adults all the time telling me. When I say adults, I mean like ones that that weren't in any position of authority over me. I'm not, I'm not talking about my parents or my teachers. I, I've had adults before say, "You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to do this." You know that I, I never felt like they can't say this to me. I saw, okay, I'm 10. This this is an adult. They're telling me I can't do this. I, I sometimes wasn't happy to hear it, but I didn't feel like they have no right to say this to me. I felt like they're an adult. They they, they know better, and it, it makes sense You know that adults just do that. Adults will see you're doing something they don't want you to do or you shouldn't be doing, and they tell you don't do this. That's a, that's what I felt as a 10-year-old myself, and it happened many times. So I, I was never, and I don't think my parents would have gotten mad if, you know, if I was really doing something I wasn't supposed to, and an adult told me to stop doing it, even if they weren't someone that was uh, in charge of me. I, I don't think my parents would have had a problem with that. So that's that's where I was going. I, it wasn't just the kid; it was everybody. I went like one by one through the line because I thought I thought these people were just coming up there when they weren't supposed to. I didn't know the stewardess was allowing it. If, if I knew the stewardess was allowing it, I wouldn't have gone to the people. So. In fact, after the, I knew the stewardess was allowing it, I felt bad about going to the people because it wasn't their fault. The, the stewardess said it's fine, and then I'm telling them they can't. They, they were kind of perplexed. So, yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, for whatever reason, Lou Father's asking for a Frank Coletta shout out from you. I don't know what that means, but Frank Coletta. I have I no idea. I don't know who Frank Coletta is either. I know who Frank Coletta is. That's the uh, guy from uh, Casino. Oh, okay, but I don't know why he's saying that. Me neither. Uh, question. I, I missed the beginning of the show. Uh, how late were you? Only about 10 minutes. Unless you count late. Like the, show Only- st- the, the show started late, later than usual, but it was announced as 8.30, and it started around 8.40. Okay. It started around 8.40. So it was, uh, well, that's not, that's not bad. You're getting better. No, I, you, you'd be proud. You'd be surprised how all the rushing I did around here to only be that much. I had a lot of stuff to do. In a short time, but but I don't get. Here's what I don't get: You do this show every single week. You know it's coming. Why is this stuff being done that doesn't need to be done before it? Well, what happens is like did your schedule change that much? No, I mean, because it's in the early evening. I never understood. It's 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 the early evening that's the problem. Is that there's always different things involving Benjamin or stuff that Ben's mom wants me to do or things like that that take longer than expected. And 
But they know the show is going on. No, but they but they know but they know I you know that I I'm going to do it the night. So you do this before the show, do that before the show. It's just like it's expected. I have this much time before the show, and if time if things take extra time, then this happens. Now, some of it's my fault. Some of it is is me uh, starting too late with doing things or, or not doing something earlier in the day. I could have, but whatever, whatever. It just always seems like because it's right in the early evening when when it's around the time we're eating and it's around the time uh, doing other things involving Benjamin. Like sometimes I just end up late and. I've even had it before where I, where I had to go somewhere beforehand. And I have traffic. It's, it's a lot of different causes. So Traffic must be bad there, huh? Yeah, but for, fortunately, most people listen in the archives, and it's not to degrade the live listener. I, I, I know it's annoying for the live listener to show up and the show is not there. Uh, when well, I we see hate it. When it's going to start. I know that's annoying. In fact, I've I experienced this with that Mike Dentali and Kate Hall match where they kept stalling. And it didn't start at the time they said it would, and I was annoyed. And go, oh, this oh, is how my, was, this is how my radio listeners feel. Like I, I think, oh, I, you know, I, I'm kind of frustrated about this, but then I put my radio listeners through this every week anyway, so I can't complain too much. But yeah. that, like, I know it's annoying, but I no, I don't think it's annoying. I think it's funny. I think it's a, a constant little running joke you have with the show. I think it's good. You keep it up. At least you're consistent. <laughs> well. Anyway, the show next week, let me tell you guys about the upcoming weeks with the show. Uh, next week, uh, I think the show, well, see, I, that's, here's the problem. I, I'm not sure if I can make it on Wednesday. Uh, oh, wait, wait, no, no, I know I can't make it on Wednesday. Forget that. I think the show's going to be on Thursday. I cannot make it, I, I mentioned this before. Wednesday, I'm just absolutely unavailable the entire day. So I was thinking of maybe Tuesday, but I I think I'm landing on Thursday. So I'm I really believe the show is going to be on Thursday next week, and that will be on Thursday the sixth, and it'll be around probably around eight p.m. I'll announce it on the Twitter account, twitter.com/slash/pokerfraudalert. The following week, there's not going to be a show. The following week, I'm just not going to be available to do it. The week after that. The show should be back on its normal Wednesday, so that'll be Wednesday the nineteenth. But uh, the Wednesday the twelfth week, there's not going to be a show. But there actually might be, but it just won't be me. Brandon messaged me the other day and wanted some information for running a test show, so I gave it to him, and he said very soon he's going to test it out. And then maybe he'll run a show soon. So I'm going to suggest to him if, if, if he wants to do a show, you know, he can even do the main Poker Fraud Alert radio. I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be the format that I usually do, just uh, a show totally in place of the regular Poker Fraud Alert radio show that I do because I, I won't be doing one during the week of April 12th. So that's uh, there will be no show that week. And there will be a show, uh, as I said, on April 6th will be the next one. That's I'm almost sure that's going to be the day I do it. I will not be available on April 5th. So that's the future. And then, as I said, after that, we'll be back to normal again for a while until Z-World Series, which at the moment it's looking like I'm not going to start playing until like June 11th. So, Well, that's, that's when I was thinking about going. 
Okay, that's uh, you'll probably in June. Probably actually, I also want to say it's my birthday on Tuesday. So, for my birthday, can you just for a birthday present? Can you just start the show on time? I don't know about that. Oh come on! Now, how old, right. how old are you going to be on Tuesday? I'm going to be 31. Oh, okay. Yeah, these, these. So let me ask you this, Jeff. How long have you had a bank account? Well, actually, I got my first bank account before you were born. Well, before you were born, I got my first bank that's, account that's in, 19, in 1980. So I, I actually, my mom suggested I get one, just 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 to get used to having a bank account. I, I put my own money in there. You know, I had money I collected. I was even a cheap Jew as a kid. So, like, money, <laughs> money I got from presents or other things for, from my parents, I, I put them in a little safe. It, it, you know, it was very easy to open, but it looked like a safe. And I, I kept it in there. And then my mom suggested, you know, I could put it in a bank account and the bank could keep it safe. So... I, I, she brought me down, down to a bank called Downey Savings, which was a uh, local bank in Southern California. And I, I believe it was the year 1980. And they gave me a little passbook where they had your running balance. Yeah. Of course, there was no looking online in those days. How about uh, first computer? When did you buy that? Well, I didn't buy it. older than me? Yeah, the, I didn't buy it. I was only 10. But uh, yeah, 1982... My dad got a uh, oh, wow. a Commodore VIC twenty, and I ended up being the one who mostly used it. And that was my wow. first real usage of computers. Now, so my parents put me in—I think it was in the summer—they put me in a, a little programming class for kids, and <laughs> I, I wasn't sure how I liked it at first. Like, I, it wasn't like I jumped into it thought, "Oh, this is great." Like, I, at first, I was kind—I kind of had mixed feelings about it about whether I like programming or not. But then shortly after the class, I was kind of like, you know what, this is pretty cool. So I started to teach myself after that. So the, the class kind of gave me like a, a basic foundation on how to do basic programming. Now I'm talking about the language basic. And then I actually got a book, and that I did buy myself for, for programming in basic. And, and so I started learning how to do more and more with it. And that's when I really started developing an interest in computers was that year in 82 when I was 10. Mm. And, uh, and then in, in 85, my dad bought an IBM AT, which was like an update to the IBM PC. So that was, uh, that was a much better computer than the VIC-20 was. So then, uh, so it went from there. So by the time I entered college, I, I knew I wanted to go into computer science and, and I did. And by then I had uh, already done a lot of programming on my own that uh, I'd mostly taught myself. So, yeah, it all started when I was 10. And I, I'd used oh. computers before that occasionally. Like at school, they had Apple computers and stuff there that we'd do stuff with. But there was no- Every school has Apple computers. Yeah, yeah, even back then. But it's What a great marketing scheme, right? Yeah. Get everyone used to using Apple. I mean, it's great. Though so I've never owned an Apple computer. I have an I have an Apple smartphone, but I don't have I've never had an Apple computer. You don't you don't use Apple computers? Nope. Never have. That's your that's your problem. I, the only time I your problem. The, the only real experience I have with them was in 92 I had a summer job. I was programming 
on, on for for Max, but that was it. I didn't even have a Mac. I stopped liking I stopped liking Windows after XP. I mean, it all went downhill from there. Oh. Well, Windows has this thing where they it's like the every other every other Windows released is good, and every other one is bad. So Windows XP was a good one. And, Windows uh, XP was one of the greatest. I still have a machine that runs it. My arcade machine runs XP. And then I, I love it. Then you know, Windows 2000 or ME, you know, they were kind of interchangeable. That, those, those were that was bad. Then Windows, uh, Windows Seven was good. Windows Eight was Vista bad. Vista was terrible. W- w- yeah, yeah. Windows Eight, which was Vista, was bad, and uh, Windows Ten is good. So it goes back and forth. Like it's a, and it, it's not, it's not totally, it's not coincidental. It's, it's what they tend to do is they release a version of Windows with some new things that they don't really put a lot of effort to get right, and then from all the consumer complaints of what sucks, then they make a better version of it. So like Windows, Windows Ten is what Windows Eight was supposed to be. It all sucks. It's all crap. So, and I, I knew it. I like I knew with Windows Eight being terrible, which I I avoided Windows Eight so much. I was I was so not wanting to use Windows Eight. I was sticking to Seven as long as I could. I only had Windows Eight very briefly on a new computer I bought. I mean, are, are Macs just too expensive for you, or what's the deal? I, I just don't like that. I, mean, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not really like Macs. I don't really like iOS. I, I I've always felt like Apple in general is too controlling. Uh, they are. The iPhone is a little bit different, but they, they, that's very controlling too. But at least it's, it's with, with a phone. The iPhone is very controlling. Yes, you well, can't even can't even make your own ringtones. Well, that's why I'm, I've I've jailbroken it. But you know, a jailbroken iPhone to me is, uh, is it's good enough. But it's it's different. The the, the computer I really want more freedom. And I'm actually someone who. Uh, really prefers doing a lot of things on computers that some people like doing on their phone. Like, I I don't like mobile versions of websites. I don't like uh, I, I don't like doing really tasks on websites using the phone. I, I really just want to use the computer for everything. I, I I don't pay bills on the phone. I all that type of stuff I do, do on the computer. Do you use an app on your phone to look at Poker Fire Alert? No, I just use I just use regular just. Same thing as the view everybody else has. In fact, I turned off the mobile view that was forcing itself up for some people. I, I, I whenever I see a mobile version of a site come up, I go, "Oh, I don't want that." I, I try to look for the full site version. I, I never want to use the yeah. mobile version, and and I, I like being on computers. A lot of times when people are having trouble using some site or using an app of some site. I go, oh, I can't do this. Where, where's this function? I go, you know what? This is not a good thing to be doing on the phone. This is a thing that's better for the computer. Like, like Amazon's a good mm-hmm. example. The Amazon sucks either as an app or, or the mobile version of it. You really want to be on a computer for Amazon? It, Amazon works great if you go to the bottom of the PokerFraud website and you click on that banner. And uh, don't worry, you won't see what we're buying, right? Well, that's true. Well, thank you for bringing that up. I, I do have a banner on the bottom of Poker Fraud Alert, which Amazon Amazon. Just any page on PokerFraudAlert.com, if you scroll to the bottom, I mean any page, you'll see an Amazon banner. Now, the reason that's there is so you can click on it before you're going to make an Amazon purchase. If, you click, if you're not going to buy anything, you don't, that doesn't help me if you click on it. But if you're going to buy something, just go there, click buy on it. Buy whatever you want. Yeah, and then click on it. 
and then I will get a percentage of like three to six percent, or maybe two to six percent, something like that. They decide what I get. And buy whatever you want, folks. Buy whatever you want. But 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 honestly, I will see what was bought, but I will not see who bought it. So never, no matter how embarrassing it is, I have no way to tell who you are. So it doesn't matter. Has, uh, if anyone bought any weird things? You, I, you know, I, I don't even look, really. I, I haven't looked in the longest time. I haven't seen anything that weird. But, like, I, and I, I wouldn't want to say it out here anyway, like, even though there's no names attached to it, I still wouldn't <laughs> want to say it. But I, I haven't really noticed anything too weird. But if you were to buy, like, like a double-headed dildo, it's not like I would say, oh, look, look what this person bought. I wonder what they're using that for. Like, I would see, <laughs> I would, I would see it was bought, but I would not be able to see who did it. And... I, I'm telling the truth. You can look this up yourself. That Amazon does not no, release that. Infor- they don't release that information. If someone held a gun to my head and say, "Tell us who bought that," I I couldn't tell them because I, I would have no way to access it. Amazon will not release that information to me. All they will let me know is what was bought and what percentage I was given. And and you're not paying any higher of a price. So you're paying the exact same price you'd be paying otherwise. I just get a percentage of it. And you say, may say, "Well, why do I need to do that for this cheap Jew?" Uh, just just to, <laughs> just to help the site you got to help the site you got to make you don't make money off it you yes. donate to the free roll some something has got to pay these bills ladies and gentlemen <laughs> get on there get on amazon yeah that's so that's just something you can do it's not, i'm not going to get a lot of money from it yeah it's just a small percentage but it adds up you know i i I've, i don't make that much from it but it's an effortless thing it just uh, it, it adds up and then it just auto ships money to my bank account every so often so whatever, I might as well. I, I would never have it there as an intrusive thing. That's why I put it at the very bottom of the page rather than the top. So you usually don't see it. It's something you have to scroll down to find. And I do that on purpose because I I don't want intrusive advertising up on the site unless something wants to pay a lot of money to me or whatever. But uh, once in a while, I'll put an ad on the top of the site. But for the most part, no. Yeah, you had that World Series. You had that World Series ad, right? That I was did a few months back. I, I had the World Series ad and. You know, I'd, I'll, I'd do that again. It was just like a, they paid me some money for just a, three weeks of the ad. So I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, I, I, I'm not going to advertise anything that's shady, but it was just a, it was a legitimate contest to win some kind of prize from the World Series itself. So I'll advertise that. Yeah, I remember me, me and Callaway were hoping it was Jack Link's beef jerky, but, <laughs> you know, you couldn't come through with the Jack Link sponsor. Yeah, I'm not even anti-running ads on the site, but it's got to be something that I'm sure isn't shady or I think is a high what chance. What about poker fraud alert patches? Can we get those if we want to wear them in the little period? You don't have to pay anyone. You just want to wear them. Yeah, I could probably get some at some point. You know, I, I have to give you know, Ray Davis and his real grinders thing he's doing, I have to give him credit. He's very good at establishing like a, a crowd because he that that group, that Real Grinders group on Facebook, that has like over 5,000 people, and it's a very active group. And there's even a lot of poker yeah. pros that lurk in there. That's a very active group. And and even I got into – like even I post on there now. And, and I'll give them credit. They let me post announcements of this show and don't consider it spam. They don't delete it. And, and, and well, I, they were on this show. Well, they were, but I, I, I wasn't even like – the last time I talked about Ray Davis, I actually wasn't totally positive about him, this whole thing. No, you weren't. So – but, you know – I, I and I told him I said, look, I was just giving my opinion. I wasn't trying to take any sides here, which I wasn't. But I, I, I give them credit. They let me post this this show when it's on once a week, and 
I, I do participate in the group. I actually do contribute content to the group. So I, I feel I, I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of it at all because I am helping that group and making good posts there. So and and you know and, and I'm a real poker pro participating there. So I, I think all that it's not like they're giving they're not compensating me at all. So I just okay I'll I'll post once once a week when Poker Fraud Alert starts. Oh. I'll post it there. Maybe we'll get some new listeners. You're a real poker pro. What's a fake poker pro? Well, there's a lot of fake poker pros. A fake poker pro is someone who claims to be a poker pro and, and doesn't actually win or support themselves with it. Mike Mike Dentale. I don't know. Is I don't even know if I don't think he says he's a poker pro. I think he just uh, he, he he's a business owner who plays poker. That guy's the worst. The worst. Yeah, you know, I got so sick of that Mike Dentale, Kate Hall topic. Like, I saw that there was interviews that Doug Polk did with uh, both of them. And I, I was like, Oh, I watched two seconds of the Dentale one and that was it. Couldn't do it. I didn't even watch That's the Dentale one. one. I watched about half of the Kate Hall one and I got tired of it and turned it off. But you know, that's, that's the time of your life. You're never going to get back. Yeah. So I, I decided I'm not going to waste the audience's time further with this. It's just, it, there was just too much. We, we talked so much about it. that I just, I didn't want to say, okay, well now here's the exit interviews. I'm like, no, I, as much as I like playing videos and commenting on them, which is one of my favorite things to do on the show, I just I couldn't bring myself to do it again. I just thought the topic's done. Unless Are I, you going to do any more prank calls with your voices? I mean, what's going on with that? Well, the voices. On on, the I, show I, here? I, I realize the voices. I have to use that external sound card. That, that it's a feature of the external sound card for when I'm in a secret location. And, ah, okay. And I, I don't. That's the, the one downside with that sound card is it's. Uh, that, that's where it's kind of soft because I plug the headphones directly into it instead of through a preamp device. Now I might be able to use the preamp device into the external sound card, but I don't know. It's it, it's a lot of trouble to go through. Just, I just I just think the listeners they want more funny prank phone calls. No, we should, and you're good at them, so let's let's keep it going. I mean, we we really should. You know, I I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but on on Yahoo Chat where I used to chat a lot. I know I've mentioned that, but. There, they, they had a voice chat feature where while you're chatting, you could also get on the microphone and talk, which I thought was cool. And this was going back back to like the late '90s. You could do this in like '99 uh, over dial-up. Okay. So, I I found yes, one. I, room, I remember. I found one room there, like a user-created room that was for prank calls. And so I heard some prank calls that were being done on there, and they were awful. They weren't funny at all. So I said, here, let me do this. So I, I, I took over and I started doing it. And I, I was older than most of the people in that group because, uh, you know, there was, it was prank calls. But it's not like they were all like little kids. There, there were some teenagers in there, but there were a lot of people who were there were, uh, you know, like early 20s or whatever. At the time, I think I was uh, like late 20s. But I uh, – the people really loved my prank calls. And, and something that I was getting, I was getting so many girls messaging me there. Who were uh, just loved the prank calls and and just like really really seemed interested in me because they thought the prank calls were hilarious and they just they really really wanted to talk to me and then I'd look at the profile and yeah they were younger than me but they were legal and, and a lot of them were surprisingly hot so I was all happy about this and then every time I asked them where do you live oh I live in New York oh I live in Boston oh I live in Florida I'm like damn it why can't there be one freaking girl in Southern California like I, never. All those times I did the prank calls, and I didn't do it to get girls to talk to me. It just happened to occur. But but 
like I was so popular in that room and, and, and so many girls would just talk to me unsolicited and, and flirt with me really heavily and just never once were they anywhere nearby. Which is just demoralizing. I kind of like didn't even want to talk to them. I just kind of felt like it was a waste of time. But it was so frustrating. I just said, oh, why can't these girls be, like, at least some of them be local or semi-local? No, they're not. It was tough. It was tough. I just, uh, I I thought of just, it's not like I was in some tiny town that it's unlikely someone would be by me. I I was in the L.A. area. I mean, it's it's a large area. It's a large population. How can we not get someone in in the southern area of California? And, uh, but I, I enjoyed that room. That was a fun room. I kind of got burnt out on it after a short time, but still. Uh, I never messed with the Yahoo Chats. I was an AOL person. Yeah, I thought the Yahoo Chats were much better. Not, not that they didn't have their own flaws, but I thought they were much better. And they uh, one thing yeah, I, ni- 97's about the time I got on the internet. Yeah, that's when yeah. a lot of people kind of found it around then. I, I was on before that, but uh, I was actually on before they had the web. Well, that's when I got my own screen name. Before that, for years before that, I obviously, you know, we all went on our parents' accounts. You know. Yeah, well, you couldn't have been that many. You, you, you were, you're, you're going to be turning 31, which means you were born in 86. So Yeah, oh no, I mean, I've had a computer in my life since 1990. Well, you, so. were, like, you were four. Yeah. I was four years old playing on the computer. What's okay. wrong with that? Okay. Well, anyway, that's... Uh, yeah, maybe we'll do some more prank calls. I think, I think you should. I think the listeners also think you should. Yeah, if anybody has these scam numbers, I know a lot of times they change very quickly, but if you do get scam calls from a number that can be called back... And the, the the number you see on the caller ID, sometimes you can't call it back. But if you, you do find one that you can call back or if they leave you a message to call them, whatever, uh, give it to me because uh, I, I like to prank call these things. So those are fun to prank call. Why does it have to stop there, though? I think if anyone wrongs you, let's get their number. Let's let's get to the bottom of it. Well, so, so these, the, the, the thing is, like, I can't even when businesses screw up or something or even if it's really obnoxious what they've done, I, I sometimes can't call on the show because either – It'll be at the wrong time of day to be calling, or even if it is at the right time, I'll have to be giving out certain personal information I wouldn't want over the air. So it makes it okay. a lot tougher. Uh, or, or, or if I'm, I'm looking for them to seriously solve the problem, I don't want it to get back to them. I'm putting them on a, a radio show without them knowing. Like, There's a lot of things I, I wouldn't do with that. Uh, it's different when there's like an issue with a poker room or something. We call up a poker room. It's like a poker show. We call up, yeah, we're calling about some kind of general concern. And there, I, I don't feel as bad about. I don't feel bad about putting that on the air. I think that's kind of a service to the listeners in some cases, even if it's like half a prank call. Yeah. But in fact, in some cases, we've gotten things done where where, th- where positive things have happened for the people who've brought issues to me. Where I where, that is totally true. Where, that guy up in Wisconsin. Yeah, the Wisconsin one where the Colonel Fabersham calls up and gets them to change a policy. Like, uh, there, there's been some good yeah. that's come of these things. Colonel Fabersham yeah, even has a he, he has a room waiting for him at the Aria, a, a comp room for two nights. He just can't redeem it because he can't show up with ID saying Colonel Nigel Fabersham. Damn. Yep, it's That's been a bummer. It's been waiting for years. 
Maybe some actual English guy named Nigel Fabersham can uh, can do it. There probably isn't one, though. There should be, but I don't think there is a, a real Nigel Fabersham. Though he has a Facebook account. If you, if you go look up on Facebook, you can look up Nigel Fabersham. You can add him. He, he doesn't use I'm his Facebook try. He doesn't use his Facebook account. I try to add you on Facebook, but you don't want to accept friend requests, huh? Uh, well, you you can send it again. I, I, okay. I, except for certain people, I, I've got to have an idea of who they are, because uh, you know, they're, I, I don't just add randoms, and I also don't like adding people if I don't know much about them, because then then I get concerned that it's just some person trying to stalk me. So there are there are some there are a few listeners of this show who are a little bit uh, odd that way. They just want to uh, they don't like me. That are just trying to stalk, which which is inevitable uh, in any show like this. But that's, <laughs> I, I don't just I don't just add anybody. And then like on my Facebook, like I'm also just cautious about what I post. Like I don't, you'll never see a po- picture of Benjamin up there. There's some people that are constantly posting pictures of their kids. That's not me. Like there's not one picture of oh, Benjamin. I hate, when, I hate when people do that. They have to be insane. Yeah, I, I just don't. I just feel weird making pictures of him public on sites like that. So there's there's like no pictures of him anywhere online. And uh, I'll show people privately. Like I meet people from the forum. I'll show them him because uh, then it's not being distributed. I don't mind people seeing Benjamin. I don't mind people meeting Benjamin. I just don't want pictures out there. It just feels weird. Huh. And okay, well, I think that's going to be it here. We just kind of. Yeah, we're snapping the show off. Let's do it. We rambled a lot at the end of this here, but uh, yeah, we it's we'll the be, end of the show. Yep, yeah, we'll be back in eight days. Oh, but, you know, before I finish here, I want I want to talk about something else. Someone brought this up to me in text, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit. Phil Galfond had announced last year that he's starting a poker site. I remember that. That was meant to compete with poker stars. It was not meant for the U.S. market. I sent them an email at the time because they said, if you think you can bring something to this site and want to work here, please let us know. So I, I didn't just send an unsolicited email. They were requesting if you want to work there to let them know. So I said, all right, what the hell? I like the general mission statement he made of the way a poker site should really be. So I emailed them and told them about myself. I told them about uh, what I could bring to the table. I told them in some general terms some of the ideas I had, and I also made sure they understood I wasn't looking to take some kind of low-man position. I didn't want to be a customer service rep. I didn't want to be a programmer. Uh, I I wanted to have some sort of management-type position. Otherwise, I just didn't want to bother with it. So... You know, basically, I wanted a job that would be helpful to them, but also rewarding to me. I wasn't going to do some tedious job. I, I don't need to take a tedious job now, so I wasn't going to take some job where I'm not doing anything uh, creative or I have to use my mind. I, I, I'm not going to do some, some uh, mindless task. So I, I mentioned that, too, without putting it in that way. So I, I was pretty clear about everything, and, and Phil responded to me personally and you know gave me a nice answer and said he liked my letter and... Uh, you know, he, he he forwarded it on to his team there to let them review it. 
I eventually got back a message from someone on his team saying that we really liked everything you had to say, but the type of position you're looking for, it's already been completely filled. We, we have every person in management we feel we need already. So, so sorry, we'll keep you in mind for the future, but uh, there's nothing we can do, which I, I think I believe. You know, they could have been bullshitting me, but whatever it was, it was, it was telling me they're not interested, though claiming that only because they already had the positions full. Uh, that site has still not launched. It was supposed to be already be up by now. I think it was supposed to come up like January 2017. It did not come up. In December, I think they put out some sort of statement that they're having some unforeseen delays. It might be regulatory. I know that they want to run by the book. So they may be having regulatory issues in some of these countries, which is understandable. But I, I think one thing that they're not realizing there, and I, I don't know very well all the people that are involved, but I, I have a feeling that the people involved with the site are all kind of Phil Galfon's age, which are like early 30s, like kind of around there. Maybe some a little older, some a little younger, but kind of all circling around that age range. And, and so here's the problem. Um... I think a lot of people, especially a lot of recreational players, are not going to be thrilled about joining a poker site which is run by people in their early 30s. It's just... Well, what do they give a shit? Because you, you, you want someone older that you feel like is going to be responsible. You, you want to feel like there's someone involved that, that was... That, well, I know you're saying that because you're about to be 31, but... I, I, well, I th- no, I'm saying that because, like, that's... Why would the general public care? Because because their money they, because of their money care because, the site? because they still have to trust the site the the trust is a big thing even for fish they still have to trust the site they still have to think it's going to be run properly they got to think their money's safe I think having it doesn't have to be all older people but I, I think having no people involved that are past like early thirties which I think is the case I'm not sure so maybe I'm wrong but I, I think that's the case. I, I think that's a mistake. And well, I, what if their demographic is kids my age? But I don't. But that's they—they they shouldn't want that. They should—they should want a demographic of of older people who will deposit the older recreational players who have the money to deposit and lose. Uh, the poker grinders—you can't have just that on the site, or it's a disaster. You have to have fish to support them. So I—I—I I, I tried to tell them in the email pitching to them. I was trying to say, look. I'm in my mid-40s, and I have the reputation of someone that's always fought scams and uh, and and all that in poker, that people know they could trust me. Even a lot of people who don't like me would feel that at least they could trust me in, in a, a position like this, and that also I'd be someone that they could feel they could go to with any issue they have, where, where customer service isn't treating them well or something like that, and they know I'd listen, they know I would approach it from a fair and common-sense standpoint, and that they have someone that, that would treat them fairly. And that's a big thing to have someone like that at the site. And that the recreational players and semi-recreational players, they see someone involved who not only has a history of fighting scams, but also is someone they more identify with in their own age group. Uh, it, it seems a lot more appealing to them than, than joining something that's run by much younger people. You feel like you're, you're joining a place that's run by kids, even if they're not kids anymore, but they're not that far removed from it. So I... I understood what they said by, you know, we're, we've got all the positions full. We can't really add anybody else. That, that's, that's fine, and that's understandable. But 
I, I felt it was a mistake. Personally, I felt that was a mistake to start a site without, especially one that you're hoping will. You, you don't want to start a site that's only appealing to poker pros and poker grinders because then you're not going to have any well, fish to support I, them. I think this is all a harebrained scheme as it is because, first of all, poker's fucking dead, even in Europe, right? And they're trying to compete with poker stars. Yeah, I, I, I agree. See, I agree with you that it wasn't a good idea. It's, it's kind of too late in the game to do it. and wasn't. It still isn't a good idea. Yeah, and, and it's too late in the game to do it. and Way too late. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, and poker stars are so established it's hard to compete with them. And you're not going to compete with them by just trying to appeal to the grinders and, and pros because they're going to need fish. I mean, they need fish in the game. They're not going to play each other. Yeah. Listen, it's Phil Galfon we're talking about. The guy had to sell his fucking million-dollar house with a slide in it, right? Because he couldn't afford it anymore. Well, I don't know if that's so why. It could, already, that, I mean, that could be or could not be. You don't know why he sold it, but it could be because of well, money. Well, either way, he had it and he sold it. And now he's in Europe trying to make uh, a poker site that's going to compete with poker stars. Yeah, Come well, on. I... Like, like I thought. These seem the actions of desperate people. I, I, I thought that some of the ideas they had, like some of them, were refreshing as far as what would be great to see a site acting that way. But I, I also felt that it wasn't. They weren't focusing enough on attracting the fish. It seemed more like this is what a poker pro is going to like to play on. But how are you going to attract fish? And they didn't seem to really have that game plan. And they, and they, I. They didn't really seem. To be taking that part seriously, maybe when it launches, I'm fish, wrong. But the fish already have a site. They've had a site for the last, I don't know, how many years. PokerStar has been around. What you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you agree with me there? It's very hard. It's very hard to at a point when a certain dominant business is very established to just show up and say, okay, we're going to compete with you now. Unless you really have something different to bring to the table that's going yeah, to appeal it, to most of the customers. It's like this guy's. It's like this guy's Tesla, right, with those cars. He's got a great idea, and they're awesome. But is this guy ever going to outsell GM or Mercedes or any of those? No. So it's not a waste of time, but, it, you know, it's an uphill battle. Yeah, or it's like if I, if I say, hey, I'm going to start a new cola that's going to compete with Pepsi and Coke. Even if it tasted very good, it would be very hard to get off the ground and very hard to get people to start drinking that instead of Pepsi and Coke. Exactly. They'll bury the, they'll bury him with, with ads. It's just like you cannot compete. Yeah, it, so it's, it's very, it is very hard to come in and, and just muscle out some other established, big established company in a market where people are used to that product and mostly happy with it. So I, it, it's a very it, tough battle. I would, if, if I was asked to invest in it, I would not invest in it. I would think it, the money would no, go No, I was about to say, if this were a stock, if this were mad money, if this were Jim Cramer, I would not be hitting the buy button right now. Yeah, I, I, no I wouldn't way. either. Though, though, I no way. I, I was willing to go, you know, to actually work for them where they pay me, and I and I take my best shot at at, at bringing something to it. I, I had a lot of ideas of things that could be done, but you know, they didn't take me. You know, one day I I hope one of these sites, you know, maybe one of the California legalized sites, if that ever happens, something. As I said That's earlier in the happened. show, I I don't think that I'm great at everything. There's many things I'm not good at at all, uh, but but I know in in uh, being in management of a poker site, I, I could do a very good job. I, I could do a really really good job in in managing one of these and uh, even bringing certain ideas I have that 
I think it would be innovative and interesting. I understand what the players are looking for. I understand what the recs are looking for. I understand what the pros are looking for. I, I understand what what. Well, what do you think the recs are looking for? What what the recs are looking for is uh, number one. They want uh, they want the games that they play to to be there to to. They they don't want to come and see a bunch of zeros of no one playing the games they want to play. They don't want to see a bunch yeah. of ones where people are just waiting heads up for them. They they want games they can sit in and play. They you know Amaya like running poker stars. I will give them credit in that they are coming up with ways to attract recreation players like the the the, the, the different like those spin and goes where where they can win a lot of money uh, if, if selected randomly to after winning a sit and go they they get selected randomly to went up to like a million dollars on one of them. That, that type of thing, yeah. that type of thing where they have a chance to win big money just by getting lucky, uh, that type of thing attracts them. So interesting promotions like that, which, which kind of make it more than just skill where it's kind of more pure gambling too, where you could possibly win a whole lot of money in one shot. So they like jackpots. They like little contests like yeah. that. They, they like, uh, they like the games that they want being available all the time. They, they, there's a lot of things that, that recreational players like. Like I would actually, uh, I would have, not, not on a site that's large already, but on a site that's trying to get going, I, I would definitely hire props that would uh, to, to play there at certain levels to, to get the games going and, to, and, and encourage the, ch- the props to chat and things like that. The, the recs also, they want to they chat. In fact, when I see a rec chatting in, in uh, games I play even today, I, I try to respond to them, and I even try to figure out what they're looking for. I try to figure out if the fish I'm playing with are looking for someone to talk trash with them, or if they're just looking for someone to have conversation with them. And I see both. I see both sometimes where you can tell that they're looking for a fight, and they want someone to talk shit to them. And, and so then I'll do that. I will talk shit to them, and they'll talk shit back to me, and we'll go back and forth. And sometimes that's what they want. But, you know, that's... Uh, also, recreational players, they, they want if there is some kind of promotion as far as giving them rewards for things, they you, you should put them ahead of the grinders. The grinders shouldn't be getting all the, the very best deals, except maybe for like props you pay to be there, but that's a different story. But the, the whole model of, of grinders getting the best of everything because they play the most hands is an antiquated model that, that really doesn't work. I mean, I, I could sit here all day talking about all this stuff, but it's not that exciting. But there's a lot of things yeah. that... that that can be done differently, and even from a customer service standpoint, everybody wants, the, everybody hates when they deal with a poker site, which is holding all this money of theirs, and, and they have terrible customer service. And, the, and Poker Stars got as big as they did because their customer service was great, and they they hired smart people to do their customer service. Terrence Chan and they got was 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 once big in the you know he was. Uh, one of the heads of customer service there. Like they, they hired competent, smart people like him to work customer service, not idiots. And that, like that's, that was how that and the very good software were how PokerStars got as big as they did. So that, that's something that's important. A lot of these sites skimp where they shouldn't have customer service and every, everyone gets frustrated and, and quits. So, and, and, you know, the, good software is important. Software that doesn't have bugs, software that's easy to use, uh, software that's, yeah, clean and straightforward. So, and do you think do you think Galphon's site would have any of that? Well, I, I think some of this they they have a goal to do. I don't know if they they're going to implement it right, but I saw some of the things they were talking about that I found I found was 
refreshing, and the even stuff Poker Stars didn't do right. But uh, you know, and if he were to do it the way I he was, just see this, I just see this as a laugh ditch effort to remain relevant in a dying industry. Yeah, it kind of is. And I, he, don't think, I, don't, and I don't think live poker is dying, and I predominantly play live poker. Uh, well, it is, too. That's yeah. why there's all these Vegas casinos closing, and, and that's why the commerce in L.A. doesn't have near the number of people they yeah, used to Yeah, but have. that's because Vegas is dead for poker. We knew, we knew that. But even L.A. even L.A. L.A. And, no, but and I'm telling you, L.A. doesn't Florida have... What, allows no limit. L.A. doesn't have what it once did. It, it, it's really way down from where it used to be. And We're off Florida. Florida's booming right I, now. I don't know about Florida, but maybe that's just because they opened up new possibilities there they didn't have before. I, I'm not saying well, yeah, it's dead, but poker, no limit. poker in general has slipped in popularity, and it's going to continue to slip in popularity. But it, it's a slow thing, and it also the World Series has shown that if you market right, that you can even still grow every year. If if you're, they're very good at marketing the World Series. That's why every year it gets a little bit bigger, with more and more people playing, and it's uh, so they they have not seen. A downturn in participation, like so many other aspects of poker. So, the World Series has been very good at that. Even with some comical operational fails, they've just been so good at marketing it that it's it makes them a ton of money. Yeah, it does. So, okay, we're gonna. It could be it could be the last profitable thing Caesar has. Yeah, it is. It is something they find very valuable. Well, we will be back in eight days. I guess now technically seven and some change. This will be very likely April the 6th. Check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert to get the updates on that. Thank you, Larry, for being part of the end few hours of the show. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh... I get a couple quick shout outs there. Uh, shout out to uh, Gringo. Yep, Gringo, shout out who's to my boy Gringo, who was briefly banned and came back. And they, I don't know why he did that. I had to had to tell him he couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, he's I uh, I let it go and he's back. So yeah, uh, shout out to S Double as well. Yeah, that, I like S Double. So. As I said, April 6th will be the likely day. And All right. then there'll be no show the week after that. But maybe Brandon will do a show that week. And maybe Brandon will run a test show sometime soon. You never know. Just one day he's going to say, I just want to turn it on and do it. Like Brandon just spontaneously likes to get involved. And I, I think we're going to hear him sometime soon on Poker Fraud Alert. By the way, I, I meant to discuss this, but I don't feel like taking any more time. Julia the Porn Star, a.k.a. Jenny Anderson, is back. She yeah, he made a post on the website. Yeah, that. he made a post. Right, she calls herself Allie now, and she's in Petaluma, California, in the Bay Area. You can buy her once again. She got out of the prostitution game, and <laughs> she's right back in it now. She she couldn't stay away for too long. So if your desire has been to have sex with Jenny Anderson, who has been on the show before, you can do it if you bring the requisite amount of money to the fine city of Petaluma, California. Wow. That is it. Her name's Allie now, by the way, on these hooker sites. Well, I don't know where she advertises. I don't care. Good night, everybody, and shalom. Shalom. <laughs>